onion sauce con mm, canola y tan delicious <coughs> oh. <coughs> hello it's me Dufo de Manzo I hear the two true freaks have reached episode 500 congratulations then I think hey maybe some more idiots will listen to this show so I sold a few ads to some of my favorite businesses the two true freaks say hey we already have the show edited I said hey I wasn't asking a question edit this shit in I hope you enjoy the podcast and consider the find a month the core products Hello, this is Sal Greenfield at Skate Road 23 Ford inviting you to come on down to our wild and wacky sales days sales event where you'll find the wildest and wackiest prices you'll find all season. At Skate Road 23 Ford, we're not just Ford, we also have plenty of Lincoln and Mercury for your shopping pleasure. Skate Road 23 Ford is conveniently located just off Skate Road 23 on the Frontage Road. We look forward to seeing you there. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Arm of the chair. You did 
maniac. You're a bunch of a-holes. Featuring the vocal talents of Scott Gardner. While a great many people see you as a hero, there are some who prefer the word vigilante. And Chris Honeywell. You, you look like the inside of other people's assholes. I can go slow ahead. Come on down and chump some of this shit. Have you ever wondered what would happen if all the geniuses, the artists, the scientists, the smartest, most creative people in the world decided to actually change it? Where could they even do such a thing? They'd need a place free from politics and bureaucracy, distractions, greed. A secret place where they could build whatever they were crazy enough to imagine. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks Classic. I'm Chris Honeywell here with Scott Gardner. Hello. And we are here for episode 500. Finally. No wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> 500. Oh, crap. <laughs> it's like that that Star Trek, you know, Star Trek 45, so very tired. <laughs> what do you think, man? Did you ever think we'd make it this far? Yeah, I have for the last six months. I have anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the, the scary thing is, is I mean, if you really added tallied up our episodes, we hit 500 like probably a year or two back. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and and then just stuff that we've been on and stuff. Forget about it. You know, we're we're in the we're probably in the triple digits now. So, but still, symbolically, this is episode 500. Um, I'm so psyched. You, most podcasts just do not make it this far. <laughs> I sat down and wasted an afternoon one day trying to figure out like how many shows total I had ever done, and, mm. and it, after a time, I was just like, "I got more important. Where's the comics? I got more important things to do." Well, how the hell do you figure out the ones that even you know on our network? At least you could just go through each show and be like, "Okay, I was on that one, that one, that one, that one, that one." That, one. <laughs> that was part of the problem too. Is there was a lot of them. I was like, "Am I on?" one i don't remember so yeah and you have to listen just, to 50 other shows right after a time it just became all right am i this much of an egomaniac that i even care at this point so <laughs> let's just chalk it up to a shitload it is it is it's pretty awesome now you know what's funny is uh god what show was it oh it was a it was a recent back to the bins uh we did uh, a, a star wars um tie-in you know because of the new movie being out and everything so we we looked back at uh at some star wars stories everybody brought a star wars uh comic to the table and one of the stories that was brought was the vader versus valen story Ooh. fight on the bridge yeah and uh doing a little bit of homework for that episode I looked back to see what episode was it of two true freaks that you and i had talked about it that was six 
years it, ago. It was probably like episode 96 or something like that. I don't remember the actual episode number, but the of the of the Star Trek uh, Star Wars Monthly Mondays, it was I want to say it was number 12. So it was an early episode. But it just wow, that's when it really hit me just how long we've been doing this. Ah, uh, yes. You know? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm despite the fact that we, you know, we, we've had, you know, this just this weird and totally unexpected hiatus, you know, that after, uh, you know, I'm always going back to June because that's when Eternal Con actually was. But we still had episodes come out into August. So really, it's been about right. six months. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we had that six month hiatus. But, you know, if we if we had gone one more month, if we had gone, you know, actually having regular episodes out until um september of last year then that's seven straight years of weekly shows you know that's i you know i'm just gonna i'm gonna go ahead and pat us on the back anyway because that's pretty friggin remarkable when without getting paid <laughs> yeah without getting paid <laughs> but i mean job, also, if it was our job and like yeah paying the rent then okay it it, it, it makes it a lot more it makes a lot more sense <laughs> But I mean, I'm just looking at it from the from the simple aspect of, you know, accepting um, a couple of times where it was circumstances beyond our control, like the website was acting up. You know, this is like back in the Libsyn days and right. stuff like that, you know, other than, you know, like like a power out. I, I'm trying to remember the specific instances. We run out of space. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that's right. We, that's what it was. We ran out of space once or twice. But even even then, even when we had circumstances beyond our control. I would say the number of times we ever missed a Monday, I'm pretty sure you could count on one hand. Mm -hmm. So in seven years, you know, minus a couple of weeks, we we nailed it. Every Monday there was a new show out. And that, I mean, when you think about what goes into that, you know? I don't and even want to think. When you start, okay, you start thinking about the number of podcasts you've been on. Start thinking right. about the hours that you've spent editing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you have to take ba basically you have to figure out how many hours you were on the shows and then multiply it by like three to five, depending on what kind of show it is, you know. In the mood for some real southern cooking, then come on down to Biscuit Basket, where we always put the biscuit in the basket. We should go to Biscuit Basket. That's where they put the biscuit in the basket. I don't know. If you loved us, you'd take us to Biscuit Basket. Biscuit Basket, Biscuit Basket, Biscuit Basket, Biscuit Basket, Biscuit Basket. All right, all right, for the love of God, we'll go to Biscuit Basket! Remember, if you love your family, y'all take them to Biscuit Basket. Just off State Road 23 on the frontage road. Hi, you guys. Hope here. First and foremost, congratulations on 500 episodes. That's amazing. I can't believe we got 500. Holy crap. So I wanted to tell you guys a little story. A long time ago, in 2009, in a galaxy far, far away in Atlanta, Georgia, I went to Dragon Con. When I went to Dragon Con, season one of Star Wars The Clone Wars had just recently wrapped up. I wanted to go to several panels about it to see if other people thought the same way I did and see if they liked it or not. 
Of course, in this panel, there were these, you know, pretentious assholes who were like, well, I like how the codes were fuck, fuck, And it was just, you know, those are the normal stereotypical nerds that I just really don't like. Um, all my favorite questions definitely came from kids who would ask questions like, um, so why in the blue shadow virus episodes did the clones not die really fast and stuff? Which, you know, I love kids. I love kids and fandoms. They're my favorite. I mean, in both of these occasions, you guys mentioned in ep- episode 71 in your Dragon Con recap episode. And the reason I bring that up is that's how I met you guys. I met Chris and Scott at Dragon Con. They were on the panel for the Star Wars The Clone Wars panels. I had raised my hand, and I, at the time, I was, like, really into the Harry Potter alliance and stuff like that, and I was very much a part of using your fandoms to do better things and trying to see beyond the show and how to implement it back into real life and everything. I had asked the question about whether or not the Jedi were really good, because they were using the clones as pretty much slave labor, and, you know, these people were pretty much being sent out and made to die in a war. Because of this question, Scott and Chris approached me after the panel, and we talked, and I got, we exchanged information, and you guys asked me to be on Two True Freaks. And that's how it started. <laughs> so... I started off as a guest on a couple shows. I think I did like a Harry Potter show with Chris. Um, I did a Hitalia show with my friend Megan, and we were telling Chris about Hitalia and explaining it and everything. And then about a year later, I was able to have the amazing opportunity to start my own show in the Two True Freaks Network. That's how I got Hope of All Trades. And ever since then, it's been amazing. And I know I'm like not the best podcaster. I mean, you know, I, wor- I work two jobs and I haven't put up a new episode since May? I think it was May. I'm still editing an Age of Ultron episode. So it had to be May. Because <laughs> Age of Ultron was out forever ago. I mean, I'll, so I'm, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not the best podcaster. You know, I, I just don't really have time between my, my job and, of course, with the fangirl and stuff like that. But... After I got Hope of All Trades, I was later on Who True Freaks, which I love. You know, I was able to talk Doctor Who, and, you know, I got more into the Doctor Who fandom through Who True Freaks, and I really, really enjoy working with people like Chris Tyler and Shag, and, of course, Sean, who is our fearless leader of Who True Freaks, and, God, Sean does so much work. Oh, my God. Sean, kudos. I, I don't know where I would be right now if not for Two True Freaks. I mean, you guys... The reason I don't have time to podcast anymore is because Two True Freaks helped me get in my current career path. You know, when you're a podcaster, you're considered you're considered a member of the press. I want well, you know why you can get into small cons on it. You can't get into anything big like you. Well, you can't get into Dragon Con anymore as a press member with a podcast. I can tell you that for sure. So I mean, it is what it is. But you know, I started doing little things like Two Two One B Con through Two True Freaks, and I started doing things like that in Seshu Con and. I, I was able to use Two True Freaks to help me to get to the next step in my career. I wouldn't have What the Fangirl right now. Because as a podcaster, you know, I got into Once Upon a Time, and then I started listening to other Once podcasters, and I've had them on my shows before. If you go to Hope of All Trades, I've had Bill from Greetings from Storybrook and other things, and, and Bree and Alex from Other Side of the Mirror, and Bree was on a My Little Pony episode with me. 
And that's how I met Bray and Alex. I met them from indulging in other podcasts and becoming their friends. And then they would come on my show, and I just got to know Bray and Alex better and better. Earlier in February, because of meeting Bray and Alex, we started with the fangirl. It was because we weren't seeing the content we wanted for women, and we weren't reading the stories we wanted for women, and we wanted to be geared and driven and written by women. And so the three of us got together and we started with the fangirl. And none of that would have even happened if I didn't have my podcast with you guys. If I if I had never asked a question in a Star Wars The Clone Wars panel in 2009, and if you guys hadn't approached me um, to be on your show as a guest and started all of this off, I don't know where I would be right now. I mean, I, I don't know where my career would be. I, you know, so, I mean, you guys have always been so supportive of me. You guys were always, like, amazing when I had to take breaks when I was in college. I mean, I didn't podcast for about nine months my last year of college because I didn't have time. And you guys were totally cool about it, you know? You guys have always supported all my endeavors and always had my back and have always stood by me. And I can't even begin to thank you guys for that. You know, I I do know that I'm one of the youngest in the group, and I'm one of the few women. And you guys were always okay with that, and you always were respectful and made sure I had my opinion and always made sure I had my voice heard. You know, I love you guys, but sometimes it's hard being the only girl in the groups, uh, especially in the early days, because I had to make this raunchy brass persona and just so i could look at shag and be like shag shut the fuck up and let me talk god damn it shag i mean i and and over time you guys you know you guys got to know me you got to know what i liked and you always gave me a chance you know not every not every woman can say that in a group of guys you know you, you guys always respected me and respected my opinions and i am so proud that you guys are at 500 episodes and i'm happy to see that we're still going and after all this time we're moving on to bigger and better things and we're growing together as a network and i'm hoping once i get over this age of ultron anthill because i don't want to drop it but i haven't had time to edit it hey anyone want to edit my podcast for me that'd be great i mean i just you know I like, I like to see where we would go, and I hope we can get there together, and I really look forward to returning to Hope of All Trades constantly once I get over this little bump in the road. And I'm excited to see how Hope of All Trades grows, and I'm excited to see how Two True Freaks grows to, to episode 1000. Where will we be at episode 1000, you know? I, I can't thank you guys enough for just being the greatest group of guys in the world and just... I love you all so much, and even if I'm the worst podcaster in the world and I put out one episode every six months, <laughs> you guys have just been the most amazing group of guys, and I love you all, and congratulations again on 500 episodes. I, I can't believe it. It's been crazy. I can't believe it. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, thank you for everything, you guys. Congratulations, and to the next 500, this is Hope Out. Hola, suckeros! Moria Clawhammer here. Thanks to a tax loophole and a life insurance policy, I have an authentic Mexican taco stand. The Explosive Taqueria! Well... If you want a pound of burrito, or just get your tongue on a taco, well, get off your ass, take a waco. Come throw some meat down your throat. If you want some food, here's a thingo. You don't want to eat like a gringo. Have some Mexican grub with some zingo. Taco sauce that explodes in your mouth. At the Explosive Taqueria in South DeManzaville, 
We have every kind of goddamn Mexican food you crave. We got chimichangas, ensalada, churros, chupacarnes, deep fried jalapeno pooper, churritos, the famous taco shake. Taco shake discontinued. Triple refried baked beans, choritos, chimichibas, chimichochas, the Commodore's nachos, and the ever popular endless burrito bowl. All prepared by our authentic Mexican cook, Manuel. My name is David. I'm from Bolivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the ladies, we have the Tila Tequila, a tiny taco, but you'll be amazed how much beef and cheese we can stuff in there. For the daredevil, we have the El Pollo Croco, a full chicken stuffed with four soft-shell tacos, two beef burritos, and two sides of your choice, deep-fried and slathered in taco sass. The taco sauce with sass. So lock down your sphincter and come on down. The Explosive Taqueria, 312 Elm Street, south to Monzaville. Tell them where Clawhammer sent you. Arriva Dirty. I mean, I I don't want it to sound, you know, like, you know, terribly like, you know, self-aggrandizing, but seriously, I mean, when you consider because we know what goes into podcasting, especially our show, because you know, we, I, I like to think that we try. I don't know if we're always successful, but we try to bring another level beyond other shows, you know, as far as sound quality and, you know, music and editing and everything else. When you just consider the the sheer number of man hours that went into that, that we nailed it week after week, being able to put something out there that by and large, I'm pretty damn proud of. I mean, there I won't say that I, you know, I loved every single episode. There were definitely a couple, you know, times where we put something out that later on I was like, you know, that wasn't really our best. You know, we tried and whatever, but nine times out of ten, it was actually usually the opposite. I, I know there was so many times where we, you know, you and I would finish a, an episode and we would kind of talk afterwards and be like, I don't know, that was all right, I guess. And then we, you know, after editing, we were like, damn, that's a really good episode. Why why didn't we like that? So, you know, usually it was the other way around where we actually ended up liking it better once it was done. But I'll, And I and when I go back and, like, listen to an old episode for research purposes or something, I often find myself shocked at, like, oh, my God, <laughs> we did something really cool here, you know, or... Mm-hmm. or uh, to pat myself on the back uh, you know stuff that i did and i put a significant amount of time in you know a little bumper in between or you know something with the soundtrack and then you know a month after you've done it or probably even less time than that you've forgotten completely right <laughs> that you ever did it you know and uh i'll listen to some of our old so- shows and be just like oh my god <laughs> we probably should have clipped that and used that over and over and over again <laughs> Rather than doing it once and forgetting all about it. I have been tempted so many times to go back and do clip shows, you know, like best ofs. Because, like, everybody else that I know that has done a show for, you know, any significant amount of time has done at least one clip show. And to my memory, I don't think we've ever done a clip show. No. And for the longest time, I was really resistant to that because I think, you know, generally speaking they're kind of lazy, which is kind of a stupid thing to even think because actually they're not <laughs> a shitload the of work. The reason I haven't done a clip show is because it would take such a massive amount of research. You'd have to listen to the, you couldn't just like 
flip through shows because you don't know what you're looking for to, or what you're right. looking for going to miss. So you'd have to listen to like complete chunks of monthly, you know, say we wanted to do a Star Wars monthly Monday clip show. We'd have to listen to years worth of, and some of those old shows were two, three hours long, you know, <laughs> And, and then and then know all the places and then cut all the clips out and then and then go through the clips and figure out which ones you want to keep, which ones you want to discard, then what order you want to put them in and then talk about them in between. And yeah, it would be a lot of work. It would. It would. I do think about it from time to time, though, because every once in a while I will dig out an old, old ep, you know, an old episode and listen to it. And like you say, something will, will strike me like, wow, that was actually really, you know, a, a brilliant observation or a really funny moment or, oh, my God, that was we were so stupid, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And and wanting to, you know, play up that that clip or whatever. But I don't know. I, I never do. I don't know why. I'm just lazy, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But speaking of that, though, and I know this is purely off the top of your head. I don't know about you. I didn't take any notes for this part of the show or anything. But just strictly off the top of your head, what what would you say some of your favorite, uh, I don't know, whatever, moments, episodes, oh, whatever? Can you think of anything? Oh, I can think of a lot of them. A lot of them. Um, I mean, instantly, one of my proudest. We should have put this out to the to the listeners. We should have posted this on. We Facebook. did. We did a while ago, if you recall. Oh, did we? Yeah, and 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 the the first one I I thought of. Oh, that's right. The you first know, one I, I thought of off the top of my head was the Titanic show. Oh, and, that's uh, right. Yeah, you remember you saying that. Oh, recently, and and like I mean, that's that's the show. I'm 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 proud of all the stuff we've done on Two True Freaks. I do not recommend shows to everybody you know what i mean like my coworkers and stuff right. i wonder about uh, there there's a lot of my or i just know that you know they're not going to want to listen to us discuss the minutiae of marvel star wars comics that they've never read and are never going to read but yeah my roommate was talking about one of her friends who's i can't remember if it was the boyfriend or the girlfriend one of the in a couple was a huge titanic fan and she was asking me you know, do you know any podcasts or anything that they would want to listen to? And I said, you know what? I probably do. <laughs> if they haven't already heard this one, <laughs> if they're a Titanic fanatic. But, you know, the amount of work that you put into that was just so apparent. And it's one of those podcasts that I could recommend to almost anybody. You know what I mean? It's like the pe- people who listen to, like, you know NPR or you know any of those radio stations that just sort of do you know documentary radio on news stuff and or stuff like that or who watch you know PBS or watch document you know documentary shows on the cable channels it's it's like that you know I, I mean it would be accessible to them so that was always one of my pr- proudest moments. Um, it's really going back to the Titanic one. I just wanted to say that, you know, for one, I really appreciated you bringing that one up because you, <laughs> you were part of that. Yeah. No, I, 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 you know, it's, it's one of those weird ones that it's purely after the fact that I'm really proud of that one. And the reason I'm proud of that one, and, and I, I'm just, I'm being completely honest. I'm not being falsely modest or anything, but the reason that I'm so proud of that one 
is because of the reaction that I got like universally. I've never gotten any feedback from that going, you know, wow, that was really crazy. You know what I was worried about is here's the thing. I, I don't know how many people know this about me. I don't know if I've really come out and just fessed up about it, but here's the God's honest truth. I am a classic procrastinator. You know, I put things off to the very last minute when it's like work, you know, like like homework. I, I'm not. Oh, man, I hope nobody at work listens to this, but I'm, I'm not terribly self-motivated. You know what I mean? I what I really need in my life is I need my old drill sergeant from the Air Force you need to be a personal on my trainer ass. to follow you around. I do. I really do. But no, I need that guy. I need Master Sergeant Ward to be on my ass 24/7 to get things done. Otherwise, I just don't, you know. And it's not so much that I don't, it's I just I put things off to the last minute. So I knew for a long time that I wanted to do a Titanic show and I kept farting around about it and farting around about it and like for i don't know how many let me see that was 2012 when i finally did that episode and we started the show in 2008 so i'm gonna guess for at least a couple of aprils i had wanted to do a titanic show and then that was april of 2012 so it was going to be the 100th anniversary and so I knew it was coming way ahead of time. And I wanted to do it and I had it in my mind to do it and all that. And then it got to like right when it was going to happen. And it, I still hadn't done any homework. I hadn't done my research. I hadn't read a Titanic book in years. But now all of a sudden it's like down to the wire. It's like shit or get off the pot time, you know? And I realized. I really want to do this. I, I don't want to let this this momentous occasion slip by and not contribute my voice to, you know, to this anniversary because I felt it was important. So in a lot of ways, it was kind of thrown together. I'll be completely honest with you because I kind of sat down and I mean, yes, I organized notes in my head, but so much of what I said and so much of the content was really just out of my brain. So if you ever sat down and really fact checked me on some of this stuff, and that's the thing, it's it's one of those examples, and you hear about this all the time with creative people, is that when you listen to it, all you hear is the mistakes. And I listen back to it, and there's a lot of parts of where I cringe, and I'm like, whoop, that's not right. Nope, that's not right. Whoop, I should have fact checked that because that, you know, and that and that's what I hear when I listen to it. So walking away from the editing board, so to speak, the only thing I was truly proud of is I, I was proud of the music. The I music thought the music was really, really good in that. But then, you know, it's released. It's out there. I was really nervous about it. I kind of thought, you know, for one thing, I really honestly expected who the hell's going to listen? Who cares? This guy, you know, talking about myself, you know, this guy's known for. You know, his love of Star Wars and Star Trek and comic books. Who's going to give a shit about him talking about the well, Titanic for whatever it was? Two hours by ago. now, there's people who listen to faithfully to our Star Trek podcast or Star Wars podcast who don't read the comics or right, watch yeah. Star Trek or whatever. They're it's just true. interested in listening to people who are excited about what they're talking about. And you are definitely passionate about about the Titanic. You know, I, I mean, I know that, you know, I tell you we're, way back, you know where it kind of turned around was 
I'm trying to remember how I learned about it. I, th I think either Andy told me or Angela herself told me. I forget. But somehow or other, I learned that Andy Leyland's wife, Angela, who does not listen to podcasts despite her husband doing one of the best ones on the Internet, that she loved that episode. Somebody that does not listen to podcasts. And that's where it kind of started with me going, I must have done something right, you know? And plus, it had an added gravitas because she's British, you know? And, you know, to me, that, that really meant something. I mean, because I know that in England, you know, not only do they have a very personal connection to the Titanic, but I mean, you know, there's, you know, as much as we've had Titanic fever happen over here in the States, I mean, I know that they've had a plethora of books, yeah. movies, and docudramas and everything else about the Titanic. So, I mean, there's no lack of Titanic stuff out there. So for someone, you know, from the UK to actually listen to that and, and have the feedback that I got from it, I mean, that was really rewarding. So I, some, some somehow I touched a nerve somehow with people, and, uh, and that's very rewarding. I mean, I wound up, um, I've seen it a couple of times mentioned on different um, websites and all. And, uh, and again, you know, that was, that was really rewarding because that was... That was one of the few times where I felt like something that we did kind of transcended podcasting. When we go know? out on a limb and do something different, it usually it it often it more more often than not it ends up working out better than we thought. We we're always like nervous about it, and then not always does it turn out a hundred percent. But no, no. Hi, folks. My name is Reginald Francis Winterborn Smythe III, President and CEO of Biscuit Basket Consolidated Brands Incorporated. When my granddaddy, Reginald Francis Winterborn Smythe I, founded Biscuit Basket back in 1937, his mission was to provide hard-working families with good food at a good value. Today, here at Biscuit Basket, we continue to strive to make our biscuits, fixins, and entrees the best value in town for our customers and to bring families together around the dinner table. And we always put the biscuit in the basket. Remember, if you love your family, y'all will take them to Biscuit Basket, just off State Road 23 on the frontage road, and tell them Reginald sent you. Biscuit Basket Consolidated Brands Incorporated is not liable for biscuits delivered outside of baskets. Women who are pregnant, may become pregnant, or have been pregnant should not eat a biscuit basket. Do not operate heavy machinery for at least four hours after eating a biscuit basket. Customers who order the biscuit basket down home country feeds must meet minimum health qualifications and sign a waiver indemnifying Biscuit Basket Consolidated Brands Incorporated against all damages. The price is slightly higher in Missouri. Hey everybody, Luke Giaconetti here. I'm the host of Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, right here on Two True Freaks. Now you might expect me to come out with some highly paid celebrity endorser like Huckleberry Hound or to do some ridiculous sketch involving Godzilla smashing his way into my studio and crushing me underfoot. But for now I think I'm going to slow it down, take it down a little bit, and just have a moment for us. And let me tell you about Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a lifelong Daikaiju fan. I've liked Japanese giant monsters ever since my dad showed me Godzilla King of the Monsters when I was four years old and that fandom has been the top for me ever since. I've got more Godzilla and giant monster toys up in my bonus room than I care to admit in public, and that number grows every day. I've got racks and racks of movies, 
racks and racks of TV shows, this is my number one thing. Some guys like comics, some guys like Star Wars, some guys like Star Trek, some guys like getting stuff cheap. Me, I'm about the giant monsters. That's my thing. So what I want to do with Earth Destruction Directive is to take this enthusiasm and love that I have for giant monsters and share that with everybody out there in Internet Radio Land. And this year, this past year, we've had some great shows. We've had some great guests on. Dr. Bill Robertson has been with us. Professor Alan Middleton has been with us. My brother joined me for an episode. We've got more guests lined up. We've had some great topics. We covered all sorts of Godzilla films. We've covered Ultraman comics. We've covered episodes of the Ultraman show. We've covered The Last Dinosaur. We covered The Green Slime. We've got... Uh, we're coming up right now on the end of the Marvel Comics Shogun Warriors comic series. So we've had a lot of great city-leveling fun on Earth Destruction Directive, and we've got more good stuff coming down the pipe. So if you like Japanese giant monsters, then please check out Earth Destruction Directive every month at 2TrueFreaks.com. I think you'll enjoy it. So until then, keep them stomping. Hello, Stan here. I want to congratulate the Two Freaks on 500 episodes. I look forward to many more in the future. Congratulations, Scott and Chris, and all the other freaks. And always remember... Oh, I must be going. Tipring is making vegetarian meatloaf. But always... Yeah. All right! <sighs> always remember, having is not so pleasing a thing as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true. Live long and prosper. Is that you, Santa Claus? I'm really proud of our uh, uh, Christmas craptaculars, especially the first one and then the latest one that we did. Where The latest one where we got everybody else into it. <laughs> I listened to that one back again this Christmas and about, you know, about lost my mind cracking up, forgetting about, like, all the names that everybody had for- remembered about. Uh, and shit, another one of our... I mean, we're not... We're not I mean... Episode 100, we went nuts, and was it 100 that we read the phone book? People still talk about that. You know, I want to say that was 200, but I forget. But going back to the Christmas ones, the the two that I'm that I really focus on. For one, uh, I completely agree with you. Our very first Christmas craptacular, and we were only just a few months old. At I that. put that. I put that one. That I listen to that every year. I, I, I do too. I, I post it up as a as as our Rudolph. <laughs> what's funny, reindeer. What's funny is there's a significant portion of that episode that is just you and I taking the piss out of the perennial favorites, and then yeah. that show itself has become a perennial favorite, which is just you know how's that for irony. But that show, for as as green as we were, that show holds up. It feels like an old school, like a 70s variety show. Yeah. And it, I tell you the moment that I love in that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of moments <laughs> that I really, really love. But the one that I really love, because I'm proud of myself that I'm the one that pulled out the, the, the clip of the kid. But you may, see, I kept giving you clips. Like, can you use this song? Oh, I can use this song. Can you use this stupid clip? Oh, I can use that stupid clip. And so what I did was I gave you sound clips, and then you found something else to work it in. So my favorite one that works that way is you have the... the, the, the 
It's got to be Jingle. Yeah, it's Jingle Bells. You got the Jingle Bell kittens. Oh, and it's God. going, meow, 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 meow. And then all of a sudden you hear a gun cock and start firing rounds. And these cats going, meow, and they're running away. And then you hear the kid. And this was the clip I sent you. You hear the kid go, thanks, RoboCop. You saved Christmas. And I kept waiting for a listener to write in and go, where in the hell did you find that clip from? And I'm not going to spoil I'm not going to tell you where it's from. But that's my favorite one. Because that's funny. I mean, even knowing, you know, the whole setup that it's every year, it still cracks me up. That's that's one of my favorites. And the new one, my favorite, my favorite was there was one of Luke Giaconetti goes, the guy from Lost and the other guy. Yeah, the guy. <laughs> and, and there was one of you going and, and it was just to put anywhere. And it was like, he can't make it. He's got diarrhea. <laughs> Because I did a bunch of those like that. My favorite one was I just, you know, and again, it was one that you could have plugged in anywhere. It did not have a specific spot where I just go, you know, he's dead, right? <laughs> Which is not, I the people in all of our Christmas craptaculars are probably dead pretty much by now. Oh, yeah. And going yeah. fast. I was, uh, I was frankly, I was kind of surprised I didn't get called out on the Robin Williams one because that really was too soon. Because I go... You know, in in the whole you know way we're doing it as announcers, I go Robin Williams. Oh, it's too soon, <laughs> or something like that. And I really kind of thought, I almost sent you a message going, you know what, cut that one out. That you want to talk too about too soon? We had Bill Cosby. Paul <laughs> <laughs> Spataro go. Bill Cosby will not be appearing at. Right. Yeah, like five <laughs> times. That was. Oh, I'm trying to think of some other ones. That all the all the ho- when uh, the the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror when we did um, Christmas or uh, Halloween stories, mm-hmm. that was always a high point for me because I got to go hog wild on on the editing and the music and the sound effects, and it was always great to get you know get the clip the Dropbox file in the mail from each of the guys, you know as they as they completed you know because they would read their story. And then they would send it to me, and then I would add all the stuff to it. I tell you one I just listened to recently that uh, I don't know if you've heard it lately. If you hadn't, I will really encourage you to go back and listen to it. The middle section, I don't know what year we put it out. I want to say it was year before last night, so, so 2013, I think. Um it was the commentary Christmas one that we did where we did three commentaries. We did. Oh, I, I Charlie Brown. Did you listen to it? Listen to that after you put, you were saying you were listening to it in the car and I almost drove off mm-hmm. the road, dude. I was laughing so hard. I had tears running down my face, could hardly catch my breath. And I damn near drove <laughs> off the road on the way to work. Cause there's, the, the Charlie Brown, the, here's the thing with that episode. I, I, I really, I, I'm so tempted to go back and George Lucas that episode because we <laughs> covered feedback at the beginning of it and we went way too long. There's like, I want to say like 45 to 50 minutes yes. of feedback at the beginning of the show that really drags it down. So I wonder how many people actually stuck with it to get to the commentary. But then the first commentary was Charlie Brown and it's pretty good, but that's kind of like our warm up. It, it's yeah. okay, but it's not hysterical. And then the second one was Rudolph, Rudolph. the Reindeer. And 
I'm telling you, you and I were on fire with that. It's hysterical. Well, we were on fire with that every year at Christmas. We used to right, like right. Randy and Randy used to just always was always pounding down the silver and gold, silver well, my, and gold. My favorite part of that, and again, this probably sounds so egotistical, but it's just the way it's delivered. And I'd forgotten, <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's been I've a couple of years. All of it. I forgot the whole thing. So we're, you know, you're listening along and, you know, because I'd seen it so many times and, and we do have the soundtrack running in the background, I could picture it in my mind's eye. So it's right towards the very end of the, of the cartoon where, you know, uh, Rudolph and his family have been captured kind of like Wampa style, you know, and, and the Bumble's threatening them and he comes rushing at Yukon and I just out of the blue, I go, you have a gun. And it's just my <laughs> my delivery. Just, I just died. I, that to me was hysterical because I, I don't know that I ever really noticed that as a kid that he has a gun, but we wouldn't let it go through the whole episode. Just kept pointing that out, and it just cracked me up. But um, a lot of the ones that I, I'm actually most proud of, a lot of them have to come down to um, sound. Because one I was thinking about not long ago, and I couldn't tell you the number or anything. I could just tell you what the episode was about. It was uh, not long after you and I switched editing duties. And I don't know that we ever even clued the listeners in on this. But yeah. for the longest time, you edited Star Wars Monthly Monday, and I edited Star Trek Monthly yep. Monday. And then at some point, I don't know why... I think I just got bored with Star Trek after a time. So we sw- we flip-flopped and we never mm-hmm. said anything to the listeners. We just exchanged duties. So I went from Star Trek to Star Wars. And one of the very first ones that I did that to this day I, I was really, really proud of. And I don't know that I, we ever got any feedback on it or not, but I was personally really proud of it was, I want to say it was the opening chapter of the story where Luke and Leia go to the water planet where they meet Kiro and the that uh, the Empire sets off that bomb that like destroys the whole city and mm-hmm. the, like the cliffhanger ending is where the water comes rushing in at Luke and Leia I used a combination it was the first time and I think the only time I ever used non-Star Wars music in a Star Wars synopsis, because remember, we always used to play music during the synopsis portion. And because they were on this water planet, and I just couldn't find enough Star Wars music that I thought really evoked the sense of water, I used a lot of Jaws 2. And, you know, of course, it's another John Williams, and I just thought it came out really well. I I was really proud of the way that episode came off. I I I really liked that. But again, I don't know that we ever got any feedback on it. You know, I mean, that was one of those things that for the longest time used to frustrate me. And then after a time, it became, you know, one of those things like, all right, am I doing it to get praise or am I doing it because I want to be proud of what I've done? So I eventually kind of let go of that. But that used to bug me a lot in the early days. That when nobody we would notice. Out that, yeah. You know, that, that seemingly nobody would notice. And. I've come to realize that it just takes a long time. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not even that is that I, you know, a lot of times you have to let go of waiting for people to say they notice and just accept that, okay, you have listeners and very faithful ones 
So obviously there's something you're doing that they like. Maybe right. they're not realizing it on a, on a conscious level. So that's why they're not well, saying anything because I, I look at it this way. Most... I, I see a lot of our listeners, you know, I'm friends with a lot of our listeners on Facebook and they'll do a thing where they'll do a screen grab of their iPhone, you know, and they'll be like, okay, this is my podcast for this week, you know, that I'm listening to. And they'll have like 40, 50 podcasts on there, right, you know, that right. they're going to listen to. And so they might be listening to us in the car and going like, oh my God, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in, in the world. But then they're listening to another podcast on the way back, right. you know, and we might get an email if we catch them if they're listening at their computer and it's like, oh, I'm going to shoot an email out and say this. But, you know, it's like just to get anything anytime is is good news you know because most right. of the time it's 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 consumed it's appreciate i mean we find out it's appreciated because people will will voice it and i mean we're still here <laughs> we're right. only getting more listeners all the time so i we must be doing something you know we must be maintaining whatever quality it is that that, that people listen to in the mood for some real southern chinese cooking then come on down to Egg Roll Basket, where we always put the egg roll in the basket. We should go to Egg Roll Basket. That's where they put the egg roll in the basket. Huh? I thought you wanted to go to Biscuit Basket. Well, I want egg rolls now, so we're going to Egg Roll Basket right now. Try to keep up. Remember, if you love your family, y'all take them to Egg Roll Basket, just off State Road 23 on the frontage road. Egg Roll Basket is a registered trademark of Biscuit Basket, Consolidated Brands Incorporated. All rights reserved products may contain peanuts. Hello, you miserable bastards. A couple of years ago, you twats did a podcast called Get Off Your Ass and Make a Podcast. So, we sat on our ass and made a podcast. I'm Andrew Leyland, and joined by my son Michael, we made Hey Kids Comics. It was mighty. Sadly, it's over with now. Cry man tears. But I still do Palace Glistering Delights, which is all about pop culture shit. Mainly sci-fi shit. But we're not here to talk about you, me. We're here to talk about you two twat. 500 episodes. Wow. You know, it's not easy doing a podcast. A lot of people think that it is, but it's not easy to be yourself while still being personable and engaging and interesting to listen to. And Scott is personable and engaging and interesting to listen to. He's frequently wrong, but he's personable and engaging and interesting to listen to. And Chris is one of the sharpest people on the internet. Although he hides it exceptionally well. Well done. Congratulations. Here's to 500 more. Now stop doing this self-congratulatory bullshit and get on about making more episodes of Growing Up Battlestar, Beyond the Stars, Monthly Monday or whatever the hell you call them. And rope that Rifen fella in and get some more of them Disney shows done. And that pop culture comic book underbelly thing. I like that show. Bring that back. And more of that Superman shit that you do. Come on. You've been lazy lately. Get on with it. See you later, fellas. Magnus used tombstones. Trick your friends, scare the shit out of your relatives, or keep for your own personal use after you shuffle off this mortal coil. Magnus used tombstones. Perfect for people with names such as John Smith, Billy Bob Cletus Sideburn, Jimmy Hoffa, 
Nathan Bedford Forrest, Joseph Stalin, and dozens more. Magnus used tombstones. The best used tombstones this side of the other side. Some assembly required. No warranty expressed or implied. Void where prohibited by law. Batteries not included. Some tombstones may be damaged from armed military conflict or nuclear testing. Not recommended for children under the age of 25. No, that's the way I, I listen. You know, I, I generally do my podcast. You know, the bulk of my podcast listening is done on my commutes back and forth, mm-hmm. you know, to work. And I'll often have the best of intentions. You know, I'll, I'll hear a show and, you know, somebody will say something and, and I want to comment on it. Or I'll get to the end of the episode and just think, wow, that was a really good episode. I need to message so and so and let them know. Life takes that, over. Yeah, and then I get home and it's I've completely forgotten. Or worse yet, sometimes I'm I'm actively lazy. I'm like, ah, you know, so and so knows I love him and I listen to the show, and then that's it. And I never bother to let them know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't very well be butt hurt that. You know, well, nobody's... another thing about praise is, and and just in in art in general is a lot of times you end up getting praise in the places where you didn't expect it. <laughs> It, right. So, so you'll, you all of a sudden somebody will really like something. You'll be like, "Oh, really? That was just something we did, you know." And it wasn't trying to be, a, but for some reason people will ex- especially like that. And meanwhile, you've worked really hard on another part of it to to do this, and yeah, they like that. But you know, it was just that total magic combination of things that that got them on something else. Well, plus, you know, now that that I've managed to, in a, in a weird kind of way, kind of turn the this podcasting thing into something that I, I do professionally as far as, you know, using very much my my podcasting template, you know, when I when I teach, you know, when right. I, I'm at work now, I, I've really come to appreciate um, true feedback a lot more than I ever did before. I mean, I, by my own admission, I was never the most uh, patient person with criticism. But, you know, because it's very, very vital to what I do professionally to get honest feedback from people, I really have come to appreciate that even more so with the shows that we do because. You know, I'm very fond of the saying of, you know, if you just tell me, oh, you're doing fine, then you've told me nothing. Right. That doesn't help me. You know, it does not help me at all. You know, when, when I when I teach because we always teach in, in two people classes, you know, it's it's me and it's someone else. You know, so it's not just you talking to the class all day long, which would be you know really hard on them. You know, you switch off in teams. So at the end of the day or, you know, at the end of, a, of what we call a track, you know, when the class is essentially over for the, the whole uh, thing, I will always uh, solicit my, you know, my co-teacher for feedback. Okay, so what, what did you think? And unfortunately, nine times out of ten, you get, oh, yeah, you're doing great, you know, oh, you're fine or whatever, and you don't get anything substantive. And I think a lot of what it is is they're afraid, you know, they don't want to hurt your feelings yeah. or... Or sometimes they don't want you to then reciprocate and give them feedback. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so it becomes a very, it becomes almost perfunctory. Oh, yes. you're doing great. Well, the, but the problem is, oh, you're doing great tells me nothing. 
it's it's not information you know what i mean it's just it's it's a glossing over right and 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 it's sort of like so there is absolute i'm i'm perfect then is that what you're saying you know right yeah it it, it was oh you're doing fine well then how can i do better than fine right yeah exactly and sometimes you really gotta you really gotta drag it out of out of people i find at the workplace i've you know I, I've always been like, you know, I appreciate brutal honesty, and and you say that to people, it doesn't matter. You say it, you say it, you say it, you have to say it over and over and over and over again, and then it's only going to stick with certain people. And then even with them, they like walk on eggshells at first until like they realize you're not going to freak out if they say you're doing something wrong or, you know, I've I've done that at all jobs where like I could tell somebody wanted to yell at me about something or say something about something but at the same time they didn't want to get me pissed off because ah, the guy's doing a good job and we all like him here or whatever and you know we don't want to like whatever like i'm gonna freak out or something and i've had to go like hey are you guys pissed off about something because i noticed this you know go ahead and and let's you know let's air it out and stuff to finally get them to go like yeah, you left the, you know, blah, blah, blah on last night. and but, Okay, you know, okay, then let's go from there, you know. Right. But that's usually because where I work, I'm usually older than a lot of people, so they don't want to yell at somebody older than them. Right. And I'm not shy about taking advantage of that. And I shouldn't say that because now, oh, this is, this, you want to hear a freaky experience, literally. I'm at work the other day. And Scott McGregor's um, uh, girlfriend, Sarah Tonin, her her podcasting name, works there with me now. Right. And um, we're, we're in the kitchen together, and I was sort of zoned out as to what was going on on the radio. There's a radio there, and there's like a, you know, a, a speaker that they plug iPhones into. And uh, she's, uh, she looks over at me, and she goes, why am I hearing your voice coming out of that speaker? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Why are you? And I like walk over to it and it's one of our podcasts. <laughs> and it's, it's me and hair metal hero doing, uh, um, doing, uh, um, we were talking about Ash versus evil dead. We were doing, a um, oh, okay. And, uh, one of one of my coworkers, you know, got curious and downloaded a bunch of our podcasts onto their phone, and they were playing over the sounds. You know, it was and it was really weird. And everybody was listening to it, and I'm sitting at work going like, "This is fucking weird, <laughs> <laughs> really strange." You know, did here, they know it was you? Huh? Oh, they, they knew, knew it was you? me. Yeah, because oh, they, you know, they heard about the podcast, but like, you know, now everybody got a little more interested in it i think with the force awakens coming out right they're all going to the the movies and they're like oh chris knows about star wars he's always talking about star wars we can ask him this and that so and and i you know me i'm people i'm a mutant and people are like what the fuck is up with this guy let's go listen to his podcast and see if that casts any light on it which i imagine just makes me appear even weirder (laughs) I'm sure no questions, more questions are posed than answered, but it was just weird, you know, and, and I've had the same situation happen when I walked into my LCS and heard one of our shows playing in the background. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, that was really cool. Hey, everyone. 
It's Sean Engel here from Just One of the Guys podcast and Listen to the Prophets, two shows that you can be listening to over at Two True Freaks. And if you're wondering why I'm doing this, I'm here to tell the Two True Freaks thank you. Thank you not only for allowing Just One of the Guys and Listen to the Prophets to be a part of the Two True Freaks family of networks, but also to say thank you for putting out 500 episodes of Two True Freaks. Starting from Comics Monthly Monday, Star Trek and Star Wars Monthly Monday, now to earning your ears and growing up Star Wars, the Tutor Freaks have produced some of the best podcasts around. And that they were so kind to allow me to come on their network and be a part of their little group is, is one of the most humbling things that has actually happened in my life. I really appreciate everything these guys have done not only for the podcasting community but specifically for me um chris honeywell in particular was the first man to actually allow me on the show way way back we did a show about uh the differences between the movie let the right one in and let me in and that was essentially my in for doing podcasting we kind of talked about that when we started up uh, when we were over on the Forum for Geeks uh, webpage and then you know it just sprung from there with their which obviously got a lot of people interested in doing podcasts their get off your ass and do a podcast podcast that got me interested in doing a show about my favorite run of comics the Green Lantern run from the 1990s to the early 2000s and it was just a ball doing that show and it was even more surprising when they started up the Tutor Freak site in in late May of 2013 that they they were polite enough to ask me to join the network. And I was just so overwhelmed by that that they thought me, this little nobody, would be capable to hang with them, essentially. And I, I can't say how how overwhelmed I was by them allowing me to do that. These guys have put out some incredible shows, and getting to episode 500 is just a marvelous, marvelous achievement. Everything that the Tutor Freaks put out is eminently listenable to. I don't care whether it's their beginning stuff, where there are just two guys jamming on about stuff, or some of their epic stuff like the coverage of the entirety of the Marvel Star Wars run to the new stuff that they're putting out. You know, Growing up Star Wars and, you know, earning my ears are some of my favorite podcasts to listen to. And it's amazing that from this sort of humble beginnings, you know, 500 or so episodes ago, that these guys have brought together this actual community of people who have like binds and liked interests and enjoy podcasting together. Scott and Chris have built a community and more, uh, and more so than just a community of people who have podcasts on the same network, it's an actual friendship. These guys feel like a, like members of my extended family, and I've had the fortune of actually meeting with Chris and Scott and talking with them. And like family, we have our disagreements. We have our agreements. But in the end, there's this sense of community and caring between all of us that I sometimes don't even get with my own extended family. And the fact that Scott and Chris have invited all of us in to be a part of this show is is one of the highlights of, of this later portion of my life. They've allowed me to reconnect with my inner geek. 
They've given me incredible hours of entertainment, and they've woken me essentially into their lives, and I don't think I could ever repay them in any way for doing this. All I can say is thank you to True Freaks for putting out all these shows, for being entertaining, and for being a friend. Could I be a bit more sappy? Probably not. That's the way we all became the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. That's the way we became the Brady Bunch. Oh, yeah. Aw, man. Don't you just love singing along to your favorite TV show theme songs? I know I do, but you know what really pisses me off? When I go to sing a TV theme song, and those lazy bastards haven't even written words for it. Well, I fixed that. Since my last album, Chris sings the shit out of classic movie themes, sold more copies than Elvis, The Beatles, and Boxcar Willie combined, I've decided to crap out a brand new collection. Chris sings the shit out of TV theme songs. Want to kick that party into high gear? Oscar is a slob, Felix is anal retentive. They argue all the time, but in the end it's live and let live. Hey, I think that Felix is gay. Okay, moving hey, on, here's a ditty that needed a little blah 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 to liven it up. Oh, what the fuck was that? What the fuck was that? <laughs> what the fuck was that? Whoa, they said no one could write words to this one, but nothing is impossible for Chris Honeywell. You can't do it, but we'll do it. You can't do it, oh, we'll do it. You can't do it, but we'll do it. Here's a job, listen up, cause it's tape, will self-destruct. Hey, everyone loves cartoons and everyone loves Star Trek, right? It's Star Trek, but it's not quite there. The music's got a note off somewhere. Ah, but it's Star Trek, on a ghetto budget. They're trying not to fudge it, but they'll Harry mud it. They don't want to sabotage the show. And you know me, I never neglect the oldies. He was traumatized by the cops. He taught Norman Bates all his chops. He talks with a mouthful of mush. It's your buddy Alfred Hitchcock. And listen as I knock my front teeth out and get into a country mood. Well, now take down your fishing pole and meet me at the fishing hole you might not get a bite all day but don't you rush away what a great place to rest your bones that's right remember what your mama said don't be boring and pathetic pick up chris sings the shit out of tv theme songs chris sings the shit out of tv theme songs is available in scintillating demonzophonic stereo and it's available in all fine stores that carry demonzophonic product and a gas station off the new jersey turnpike Eleven ninety nine void in Canada. I don't know 
know. I'm trying to think, you know, beyond, you know, putting episodes on in the car, you know, for for my wife, you know, and playing little snippets or whatever. Uh, beyond that, I don't know that I've ever been around, you know, when our when our show is playing to a to an audience, so to speak. So I don't know how I would react to that or not. It, I, I probably wouldn't react to it very well because no. it's the weirdest thing. Um, I don't like hearing my own voice, blah blah blah. And I want to punch myself in the face when I and I, as, ima- <laughs> as I imagine a lot of oh, you too. Feel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I know it's not just unique to me, and so when I'm sitting there, and sometimes when I'm talking, I I want myself to shut up. So it, in real <laughs> life, so <laughs> you know. Now you know how the rest of us feel. Exactly, and hearing it play on a thing where I can't actually even shut it up is even you know it's just like ah oh, god damn man yeah, give somebody else a chance so. shut up shut up why soit me you don't think i'm the kind that would keep blabbing some people never know when to stop when i'm told to shut up i shut up shut up shutting up you know it's it's weird because you know i mean here we are 500 we've done 500 of these damn things and we've done you know a couple of live shows and conventions and you know, I, I teach professionally, you know, where I'm, I'm up in front of a class and all, you know, so you would think I'd be over that whole thing. But, you know, it's still the funniest thing. I sat down to record uh, a new episode of uh, I've got a few things to say about Superman the other day and realized I'm going to have to wait until the wife's at work and, and Logan's off at school because I can't solo podcast when somebody can hear me. <laughs> is that not the stupidest thing you've ever heard? No, I know exactly you're, what you're you You're doing mean. a solo podcast that you're going to put out onto the air and everybody's going to hear. So what the hell is the difference if somebody's in the other room, but I can't mm-hmm. do it? it always I'm just too self-conscious about it. And, and here's the thing. And if you got somebody in the other room, and this is a phenomenon I've noticed with you know other people who podcast on our, in general, on our network everywhere, is you can tell the people that are in a room with roommates or family or something that are outside the door because they, they hush a little bit, you know? They have a little hush to their voice. And even, and if they're doing something where they have to, like, do a promo loud, they still do a loud. It's loud, but it's a loud, hush loud. Not making sure it doesn't get out the door. Like, I mean, <clears throat> my roommate, I, I've lived with my roommate for 15 years, so she's seen my band She's seen me do like performance art or stuff, so I'm not as shy. Although, like if I'm doing a solo podcast, no problem. You know, just talking. I'm sure she's used to just walking by my door, even when there's like right now, just and just basically hearing voices coming out of it and being like, whatever, he's podcasting. But then there's sometimes where I have to go two, two, <laughs> scream at the top of my lungs or. I'm singing, you know, I'm singing lyrics to something along with a with a karaoke track that's in headphones, so all you're going to hear is me singing. And then I'll leave my room and go, I'm just going to warn you, <laughs> you might hear some real goofiness come in. She'll be like, all right, I'll avoid the upstairs. And then and it's, it's hard not to be self-conscious. I've spent a lot of time on stage making a total ass out of myself. So I think I sort of hardened myself. I mean, literally, like I've just made a total ass out of myself in public so many times (laughs) that like this is like this is like, you know, doing podcasts. This is like reading Shakespeare. You know, it's it's kind of classy compared to to other stuff I've done. So 
I don't get as self-conscious, but it's, it's, it's hard. You don't, you know, you don't want people to think you're insane. <laughs> not always anyway, <laughs> not in general life, not your okay. roommates. Generally speaking, the only time I really get like wh where I would call it true embarrassment is it's the weirdest thing. Whenever the uh, you know we have neighbors that are fairly close to us, to the room that I'm sitting in, right? You know, the room that I podcast out of my comic room. It's fairly close. Is that and like? So, does this have anything to do with you looking at Linda Carter pictures and having the shades up? Because I don't really <laughs> want to hear that story. Well, no, it's more of, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Again, I was I was doing the Superman show and it's the middle of the afternoon and I'm sitting in here and I'm, I'm talking like I talk now. And I think I have a, a naturally loud voice anyway. So I'm, I'm really getting into one part of it and I'm, I'm laughing. And, you know, at the end of the day, let's face it, I'm talking to myself, you know, and I'm and I'm trying to entertain myself yes. doing the show. And then I go outside later in the day and, you know, we make eye contact and there's, you know, I, mean, I don't know the guy's name. We really don't know each other, but it's, it's, we're just one of those casual, like, Hey, how you doing today? Kind of things. And that's, that's about the extent of our conversation, but there's always that little look, you know what I mean? That little glance that tells me, Oh shit, he heard something of what I said and thinks <laughs> this guy's a raving lunatic. You know, he's sitting in a room by himself talking about Superman all morning long, you know? What a poor, pathetic human being. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Boy ain't right, you know? Yeah, but meanwhile, you can look at him and go like, what a boring life that guy probably has. Right. Meanwhile, he's probably got a basement full of cadavers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're worried about him thinking you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't want the serial killer to think uh, the the guy talking about Superman's a weirdo, <laughs> right? <laughs> In the mood for some real Southern French cooking, then come on down to Escargot Basket, where we always put the escargot in the basket. Ooh, we should go to Escargot Basket. That's where they put the escargot in the basket. Okay, wait a minute. Will you make up your mind? Where the hell am I supposed to be going now? You know I've always wanted to visit Paris, and you ain't made that happen yet. Take me to Escargot Basket now. Why are you yelling at me? The hell is wrong with you? Escargot Basket! Remember, if you love your family, y'all take them to Escargot Basket, just off State Road 23 on the frontage road. Escargot Basket is registered trademark of Biscuit Basket, Solid Brands Incorporated, all which is our products that contain tiny sharp shards and snail shells. Hi, my name is Bob Fisher, and I'm the semi-regular, part-time occasional, came-in-through-the-back-door co-host of Long Play, one of the most recent shows to be added to the great lineup of Two True Freaks podcasts. I just wanted to add my congratulations to Scott and Chris for their 500th episode. Incredible accomplishment. Congratulations, guys. But I also wanted to take the opportunity to let you and some of the listeners know how I came to be involved with the Two True Freaks. Kind of an interesting story. Chris understands. Chris knows the story, most of it. But Scott, probably you have no idea how much you were involved in me actually becoming not only a podcaster and doing this semi-regular part-time occasional came in through the back door co-hosting of Long Play. But I also host a show called Superman Forever Radio. 
not on the Two True Freaks Network, because you guys kind of have a Superman guy there. But yes, Scott, you were even partially uh, responsible. I almost said partially to blame, but partially responsible in a small way of me actually getting that show. And here's how that happened. Several weeks before the release of the Man of Steel movie, couple years ago. Uh, I was actually looking forward to it. I was trying to avoid spoilers. I was looking forward to it. And one of the things that had happened was on Facebook. I had uh, been listening to Two True Freaks podcasts for quite some time, along with uh, a bunch of other uh, comic book and movie and, you know, geek freak type podcasts. And something interesting happened. One, I should preface, uh, I didn't realize, because I really wasn't paying much attention. We were Facebook friends, but I wasn't paying that much attention to all the hubbub around Man of Steel because there was a lot of crap going on. There was people yelling, people saying how much they couldn't wait to see it. And I didn't realize at the time how much crap Scott Gardner was catching for his decision not to go see the Man of Steel. And Scott and I got into a little conversation, a little discussion on Facebook about that decision. For the most part, I think it was really rather civil. And we, we expressed our points of view, and uh, we didn't get into calling each other names, but we, we talked on Facebook. And this was several weeks prior to the movie coming out. And uh, that was one of many conversations I was having on Facebook about it. And a week or so later, I got a private message on Facebook. And it wasn't just one private message. It was one of those discussions going on. And I had no idea. I had never been involved in in a discussion like that on Facebook, a private message that was a, a chat with a whole bunch of guys, podcasters and freaks. And uh, at first I was a little confused. What is this? What is going on? And I started reading it and I realized, oh, these guys are getting together. Uh, They're putting together a show to talk about first impressions of the Man of Steel after it's released. So as I'm reading uh, their comments uh, about when they're going to get together and who's going to be involved, et cetera, et cetera, about halfway down through that thread, Scott Gardner says, invite Bob Fisher. Wow. Now, I had never been on a Two True Freaks podcast at that point. I had never been on really any podcasts at that point. And now I'm reading a thread, and there it says, Invite Bob Fisher from Scott Gardner. So I read the rest of the thread, the timing, you know, and they mentioned when they were going to get together, and there was a dozen guys or so that were going to get together uh, for that particular podcast, of uh, which actually came out and was later called 12 Angry Parenthetically Supermen. And uh, it was 11 or 12 of us that got together talking about our first impressions for the Man of Steel. Unfortunately, though, Scott could not be there and make that uh, recording. But anyway, we all talked. We gave our impressions, and, you know, that was that was fun. It was a lot of fun. I was incredibly nervous my first time. I got my little Logitech headset, you know, my game headset microphone on, put it on, and, uh, you know, talked. We had a great time. But after the official recording of that particular episode ended, a couple of us stayed on Skype and talked until the wee hours of the morning. I think Scott McGregor might have been there, a couple of other guys, Chris Tyler, a 
couple of other guys may have been there that stayed later. Uh, I don't remember everybody that did stay. It was a few of us. But it was Chris Honeywell and I, and we talked until the wee hours of the morning about everything practically except Superman and movies. We realized we had a lot in common in our back history regarding sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And we talked for a long, long time. And right then, before we hung up, we realized that was the kernel of a show. The Freaks, the Two True Freaks Network, didn't have a music show at the time. They had movie shows, they had monster shows, they had comic book shows, of course, Star Trek, Star Wars, all kinds of great shows, but nothing about music. So Chris and I decided at that point, and I think even Hair Metal Hero said, hey, we should do that. We should get together and do a show. Behind the scenes, as time passed, uh, Chris and I talked behind the scenes and kind of came up with the idea of how the show was going to be done. Let's take an album and, and talk about it. So that was the kernel of long play. And since then, several freaks have come on to talk about their favorite album with me, with Chris, with a few others. But that kind of got me into uh, The Two True Freaks. But even before that happened, before long play happened, this took months to get that going. I think even in that conversation that night was J. David Weeder as part of the discussion of The Man of Steel. And that's how I came to be the host of the Superman Forever Radio podcast. Partially, I think, based on that discussion and partially some of the stuff I'd been saying online and the fact that Dave was was thinking about... um, doing maybe some other things and putting his Superman show on hiatus. I got a private message from Dave, not too long after that, asking if I would be willing or wanted to take over Superman Forever Radio, which of course I said, after I picked my jaw up off the floor, I said, absolutely. Yes. Thank you. I plan to just kind of, you know, keep his seat warm until he came back. But now Dave is off doing Dave's Daredevil podcast, a great, great show. But that was the beginning. That got me into podcasting, doing the Superman show. And as we progressed, we were able to put together the plans for long play. So based on those three words that Scott Gardner put in that group chat, invite Bob Fisher. I can never thank you enough for that, Scott. That really changed everything. You know, here are some of the best podcasters, people I had been listening to literally for years. I was now talking to online. You guys also put out a show that basically said, get off your ass and do a podcast. So I was trying to figure out what am I going to do when Dave asked me if I would be willing to take over the Superman Forever show. And then becoming part of the Two True Freaks, even on this small little part-time level of uh, occasionally putting out a little music show. You just can't imagine what that has done. So not only do I just want to say congratulations on 500 episodes, but thank you. And I know I'm not the only one whose lives you guys have touched. So once again, thank you, Scott Gardner. Thank you, Chris Honeywell. Thank you. The Two True Freaks Network. And congratulations on 500 episodes. Does gambling control your entire life? When you wake up in the morning, is your first thought about your first bet of the day? 
Do you hide your gambling from your family? Has gambling impacted your work, your home life, and your well-being? If you answered yes to these questions. Then come on down to Buckaroo Bob Silver Dollar Casino and Saloon! We've got blackjack, poker, roulette, craps, baccarash, Amanda Fair, bingo, keno, sportsbook, OTB, and slots, slots, slots for your gaming pleasure. We're open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, so you don't have to sneak away from your job or family to get in on the action. Come check out our full-service all-you-can-eat saloon so you never have to leave. And be sure to make some time for the Buckaroo Gals Hoop-Dee-Doo Review, the wildest cabaret show in the Old West. Yeehaw! It's a gamer's paradise here at Buckaroo Bob's. So if gambling is your life, then head on over to Buckaroo Bob Silver Dollar Casino and Saloon, conveniently located off of State Road 23 on the Frontage Road. Turn left at the Discount Bait and Tackle Adult Cigarette Gift Emporium Outlet and follow the sides to fun Buckaroo Bob's, where the only gambling problem is when you run out of chips. Be there! Hey guys, it's Tom Panneries from Pop Culture Affidavit. Congratulations on hitting 500 episodes of Two True Freaks. 500! It's amazing. I mean, I can't even get two out on a fairly regular basis, and you guys have gotten 500. I've been listening to you guys for, oh, at least a few years now, and even though this sounds silly to say since I, I know quite a number of people on this podcasting network, pretty well by now, but uh, when I met Scott last year, and he called me up from the minors to, to come on the feed and, and bring both Pop Culture Affidavit and In Country on there, I was I was touched, I was flattered, and I was most of all excited. This is great company to be in. One day I'll weasel my way onto Comics Monthly Monday, but that's that's another topic altogether entirely, but I, I like I said, I just want to say that um, I, I'm honored and proud to be part of the Two Tree Freaks family, even if I'm the one who covers the topics that I don't think anybody else would touch, which is maybe why you brought me on. So here's to 500, 1,000, 1,500, or however many more, and congratulations, you guys definitely deserve it. So anyway, uh, yeah, let's just do a little blurb for the 500 then. We'll blurb. Just, blurb. Blurb. We'll just talk about, you know, say, hi, this is uh, Scott and Bill from No Councils for Old Men. Hello. And uh, happy to be celebrating, what is it, Two True Freaks fifth episode or something like that? 500th episode. 500, five times uh, 10 times... Carries a zero, times zero... Times uh, five, times <laughs> 20. Oh, I'm using Common Core math, so you have to... Oh, dear, no. Math bad. Uh, but, yeah, wow, I mean, I just get... I guess we should just, like, reminisce a little bit. I, what was your first official podcast on? 
on Two True Freaks. Are Are you going to play uh, um, the Little River Band underneath us? While reminiscing? <laughs> I just heard that song tonight, actually, in a restaurant. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Walking through the park and reminiscing. Yep. Hurry, don't be late. I can the freaks can wait. hardly wait. Yep. <laughs> I said to myself, when we're old, we'll be podcasting in the dark. Walking through the park. And but, uh, yeah, I, I got nothing. I can't finish. What, you, what was your first podcast, man? Uh, I believe it was. I'm pretty sure it was when they guested. Uh, guested. They asked me to guest as third on Back to the Bins. Oh, nice. Okay, so and the first book I brought was Iron Man 150 with uh, Doctor Doom. Very nice. Doctor Doom and Tony Stark go back to King Arthur's. Time. Oh, nice! Yeah, I used to have that uh, that episode, that uh, <laughs> issue, and uh, yeah, yeah. So, but well, that was my I think my first. That might have see prior to that though. I was doing little sending little bits into Star Trek Monthly Monday, right? But I think the first like full podcast I was on that was the first full podcast. But yeah, prior to that, I was doing little bit songs and uh, um, doing Morgan Freeman impersonations and. All kinds of stuff for the for, for the Star Trek Monthly Monday long distance dedication. Speaking of Morgan Freeman, I mean, strangely enough, my my career with Two True Freaks probably started driving Mister Daisy uh, because <laughs> <laughs> probably Garage Sale Glow was the first one. Oh yeah, that I was on. You know, probably you know we just decided to do one live, or I think maybe I had done you know one of the roundtables with you guys might have been my first one. Uh, but, uh, of course, I, I knew about the podcasting network for a couple of years, but then I didn't get involved with it till I accidentally moved in next to Mr. Honeywell. So, <laughs> so that was weird, and, and here we are, uh, 10 episodes of uh, No Councils for Old Men Later, so that's very cool. And double digits. Yeah, yeah, and uh, at least uh, not maybe tens of fans, but... We, we have a couple on record, anyway, in an email that, you know, we can prove that you liked us, you really liked us. One, uh, one of your fans could be in your home at this moment. She might be, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> That's not creepy at all for a horror show. Uh, no, no, no. Well, this isn't the horror show, uh, yeah, but... Well, yeah, this is the blur, but we're actually recording the horror show. That's, that's true. We're, we're Behind multitasking, because we're that kind of producer's... Uh, but congratulations on Two True Freaks 500 episodes, and happy to have contributed to at least you know a dozen or so of that to that cause. So yeah, and I've made a lot of friends and actually visited, done some things. I've Faraway probably, lands, and yes, but yeah. yeah, I <laughs> I wouldn't have gone to New York. I you know I it was the honest to go to Celebration. I think five. <laughs> In Orlando and MegaCon and things like that. So, so yeah. It sounds, sounds like we're having a celebration of your bowels in the background there, but <laughs> oh, no, it's, no, that's it's the, actually just uh, that's, that's, uh, 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 cleaning that's, machinery. So, don't be alarmed, folks. <laughs> that's that's Doctor Bill's Chinese laundry. Yes, that's the uh, ancient geez. Chinese secret. <laughs> but the really weird thing, because uh, I think I need to get the the pipes rotor rooted again, because uh, I've got the. Uh, washing machine is uh, sometimes it backs up into the utility sink, so sometimes you might hear blah 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 blah. blah. Yeah. Anyway, I've I've learned anything being on Tutor Freaks is that you could possibly hear anything, literally. 
That's true. In people the background. Mm-hmm. Holmes catching on fire. A lot of people snoring, probably. You know, if we were a fly on the wall to our listener listeners' rooms, but that would be weird. The happy 500. Yeah, and, and 500 more, hopefully. So, thanks, Two True Freaks. Although, I don't know. I don't know. That'll, that'll be a thousand. Do you think we'll make it? Because we are just two old men. We are, but, you know, it, it, I'm, it's the kind of thing that, you know, anyone can be Batman. It, it will carry on with, without without the founders, if necessary. Because I'm Batman. That's right. <laughs> I have faith. Because it's that much of a movement in this world that, yes, it, it's immortal now. <laughs> it's on the internet, so it'll never go away now. It yeah. won't grow old and it won't ever die. No, that's it. <laughs> Just like Wilford Brimley. <laughs> See ya. All right, and on to the other thing. Diabetes. Coming to the planet Kashyyyk for one day only, it's the galaxy-wide Monster Pod Racing Championship. You've been thrilled by Monster Pod Racing on planets like Tatooine, Coruscant, and Corellia. And now the wildest spectator sport in the galaxy will be in the home of the Wookiees on... Life Day! Life Day! Life Day! In this exciting contest, we'll have giant and dangerous pod racers from every corner of the Empire, like Jojen Rand from Tatooine, always crushing the competition in his racer... The Coming to us from the dark corners of Coruscant is the one and only Darth Failure in his planet-crushing pod racer... The Exhaust Force! Finally, cheer on five-time monster pod racing champion from Hoth... All other pod racers will be piloted by expendable leftover clone troopers to ensure maximum carnage. Come see these three titans of the sport battle it out among the giant warshear trees where the other pod racers are not necessarily your only enemy. So don't sit around like a pile of Get in your favorite star cruiser and set course for Kashyyyk for the best monster pod racing in a galaxy far, far away. Life day, life day, life day. fledgling network far, far away. A great adventure took place between two lifelong friends. It is a period of geek unrest. Chris Honeywell and Scott H. Gardner, podcasting from their hidden bases, have recorded their first show in their fight against the evils of boredom. During the podcast, the duo managed to cross the streams and create their ultimate weapon, the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, a group of geek-related shows capable of entertaining an entire planet. Pursued by the tyrannical Don DeManzo, Scott and Chris record from their comfy chairs, custodians of the network that can save their people and restore geekdom to the galaxy. Hi, my name is Brian Hughes, and I am uh, one half of Third Degree Burn. And sitting next to me, metaphorically, is my friend. Hi, I'm Tim Elliott, and I'm the better half of Third Degree Burn. Anyway, uh, we have now been part of the Two True Freaks Network for just a few months and put out, uh, uh, I guess, four shows or three shows or how many have we done? That's the mistake of using decimal points. 
But the, the point is, is that uh, we're, we're part now of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, and we are incredibly happy to be a part of this. Um, it's been something that for me has been uh, quite entertaining for the last couple of years. And to find that they're just uh, about to put out their 500th show is just amazing. But I guess we ought to go back and kind of look at where we came from as far as the freaks are concerned. Because I, I know for me it started um, several years ago. And in my job, I, I got stuck doing a bunch of tedious work, at, you know, at stuff at work on the computer day, day after day, looking at Excel sheets and working in databases. And, and I needed something. I had to listen to something to, to while the time away. And, uh, of course, my favorite is John Byrne. And so I did a search for podcasts and John Byrne. And the first thing that came up was uh, a Two True Freaks episode. I think it was a Back to the Bins episode about... The Untold Legend of the Batman, a three-issue series done in DC. John Byrne did the artwork. The show itself just drew me in. The the, the easy conversation between the, the guys on the show, it was almost like listening to my own friends and myself in a conversation. And I just got sucked in, and I started listening to it more and more. Peel back the curtain a little bit. Um, I have lost uh, two of my best friends in the world within the last five years. Uh, and these were the guys that I talked to on a daily basis about this kind of stuff. So I needed something to fill that gap. And they, they filled it in such a big way. And, and so that was very, very helpful. But what, what about you, Tim? Where did, where did, they, where did they get you? Uh, well, my origin begins in a small village in the rugged hills of Eastern Europe. No, not really. My, <laughs> my origin with Two True Freak began when I was looking for a Star Trek podcast. And I uh, searched for Star Trek, and I came across Two True Freaks. It's Star Trek Monthly Monday, and my first episode of Two True Freaks was Star Trek Monthly Monday number seven, which is Dagger of the Mind, and that was in May. Of is that the one with the neural neutralizer? <laughs> and now, you know, six years later, I'm co-hosting a show with you on the very same network. And again, I can't thank Chris and Scott, and actually everybody that's involved in a Two True Freaks, because everybody has just been so supportive is so helpful and so welcoming and embracing us into this network. It's like being invited to Marvel to say, okay, well, you want to write Spider-Man? Yeah, go on. Yeah, I guess when you went up there to see those guys at the con a couple months ago, that was almost like sitting in the bullpen. Yeah, going to Long Island and meeting uh, Dr. Bill and Scott and Chris and Paul and Gene Hendricks and J. David Weeder and Chris uh, Chris Tyler was you get a little bit of... uh, hero worship going on because these are guys you've listened to for so so long you're welcomed instantly it's that and it felt like we had just been friends for years like you know people talk about our chemistry on our show we've only done scott and chris have you can tell yes. they're lifelong friends you can tell just by listening to them these guys have known each other for a long time they're just great friends you can just tell they are just great friends and it's the type of friends that i had you know quote my python with and talk about star trek and what other geek thing we did play dungeons and dragons you know they're adults but they haven't grown their love of what they loved as a child and i think that that's one of the things that that, that people gravitate towards this sh- these shows for is because it talks about what made them great the reason why we watched it in the first place why we talk about it all the time whether it be comic books or movies or, or, or you know tv shows or whatever yeah. Listen to the two true freaks, whether it's back to the bins or you know Star Trek Monthly Monday, Star Wars Month Monthly Monday, the old shows. You you know you're sitting there and you're listening to stuff that you love, stuff that you grew up with, stuff that was a part of your childhood. You know it it just 
makes you feel good to sit there and listen to that stuff because you know then there are people that feel the same way you do about the same things. You may not care one bit about Daikaiju, uh, guys in rubber suits, giant monsters, but you listen to Earth Destruction Directive with Luke, Jack, and Eddie, and you're going to get caught up in his enthusiasm for what he loves. That goes for all the shows that you may not really have an interest in what they're talking about or maybe can't relate, but the, the hosts are going to pull you in and it makes it an interesting show just to listen to. Yeah, there's always something that you, that you can sit there and find on the network that's really, really interesting. Again, 500 shows is just freaking amazing. That's, that's very impressive. The long and short of it is that uh, this network has provided a lot of things for a lot of people. Uh, a place to go and listen to things about your favorite subjects, a forum for your views. And when you get on here, you find that there are a lot of like-minded people here. They just created a, 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 a great community. But I just love working here, doing this stuff. Uh, it's, I mean, you know, I don't get, we don't get paid for any of this. It's just fun. You know, we're meeting a lot of good friends. They're all great guys. Uh, I just want to thank Scott and Chris and how long it is to come on. And... Everybody else that's involved that has been so welcoming and congratulations on 500 episodes. Let's, uh, I'm hoping around 500 more. I was told there'd be cake. Anyway, this is Brian Hughes. This is Tim Elliott. And, uh, thanks to the Choo Choo Freaks for everything. Hi guys, this is Sarah from Mindless Dribble with Scott and Sarah. Scott's not here. I stole the microphone, so I get a chance to talk this time. 500 shows. Congratulations. That is awesome. It all started for me a couple of months ago with a garage sale gloat and a no consoles for old men, and it opened up a whole world of podcasts for me to listen to. Storytellers, Walking Dead Wednesdays, Commentary Monthly Mondays, Back to the Bins. Thank God I work nights because I'm bleary-eyed listening to all the great stuff you guys have on. 500 shows. Here's to 500 more. Congratulations, and well done. Express Smell that? Podcasting, son. Nothing else in the world smells like that. I love the smell of podcasting in the morning. You know, one time we were on Skype for 12 hours. It was all over. I got up, didn't find anything. Not one minute of unusable material. The smell, you know that? Sweat and snack smell. Whole room. It smelled like... Victory. Someday my show's gonna end. In Country. Covering every issue of Marvel Comics The Nom. Every two weeks at com. Hey, Paul, what's up? Hey, Bill, how's everything been? Oh, oh, crazy, just crazy. I had to take Comet to the vet. He was really hurting. I think he's uh, slipping. Uh, he's not getting traction on, on the new floor I put down a few months ago, and I think he slipped and he hurt his back. Ooh. Yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah, so I took him to the vet, and they x-rayed him, and nothing's broken. Um... They they think that they think that it's his muscles or the soft tissue or something. Is there anything they can do for that? Well, they gave me two weeks of pain pills for him, and then they want to see how he is. Um, hey, what do you think pets think about when they're on pain meds? 
Tampa. Shit. I'm still only in Tampa. Every time I think I'm gonna wake up back in the barn, I'm here a week now, waiting for a mission, getting softer. Your mission is to proceed up the Hillsborough River in a Navy patrol boat. Pick up Dr. Bill's path at Pasco, follow it, and learn what you can along the way. When you find the doctor, infiltrate his household by whatever means available, and terminate the doctor's command. Terminate the doctor? Terminate with extreme prejudice. You understand, Alvin, that, that this mission does not exist, nor will it ever exist. to Dr. Bill Comet. Hey, Alvin, you you don't talk to the doctor. You listen to him. The man's enlarged my mind. He's a poet podcaster in the classic sense. I mean, sometimes he'll, uh, well, you'll bark at him, right? And he'll just walk right by you and he won't even pet you. And suddenly he'll grab you by the ears. And he'll throw you on the couch and say, did you know that God spelled backwards as dog? If you can keep your head when all about you, others are losing theirs or blaming it on you. If you can only trust yourself when all dogs doubt you. I mean, I mean, I can't. I'm a little dog. I'm a little dog. He's a great dog. He's got plans for you. No, I'm not going to help you. You're going to help him, cat. You're going to help him. I mean, what are they going to say when he's gone? Because he dies when it dies. When it dies, he dies. What are they going to say about him? He was a fat man. He was a jolly man. He had plans. He had the beatus. Bullshit, man. And I'm going to be the one that's going to set them straight? Look at me. Look at me. Wrong. You. Did they say why, Alvin, they want to terminate my podcasts? I was sent on a classified mission, sir. It's no longer classified, is it? Did they tell you? They told me that you had gone totally insane and that your methods were unsound. Are my methods unsound? I don't see any method at all, sir. I expected a pet like you. What did you expect? Are you an assassin? I'm a soldier. You're neither. You're an errand cat sent by podcast producers to collect a bill.
I worry that Ben might not understand what I've tried to be. And if I were to be killed, Alvin, I'd want someone to go into the house and tell my son everything. Everything I podcasted. Everything you heard. Because there's nothing I detest more than the loss of a funny bit. And if you understand me, Alvin, you will do this for me. They were gonna make me a major for this, and I wasn't even in their fucking network anymore. Everybody wanted me to do it, and most of all, I felt like he was up there, waiting for me to take the mic away. He just wanted to go out like a podcaster, sitting down, not like some poor, wasted, ragged, renegade. Even the internet wanted him dead. And that's who he really took his orders from anyway. The pins. The pins. The following preview has been approved for absolutely no one. For Dick Dragon Kung Fu Fucker. Dick Dragon Kung Fu Fucker. In the high stakes world of Kung Fu Fuckery, there is only one man with the power to save the day Dick Dragon Kung Fu Fucker. Witness Dick Dragon battle the world of international crime as he faces off against the nefarious Kung Fuligans and their leader, the vile Mr. Hitler Fucker. Behold the awesome thrills as Dick Dragon escapes from the terror of the two-ton boulders. Fucker. You murdering bastard, you! Be there as Dick Dragon chops his way through the hell of the barking tree ninjas. Fucker. You idiot! All right, you can die now. See Dick Dragon wrestle his way out of the torment of the hairless bears. Fucker. Gaze upon the helpless females crying out and begging for Dick to save them from the certain doom of the Divergination Station, the stronghold of the Kung Fuligans. Fucker. Feel the power as Dick Dragon works his way through the totally warped, angry tower. Fucker. Explore Dick's intellectual side as he performs the winter of our discontent monologue from Shakespeare's Richard III. Fucker. Starring Clem Manhunter as Dick Dragon. Oh, Chicky Dimmy. Ricardo Lazardo. Pino Lazardo. Dimanzadrella Damanzo. Donna Parmigiano. Tito Damanzo. Germaine Damanzo. Aurora Chestafori. Labia Extendra. Three-time world champion, Gaffa champion, Tony Chang. Oh, you got the wrong man. Tanzino Big Booty. Vincenzo DeSalvo. Tortellini Vermicelli. 
Michaela Gnocchi. What do you want? Franco Nero as Mr. Hitler, with O.J. Simpson as Juice Lee, and Polly Spataro as Moak. That's right, this is the dick you've been waiting for. In 2016, watch dick explode onto screens. Go see Dick Dragon Kung Fu Fucker. Fucker. Dick Dragon Kung Fu Fucker. Fucker. Dick Dragon Kung Fu Fucker is a demise of Kung Fu Films presentation. Milan Italy, all rights reserved. Another thing about, you know, okay, we've reached our milestone of 500, but sort of it's, I, I like the timing and, and of when we've, we've finally gotten to record this episode because I mean, really the, the, um, the last episode we, we did that came out about a month ago was just pre, we just, we knew it, speaking of last second, we knew we had to get something out. Oh, yeah. Before the Force Awakens, talking about how we felt leading up to it, what we expected, and all that. So we got that out, and now here it is, just about a month month after the movie's been out. And uh, really, I mean, if you want to boil it right down to being in episode 500 of Two True Freaks right now, we would not be here if it was not for the original Star Wars, probably. Although who knows, we might have been trading Star Trek toys or something like that, but we definitely met over an interest in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. We definitely met each other over like we were both like just a little little bit way more into Star Wars than everybody else was, and uh, you know back in oh geez I can't even remember what grade it was. I was in Mr. Burkhart's fourth. class, fourth grade. That was fourth grade. Yeah, we were both in the same class. And uh, here it is, you know, 30-some years later. You know, the, this is a year of Scott. Ironically, also, this is a year of Scott's in my 30th uh, um, an- anniversary from graduating high school. Yeah. And uh, and there's a new Star Wars movie out. It's, it's amazing. And right about the time of our five, 500th episode. So now we've both seen it, and I guess yep. it's. I have been. I've I've had a hard time, and I did have a lengthy. Um, I I don't want to call it a rebuttal, but a response to Trentus Magnus's review of the movie, and he did his in a vacuum without listening to anything, any reviews or anything, before going to the movie, so he could do his honest opinion, and. Uh, so I, I I made a massively long post, you know, just responding to some of the things that he said, 
But otherwise, I've been trying to keep myself vague online. I know you, you, uh, I was so relieved after the movie came out and you came out and gave you just sort of cryptic, you know, here's what I thought about it. It was just a nice, it was a really nicely written post, really well thought out. Well, thank you. And, uh, and then I was like, okay, good. Now I can say, you know, okay, I liked it. I didn't like it on, on the post. And then, you know, and then we can simmer for a while. But I've been chomping at the bit and holding myself <laughs> back online and just generally, you know, keeping it bottled. I got to keep it bottled up anyway because most people don't really care to talk about it as much. I got a couple coworkers who are really into the movie as, you know, into science fiction and stuff that I work with and get to talk theories and and stuff like that. But uh, not to the not to the level of the conversation I will be having about this with you. And I've been really looking forward to it because I have listened and YouTubed and listened to podcasts and read a lot of other people's response to the movie. And I find outside of our circle of, you know, podcast friends and stuff, most of the stuff I see about it is somebody trying to get attention either right. by, by loving it too much or hating it too much or, you know, just being ridiculous, you know, here's a thousand reasons why you should hate the movie and it's, and they're very, you know, just poorly written stuff, clickbait stuff. Right. And then I'll, and then I'll listen to conversations that are, are decent conversations, but I'm, I'm, uh, I've just been waiting for you and I to, and, and we've discussed how we were going to approach this movie. And I think we'll sort of talk about our 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 viewing experience of seeing it in the movie theater because you've only seen it once right you've just got just, the, yeah, just the once yeah. once i've seen it twice in the theater and um let's just say i've played it bun- uh, back a bunch of times in my head since then <laughs> but I've, I've 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 done some scrutiny on it but um We'll, we'll sort of discuss, you know, our emotional feelings on on the movie and then, you know, good or bad, we're, we're going to take this sucker and, and flop it down on the table and start chopping it. So right off the bat, spoilers all up and down. It's been a month. Oh, you yeah. shouldn't need yeah. this. You, if you haven't seen it by now, don't have a lot of pity for you or but, you know, I, I, I can I know some people have had have a hard time getting to the movie so spoiler alert wait till you see the movie before you listen to our uh our uh <laughs> whatever we're gonna do about it but uh all right shall we begin yeah um uh, before we get into it uh too much i, I want to throw out a, a recommendation um i've only listened to uh really only one other show uh, uh talking you know specifically about the new movie uh listen to it today as a matter of fact i listened to it on my drive to and from work oh i saw the post about that yeah because I, I, I was very curious about it um and uh i kind of cheated because i've been listening through all of their episodes trying to get caught up to the current episode and i actually cheated and i because of the show because i knew you and i were going to be sitting down and talking about this tonight I actually skipped ahead three or four episodes in order to listen to this one today because, again, I, I really wanted to hear it. 
Um, and that is Star Wars in character. If you have not heard their review episode for Force Awakens, I would highly recommend it because I loved it. I thought it was really good. And the reason I loved it is that I thought it was very well balanced. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it by telling you who had what opinion, but here's basically how it boils down. You have two guys that absolutely loved it. You had one guy that was kind of, eh, you know, it was, it, I, I liked it, but, and then you had one guy that was pretty much like, nope. just didn't work for me at all. And I liked that. I yeah. thought that was a really nice and balanced, and it was natural. That it wasn't covers focused, about the whole a, spectrum, you know, yeah, the realistic and, and, spectrum. And it wasn't anybody grandstanding. It wasn't anybody being a contrarian or anything like that. It wasn't anybody giving it undue praise. It was like these were the honest opinions, and they just happened to work out to where they covered all the bases. And I thought that was really good. And they had some great discussion, so I would highly recommend That's That's the one reason I haven't listened to it yet, because I did not want to be influenced by it because those guys I sort of trust to be at the level of our discussion. So I don't right. didn't, didn't, didn't want to like, I'll be curious to see how much stuff we, we, we say in, in common. Well, you know, I can't it, wait to listen to it actually. Normally I, I avoid for that specific reason is that I don't want to ever be accused of stealing things from anybody else. And I didn't want to be influenced, but in this specific instance, a lot of what it was is I wanted to see what is the word I'm looking for? Kind of uh, not justification, but um, damn, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use, but kind of back up for some of the, the, the thoughts, thoughts that you've had. Yeah. You know what I mean? To see is this just me or is other people seeing this too kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, well, and, and I felt like I got that. I, I, I think when we, when, yeah, when we're done with our, with our like movie going experience, yeah, we should just break it down into the. Really, you can break it down into the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know. Right. Right. And 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 uh, it it'll be interesting. I don't want to go into it too much because it'll come out as we we go along. Of, of right. But I, I can separate <laughs> my viewing experience and the movie and pull out the 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 bad and the good. That's for sure, including the bad. So your first viewing, what what day was it? Thursday, opening day. Um, we didn't see the very the very earliest showing we could have caught was a 3D, and all three of us were pretty much of the mind that we wanted to see 2D. So we saw the earliest 2D showing, which was like at 8:20. And uh, I got to tell you, I was in a grumpy mood when I got there, and uh, I mean I. I rightfully so it was it was days after sean engel's death so that was hanging over everybody's head mm -hmm. and and they started seating i think at six o'clock and we were like yeah we better get there you know when they start seating so we could so we're not like so we can sit together and you know we can get a decent seat turns out it was not necessary at all it was, you know, we walked into the theater and like uh, for the for the two hours before the showing, the theater was pretty much empty until 15, 20 minutes before the show. And then everybody crowded in. So we had great seats. But I was like, I I'm usually the easygoing guy. Scott McGregor is the guy who'll get like annoyed with people in, in public. And I'll be like, hey, come on, man. 
we got and and we got there and we had we obviously had a lot of time to waste and so we're in line for our popcorn who cares how long it takes we got two hours to waste and i'm sitting there watching the and you know the the vendors and they obviously are like it's star wars opening night we're gonna have extra people working here they got grandpa working and he's like working up a sweat you know looking like he's going into heart attack land but even then they can't fucking get their thumbs out of their asses you know they're and every every transaction is like oh but don't you think you'd rather have the blah 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 combo and then the people go like oh let me think about that and you know and and i was just <laughs> sitting there getting front like god damn this place is fucking incompetent i always forget about how incompetent and i realized you know, I'm getting, you know, I was, I was going into this movie kind of ready to rip it apart, you know, or, or like I was getting really, I was sort of getting probably the way I imagine you were feeling, but all crunched in at once, you know, at the last second where I was like going like, oh, fucking please don't be into darkness, you know, please, if that happens, it's, you know, if, if Into Darkness happens right now and I'm in a Star Wars movie going like, God, you know, I'm not, it's not going to sit well with me. And, you know, and that wasn't consciously what I was thinking, but now I know that's what was going on in my head. And, you know, we're sitting there and watching the, the trailers and it was a pretty, um, you know, the only real big trailer of note was the, the Civil War trailer. And then there was a cute Disney animated one that was really good. But, you know, the audience was wired. And when the Lucasfilm and they just sort of dropped Lucasfilm came right up. You know, I was not expecting it. I was expecting a few more trailers. I think everybody was. And all of a sudden it was just starting, you know, and it's the standard a long time ago. The music happens and the and you feel the and the crowd goes. Bah! And. You know, at that point, I'm thinking to myself, you know, all right, Sean, <laughs> we're watching a Star Wars movie, you know, and then I see, um, you know, Luke Skywalker has disappeared on the crawl and and started reading, you know, like this simple crawl saying, you know, Princess Leia is looking for him and she sent someone out to get a map and... They're talking to an old, you know, an old comrade or, you know, an old ally or whatever. And the tears just started rolling down my face. I was like, oh, thank God. This is this is right. You know, and that first scene with Max von Sydow was reminiscent of um, like, I, I would say more Raiders than anything else with the color and stuff. But it just felt like a star. It felt like a Star Wars movie to me. The way the actors, the flow of everything, and from that moment on, I was on the ride. You know, that I there were things that stuck in my craw through it, but that they were, you know, boom! I was onto something else, and I laughed. I cried. I was hanging on every plot point. I gasped when, you know, the Han Solo scene along with the rest of the crowd, even though Stevie Wonder could have seen what was going to happen there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I cried in that movie. 
and uh, it just like just you know tears flowing down my face. It felt like a Star Wars movie. I sort of felt like a combination of when I saw Star Wars the first time mixed with Jedi, <laughs> but I was I was nine years old and on that visceral level, when I came out of the theater, I was just so happy that it had succeeded in doing that, that I was, you know, forgiving of everything, but I had noted all the things that I didn't like, but needed further viewings to be like, okay, you know, some of those things got dissipated because I picked up lines that I didn't hear before that go, okay, that makes, that makes sense. And that makes that make sense. But like a lot of my major um, complaints with it remain, you know, <laughs> on subsequent viewings. It's just like, nope, there it's there. It's a complaint. But as far as Star and like my Star Wars feelings right now, I could not. I don't think that they could have done a better job than than what they did. They, I mean, they they could have done a better job as far as each person's individual taste. There's a lot of people who could could say, I wanted more of this, I wanted more of this, I don't like this, I wish this wasn't in here, I wish this w was more like this, I wish this was less like this. But there's, you know, I mean, I don't know how many Star Wars fans there are in the world, you know, t hundreds of millions. So to in order, as far as like, to do what Disney had to do, it did it in spades, um, you know. But that that all is that's all really good for Disney. On the other hand, I'm 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 sort of like with you, where we didn't need it, but it's but it's going to happen, and I'm optimistic for Star Wars going forward. I'm not a hundred. I'm not like all right, they're probably going to knock it out of the park like Marvel, but I'm optimistic that Star Wars is not going to be an like an alien entity to me, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, it's going to it's going to be Star Wars and judging from the kids that were at that movie and the people I know that have kids that took them to their move to the movie, uh, I I know one woman, she's got two kids. One kid is a fucking spaz. You can't get him to sit still for anything, you know. You take him to the movies and he's got his shirt off and he's running up and down the aisles. And he was, she said he was transfixed for, you know, the entire movie. Wasn't, didn't ask a question, was just like, boom, glued to the screen. And both of her kids were just like, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And that's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> so all that being said... I, you know, I will always have that, that experience of seeing it. And on the second viewing of it in the theater, I still enjoyed the hell out of it and there, you know, caught some new things. And the most telling part was in between the first and the second viewing, I was sitting at home, not really sure when I was going to see it next, but knowing, you know, probably within the next week I got scott mcgregor next door and he's itching to see it too so you know there's two of us you, you know somebody's gonna be like hey we can go today to a matinee um but i wanted to like 
check out some sequences that I saw. And like, I wanted to like see some of the things that I saw before and I couldn't. (laughs) And all of a sudden I was a nine year old kid again, you know, stumped. And it's like, I want to check. I want to see that part again, but I can't, I can't just watch it. And I, and I'm used to like immediately being able to watch it and, I went looking for a bootleg of it and there wasn't even a bootleg. There was just an audio recording that somebody had made with their tape deck. And I downloaded that and, and I was like, Oh my God, I'm like, I'm a kid again, like listening to it and playing the visual in my head. You know what I really wanted to see is I wanted to see that vulture creature that was pecking the piece of metal. (laughs) I don't know why there's this like one little cutaway scene on, Jakku, and and I, I wanted to check out that creature again to see if it was CG or a puppet. I think it was a puppet. But, uh, yeah, it, it took me back to nine years old. Um, subsequent viewings, I'm not nine years old again, so I'm ready to, uh, I'm ready to, uh, get the scalpel out. I'm, now I, I'm, I'm just, I'm way more interested in your, your point of view of it, and, uh, I I wouldn't mind if you sort of if you sort of use the same metaphor that you used on Facebook, because I thought that was a, a br- brilliant. It made a lot of sense. I, well, uh, the thing was too is that uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, but that was, you know, a full day after the you know after the movie had been out after I had seen it because I I had to process you know I had to process for like a day to uh to figure it out i know there's a way that you... <laughs> when we were walking out of the movie scotty's like well and i'm like i'm processing man <laughs> i'm processing so yeah. fast right now i can't tell you what what i'm thinking well i was the same way you know we walked out of our showing and uh and you know i went to see it with with my wife and with logan and you know both of them of course you know they're they're, you know, huge grins and huge smiles and, and everything. And they're both looking at me. And it was one of these things of, well, Come well, on, well, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It was, you know, so what did you think? Well, and um, and I just had to do the, you know, the computer uh, hold, please processing, you know. <laughs> so, you know, that was a lot of it, too. But all right. So here's what I here's what I posted on Facebook. I was kind of hoping that you would ask me. Uh, oh, good. To, because I was actually rather proud of it. I, I was afraid I might be putting you on the spot with that too. So no, not at all. I just I wish I had it queued up earlier, but here it is now. I've got it in front of me now. So <clears throat> I'll, uh, I'll I'll do. Scott does a dramatic reading. But here, <laughs> this this was my thought. I mean, this this is still largely the way I feel about it, you know. But this was my uh, my thoughts twenty four hours after seeing the movie and, and having a chance to process for a full day. So. This is what I wrote. Star Wars The Force Awakens didn't make me feel like I was nine years old again. It did, however, make me feel like I came home to find a nine-year-old in my den playing with my beloved vintage Star Wars toys. Particularly when I realized the nine-year-old was that annoying, not-too-bright kid from down the street that I can't stand and would never have invited into my house in the first place. But hey, the kid's got good taste. He likes Star Wars, and he promises not to hurt any of the toys this time. So I give him a chance and decide to see how he plays. 
He starts his story with the right toy. At least he goes right for the Star Destroyer. Kid knows how to kick off an adventure. Unexpectedly, I find myself intrigued by where his story is going. And despite the fact that his story is clunky and derivative and juvenile and not at all the way I would have done it, it's also strangely compelling. After a time, a weird thing happens. I find myself down on the floor playing with him. I'm not sure exactly when it happened. I don't remember getting down there and picking up the toys and joining in, but suddenly I realize that I'm zipping X-Wings around and going whoosh and firing laser pistols with a pew pew as well. Now, in fairness, a couple of times I am seriously tempted to snatch up all the toys and go, no, damn it, you're not doing it right. But those are, for the most part, fleeting moments. His sillier ideas and constant references—I should emphasize that—constant references back to things from the original movies get old and wear thin very quickly. But he is only nine years old after all. I'm cutting the kids some serious slack here, particularly when he can't figure out how to end the story properly. He doesn't quite understand all the nuances 100% either, but, and this is the funny part, we ultimately have a pretty decent time together. I, I don't know that I'm in a hurry to give him, you know, to have him back, but have to admit somewhat guiltily that uh, it was kind of fun while it lasted. Dumb fun? Absolutely. But yeah, it was all right. I do still wish he hadn't busted all my Star Trek toys, though. And that's what I wrote. And that <laughs> I put a lot of thought into that. Yeah, I thought that was a great post. Thanks. That's what. That's how people need to post on Facebook instead of just. <laughs> I got reposting some really good something. responses to it, which I really appreciated. You know, nobody took me to task. Nobody ripped me to pieces. Um, I tell you, the most. I think they were all afraid that you were going to be like. It sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, and that would have like, I, I wish it wouldn't rain on people's parades. I was like, I was fully, pr when I was when, like, when I, actually I wasn't putting any thought into like, oh, Scott's not going to like this when I was watching it. Cause I honestly, I was sucked. I was sucked in to a level that I haven't been sucked into a movie in 30 years. So I wasn't thinking about stuff like that until after the movie. And I was thinking, eh, this could go either way. <laughs> it well, could here's, definitely here's go either thing. way. I, I, had, I had kind of accepted the fact that this might be the way it plays out. I was not expecting to enjoy the movie. I'll, I'll just be completely honest about that. And I think that some of my detractors, I think that they think I want to hate, you know, like right. I go into these things wanting to hate things and tear them down. And and that is that could not be further from the truth. I, I wanted to go in and love it. I didn't, but I expected to hate it and I didn't. So I'm chalking this one up in the win column. You know, I yeah. have issues with it, but at the end of the day, you know, I did have fun. I, I did have a good time. Did it feel Here, like a, did it feel like a Star Wars movie to you? No, no, it really. Because I mean, to it me, felt like a hundred percent did. No. That was a, what did it for me. I think it it felt like a J.J. Abrams movie to me. You know, so no, it didn't quite feel Star Wars, but 
here's the thing, and I find myself in the very weird and unenviable position of defending the guy, but I could tell he was trying in a way that I never felt with Star Trek. With Star Trek, I felt like he was just what whatever the hell he was doing. No, this was a this was a human try. This was he really wanted to do right by Star Wars. And I mean, he really wanted to do right by Star Wars and put, I I mean, there was a lot of thought put into this to get it the way it is. I'm saying to get it right, but to get it the way it was, they put a lot of thought into it and the decisions they made, some good, some bad, they succeeded. You know, they did, they captured the, the lightning in a bottle, if not for, for everybody for uh, enough people to well i mean it's just knocked avatar out you know it's it's gonna make it's you know it's whatever 93 percent on rotten tomatoes so it knocked it out of the park you know which is it kind of needed to do so you know i mean we've we've gone beyond the like do we need it do we want it it's here it's here yeah and and they they did i mean really you and i are the on the on the way out it's the it's the nine years nine-year-olds did the nine-year-olds love it and they did and here's the thing before we get too much more into it i I had a couple things but this this is really important to me and i want to make sure i don't forget to say this before we get further into it so i was telling you before about that uh the star wars and character episode and I wasn't going to give names, but I can't really say this without giving names. So here's the thing. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Matt listens to us. Uh, Matt Hunsworth from Star Wars and Character. Hi, Matt. Hey, Matt. Um, Matt, if you're listening, here's the thing. That, and I'm really serious about this. So the the guy on the show that was... I'm trying to think of a polite way to put it. It was kind of the dissenting opinion. The guy that essentially just the film didn't work for him. Um, His name is Dave. And it's weird. Um, I consider myself a friend of his and I I hope he considers me a friend, but we don't really know each other. You know what I mean? We don't know each other very well. We've only communicated a few times. It's one of those like, you know, we've talked about this before, that sort of false sense of intimacy that you get, you know, from listening to somebody in a podcast. You know, you feel like you know them, even though they don't really know you and you don't really know them. But we have communicated a little bit here and there. And right before the movie came out, um, I communicated with him. And it was one of those things where I was just kind of putting it out there like, you know, I respect you know, your feelings and I respect basically it took a lot of guts for him well before the movie came out to speak up and say, I'm not really cool with this movie and I don't think I'm going to like it. Now he did preface it by saying, you know, he he thought he was going to keep an open mind and all that. But at the end of the day, um, his feelings about going into this movie were very much the feelings that I myself had. But here's the thing. You know, and and this goes, you know, well back, you know, here we are in our 500th episode of Two True Freaks and kind of reminiscing. This goes right back to the beginning of our show. I know what it's like to be that guy where something comes out and the entire world goes apeshit for it and thinks it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And you're that one dipshit out there that's going, nope, it sucked. 
And so I just want to say, I really feel for Dave because Dave has got the guts to stand up and give his honest opinion about the movie. And his honest opinion is it didn't really do it for him. And so I just want to put the call out that I know that we have a lot of our listeners are also their listeners. And I just want to say, be nice to Dave. It's a, cut, it's cut a tough Dave opinion. Slack, all right? It's a it's tough his opinion, opinion to hold. Exactly. And so don't give him shit. It's his opinion. So respect it. You don't have to agree with him. But at the same rate, please don't. It's. I, I guess what I'm trying to say, and I know this sounds really weird, but don't treat Dave the way I was treated back in the day over the whole Dark Knight thing. Because I'm telling you right now. And when you say Dave, it, it can mean any number of people, too, that have that opinion. Right. But the problem with the negative opinion on the movie that I think makes it more harder to hold than a positive opinion is, is there's a lot more people... <clears throat> In, who gave negative opinions to do it as contrarians. I said, okay, 93 right. on the tomato meter, they're going to read my article because I said it sucked. you know. So then if you honestly didn't like the movie, you're, you're going to have those people who did like the movie who are going to say, oh, you're just not liking it. Right. Go against the grain. And how much of that being we, a hipster? How much of that did we hear when we when we Dark did Night. our Dark Knight yeah. episode? We heard a lot of that. Oh, you, you get, guys are just, you know, and you're part being of hipsters. That, you're being fanboys. You're, you know, you well, part of that, too, is we were new and we got accused by a number. I can remember there were some veteran podcasters that accused us of that. They said. Oh, you guys are just trying to drum up numbers for your new show by taking a contrarian attitude and, to the and, greatest and, movie that's ever been and, made. And the I'm funny like, thing is, uh, we were worrying our asses off about not liking it, <laughs> putting out an episode yeah. not liking it. We were all just like, eh, do we want to be negative? Uh, are people going people are gonna to hate us? And so, To this day, that's still one of those things that I am strongly... Well divided over because you know i was tempted when we were doing our little reminisces about you know episodes and all to ask you know do do you have any regrets on the show and that's one of those ones to this day i still am on the fence as to whether i regret that episode because on the one hand i regret everything that came out of it as far as the negativity but on the other hand i respect the fact that we were able to stand up and we were true to ourselves. We didn't just follow the crowd. We said what we really feel. And I still stand by my statement as derided as it was. I still stand by the fact that no, we were right. Well, you know, over time it's become less of a scandalous opinion. Too. This is true. This we've, is very we've, true. We've heard more and more people who've, who've started echoing that. So, you know, I, that's that's another advantage of podcasting over the long term is sometimes if you can sometimes if you have an opinion that's out there over time, other people will pick up either pick up on it or agree with you or right. whatever. And, and another side effect of the and I think that caused a lot of disappointment for people is I think the negative dark night, they thought we were going to make a specialty of being <laughs> negative. Right, yeah. And sort of expected us to be ripping stuff apart after that. So, right. You know, and but, I mean there were a lot of people that were just like, "Wait, what the hell? You 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 rip up the Dark Knight yet you guys are talking nice about the prequels, <laughs> you know?" Right. So, it, oh, yeah, we got a lot of that. Well, there was that one asshole on uh, on the Zara band there that said uh 
something really snotty like, oh, these guys hated Dark Knight but loved Superman Return, which was not true, by the way. But that's what the, this was what was said. Right, right. So we how hated can we trust Knight, your opinion? But we loved uh, Superman Return, so that tells you everything you need to know about uh, them. Hey, hey, as far as an opinion goes, who cares if they tr – why do they need to trust your opinion? It's just right. like you just – I'm just curious to find out what people's opinions are and why. I don't need a trustworthy right. – opinion unless it comes to like that weird growth on my neck or something you know what i mean right but no I, I i didn't mean to divert us into that because i really do want to talk about this movie and i know you're itching right. to us but i really just i wanted to put that out there because believe me i i feel for dave i i know exactly what what place he is in right now because i've been in that place through several franchises now and it's not a good place I remember so, being in the car going like to Scott McGregor and to Sarah and going, there's going to be a shit storm over this, but I can totally, I, I can totally see the logic of all sides of that shit storm at this point, you know? As you may recall, and I'm sure you do, because I remember you being really surprised by this. I had no plans to see the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my, my loosey goosey plan was to just catch it eventually, you know, and I did want to see it. Theatrically, don't get me wrong. It wasn't one of these things where I was like, ah, I'll wait for the Blu-ray or whatever. I did intend to see it theatrically, but... Well, you made it sound to me like, eh, it might be a week or two, but I'll see right. it, you know? Yeah, but that, that was kind of the plan was, you know, the, the, the plan non-plan was to catch it eventually, but I was in no hurry. And then it really was a, it was a combination of a couple of things. Um... For one, my, my wife had told me something about, you know, that she was pretty sure that Logan really wanted to see the movie. So that was kind of a bug in my ear. But I tell you that the two biggest influences were Sean Engel's death really hit me a lot harder than. Uh, um, well, that's I don't know if that's the right way to put it. I mean, you know, right. time you lose a friend, you know what I mean? But I mean, it really it really hit me. It really hit me hard, and uh, I gotta tell you, it's a month a month away, and I still, oh yeah, have points where it stops me dead in my tracks. Yeah, it really, yeah, it really hit me, and somebody, I think you made me aware of something I had not seen someone else post, but it was something to the effect someone posted something about, damn, you know, now he'll never get to see the new Star Wars movie. That was that was that was me. I when I heard it happened, I I like. I was at home at my computer and, you know, what I didn't know what to do. You know, I, 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 I went over to the Facebook page and, and, um, Paul had posted it and I just sort of stumbled downstairs and, and told my roommate, you know, well, my friend Sean just died and she just said, Oh my God, it was only two days away from star star Wars too. And, he right, yeah. and, that's when I was just like I had to turn around and go upstairs because I was that's when I just started crying. I was just like, oh my god! And I just started thinking about that, and and then like part of my brain's going like, that's a selfish thought, you know, blah blah blah. But I, you know, all I could think was, oh, and and then I was on um, an IM with Paul, and I mean it was Paul Hero, and I at first, and we were all we didn't you know it was we didn't know what to do or say, and we were just like sort of consoling each other and I was telling that about what my roommate just said and Paul was just like that just froze the blood in my veins 
And right. That's exactly what it had done to me. That's it. He described exactly how I felt when she said it. It was just like, oh, my God. And that's when and it, it sounds stupid, but that's when it truly hit me that, you know, that what had happened and and. uh Yeah, and that was over everybody's head before the movie, you know. I mean, everybody was, it was, it's sort of, you know, there was excitement building up and then all of a sudden it's tempered with intense sadness and shock. Right, right. So, yeah, there was definitely that thought, you know, that, uh, you know, about Sean. And then, um, you know, these days uh, I'm typically off on Fridays, and so that Friday came along and I didn't have any plans. You know, there were, nothing was really happening. And I see, you know, and it started the night before, of course, because there were all those early showings on Thursday night. So, I, you know, basically for that, what was it? Probably a good like 72 hour period. You know, you could not go on social media because mm-hmm. it was just everything was Force Awakens. And that's when it really, it was that Friday morning is when it really hit me that, oh my God, there's a new Star Wars movie in the theater and everybody and their grandmother is viewing it and talking about it and excited about it. And I'm not a part of it. And it just really hit me how weird and it almost felt like wrong you know like what the hell is wrong with me you know there this is my this is my thing this is you know star wars and there's a new one there's something has been added to the story and and i'm completely detached and so it was really that combination of factors so i did some digging around um on the net and i called my wife at work and i'm like you want to go see that new Star Wars movie? And she's like, doesn't that come out today? She's like, you're never going to get tickets. And I'm like, well, uh, let me see what I can do. And, uh, you know, are you interested? And she's like, hey, I'll go see it. So the next thing I know, you know, I've got tickets in hand, which was not hard at all. No. Which really shocked me because I thought. Playing on so many screens. Yeah, that was you know. the thing. You know, our local theater here, you know, because we just went to the local theater. I wish I could have seen it at a really nice theater. But I mean, not that our local one's not nice, but I mean, it's nothing fancy. But our local theater here has, I don't know, 16 or 18 screens, something, maybe even more than that. But at least I'm, I'm going to say at least 16 screens. And I think all but two of the screens were playing Star Wars. Yeah, it was like in 20-minute increments. Probably. Yeah, so it was nuts. There was just a million showings of it. So I actually had no problem whatsoever securing tickets, which just shocked me because I figured, you know, I'd be waiting like a week before, you know, anything was available. But no, we we pretty much, you know, I I drove over there around lunchtime and picked up the tickets and came back to the house. And then like for the whole rest of the day, you know, I, I was like a sugared up kid bouncing off the walls. Can't, you know, I was like a kid waiting for Christmas. You know, I just couldn't wait until it was time to to go to the theater. So, you know, finally, you know, she gets off of work and comes home and, uh, and, you know, we pile in the car and we, we zip on over there. And that's when it actually finally, finally hit me 
that despite my completely lackluster reaction to that, you know, the stupid teaser and the, the and you know, trailers. trailers that just didn't grab me and, you know, the merchandise that I just, I'll be completely honest. I was, I was beginning to feel really annoyed with the movie more than anything else because I was just sick of the merchandising. I was sick of BB-8 and just all that stuff. But then all of a sudden, you know, that that drive, you know, and I mean, we live like literally around the corner from the mall, you know, so it takes us like five minutes to get to the movie theater, you know, but just that drive over and the walk in and, and you know, getting popcorn and sitting down in the theater, all of a sudden I realized, holy shit, I'm actually really excited for this movie, you know, so we watched all the trailers and it's funny because I know that there, it seemed like there was like 20 trailers and I'll be damned if the only one I can remember. And I, I remember two of them because one of them I suffered through. And then the other <laughs> one was, uh, was civil war, which um, that's truly the movie that I'm really jazzed about. I cannot wait for civil war, but then all of a sudden Lucasfilm comes up and I'm like, Ooh, what trailer is this? And the movie starts. So, um, I'm not disappointed, but I was a little bit shocked that rather than replace the Fox fanfare with something in a similar theme, yet Disney, that they just had nothing. That's probably the most prudent move. But I it thought still it was really a prudent move. It was weird. Yeah, exactly. It was weird. It was really weird. It was, I thought it was noted by many people around us and by Scott McGregor and I were like, whoa, just OK. All right. What I really expected them to do was one of two things. I figured that they would either do. Have you ever like seen like a like a movie or a TV show where they're playing music that is obviously a piece of music, but they've changed it just enough so that they don't. Yes. They don't get in any trouble yes. for using it. You know what I mean? Like yes. Jeopardy think music, you know? Yeah. They change it just enough so that it's not the Jeopardy there... think music, but obviously it's the Jeopardy yep. think music. I That's just saw a Clone Wars episode that had a Grandmaster Flash song in it where they changed two notes of the melody <laughs> on it. So I really thought there would either be that, and that's the thing I was actually most convinced would happen, is that there would be something like that just to evoke the feeling without actually saying 20th Century Fox. Or the other thing that I thought was really going to happen like is... the Tronified... Tron, yes. yes. It's, it's, God, you read my mind. That there would be a Star That's Wars-ified... totally what Cassidy. I thought. I thought we'd and, see like some sort of like, like Disney with the Lucasfilm colors or, you know, where the, where the, the castle looked like, you know, the an imperial base or, or yeah something yeah like that exactly that yeah, yeah. which i actually could have gotten into but i understand why they didn't and this is a weird thing for me to admit but as a as a major disney fan if the reaction wouldn't have been positive then i'm glad that they didn't because i would have liked it but then, you know, I'm going to live the rest of my life hearing everybody else bitch and complain about it. So, And, and it would have put it, in the head even more that this is a Disney movie. Right. And people would have been like, oh, and I think they, they tried very hard to make it not feel like a Disney-fied 
movie. I don't. Well, I it didn't feel it did not that. feel that I, Scott McGregor and I were having that conversation in the car going. Didn't feel like it felt like a Lucasfilm. The Disney aspects of it that felt like it were aspects that were native Disney feeling aspects to uh, Star Wars anyway, you know. Hmm. And less but, uh, so. There was no Ewoks in it, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> but, you know, the, so the lights go down and, and the movie actually starts and where I where it generated its biggest goodwill right out of the shoot for me is that it did the one thing that and I have to be careful how I want to say this because there's something I really want to talk about later on before we're all wrapped up with this conversation. But it did the one thing that I had hoped for e each new prequel film that came out. There was one thing I wanted them to do that they never did. And that is, to me, a proper Star Wars movie begins with a Star Destroyer. And I understand, you know, my logical brain understands why The Phantom Menace can't begin with a Star Destroyer. Right. Could but start my out Star with a triangle Wars, of some sort, though. Right. But my Star Wars brain wants every Star Wars movie to start with a Star Destroyer because that, to me, is a proper Star Wars film. So this movie started with a Star Destroyer. And as soon as that Star Destroyer came on screen, I didn't cry. But suddenly, you felt I that feeling, though. Connected, yeah. Yeah. I, I, so there was that. Okay, I, we're off to a good start here. And I, I chalk a lot of that up to the John Williams music, and seeing a star destroyer and the the dark John Williams music, and then mm -hmm. it does that like, the, you know, musical touches when the ships start flying out of the star out of the side of the star destroyer. Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. By that time, I was like, I was, I was just laser focused and ready to go. I, I know we're gonna get into our, our thoughts and feelings, and I, I like your idea of doing a good, bad, and ugly. Um, but I, I, before we get into all that, I just want to be very clear. You know, wanted to love it, expected to hate it, and came out somewhere right smack in the middle. I did enjoy it. I did have a, a good time. Um, I thought it was fun. I have my issues with it. But here's the funny thing. The biggest reason, and I, I'm, I think I told you this the other day, the biggest reason I've only seen the movie once is that I really want to hang on to that feeling I had walking out of this movie. I want to hang on to that feeling of... That's why I was afraid going in the second that, time. I was yeah. like, is this going to fall apart now? <laughs> because I think for me personally, I think there is a huge possibility that second time around it's going to completely fall apart. Because here's the thing. Somewhere right when the movie started... And this was no, I made no conscious effort to do this. It just kind of happened organically on its own. But I basically, you know, I have two brains when it comes to things like this. I have the little nine-year-old in me screaming to get out that just wants a new Star Wars movie. And then I have that Star Wars nitpicker fan in me that wants things to be just so. And that guy 
got a bag thrown over his head and duct tape thrown over his mouth yep. and thrown into a closet and locked up yep. and not allowed to come out and watch the movie. He's coming, and out, I'm, but they always come out. <laughs> but I'm afraid that if I go see it a second time, he's going to get out. You well, know what I'm saying? Well, and that's, that's he's going to get thing. out no matter what. My, my opinion on that is, is, and it's kind of a dichotomy that doesn't make sense, but it does make sense to me. Is Star Wars the Star Wars formula is simple and complicated, and this movie is simple and co- the 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 elements of it that it gets right are simple elements. It's not easy to get them right, but when you get them right, it's a simple it's a simple thing, and uh, it's a it's a complicated brew because you have such a varied audience watching it, but. It's that simple thing of if you can play their emotions and get them to follow the story, it's it it it, it works, and the 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 things that work with it and the things that don't work are right out there on the surface. So like watching it again, just said made me you know I could find more things that I liked in the things that I liked, and maybe shore up a few of the continuity things that I didn't quite get the first time but the things about it that I really didn't like were still there and the things that I liked were still there and I mean it's one of those when you have one of those experiences in the movies where I was nine years old again I'm not going to have it again but it didn't fall apart the second time it just sort of it 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 stands on its it stands on its merits I, I in that regards I like inexperience wise it was very much like star wars but as far as star wars movie goes i put it closer to jedi whereas by the time jedi ha- you know star wars and empire were totally novel and new with a few elements in common because you had some of the same spaceships and characters and stuff but they were just sort of you know empire was not like star wars in a lot of ways and jedi was a combination of all that stuff. George Lucas was aware of the huge phenomena of it and the marketing, and it got a little self-referential and a little cheesy in, in points. And and I was a little older when I saw it and was able to see be like, oh, another Death Star, okay, that's kind of familiar, you know? So it was re- reminiscent of that. I, I You know, there's, there's people who are putting this ahead of Jedi, and I could not... I could, I could not see doing that, but I put it in the Jedi. I put it in. It feels like, um, it feels like it comes after Jedi. You know, it feels like it's in that Star Wars editing filming style enough of of Jedi to make it, but to to that. I, I guess it's that point of where Star Wars has become an original thing to this estab. It's, it's well in the established language of Star Wars. It's he speaks the language. He knows the visual language of it. What he says with the language of it, that's where we're going to get into the bad and the ugly, and some of the good. But it, it spoke the Star Wars language to me. You know the the wipes and and not just on a. And not just on a like, here's a triple. You like that? You know, although there were there were a couple mild 
Oh. Triple, you like that yeah. in this. But you have not seen Into Darkness, so you don't know how bad it can get. How, I mean, just how bad it can get. There was nothing like Into Darkness in this movie. That might have helped my, just the relief of seeing it might have helped to get me into it to the point. I mean, I gasped in surprise when Han Solo died. <laughs> I went, <gasps> you know, because I was just there. I was just following it. And uh, one of Trennis Magnus's complaints about it was the character of Finn. He was like, what did what use was he really in the movie? And he was and I think he was there to be to react emotionally like a kid would. You know, he's scared and desperate and and unexperienced with anything outside of being a stormtrooper. So he's, you know, begging with the droid to help him and, you know, and trying to get away. You know, he's reacting like a kid would. So he's a character that I think that the ki kids that George Lucas thought Jar Jar was going to be in episode one. He's sort of the Jar Jar of episode seven. Well, anyway, I'm getting ahead. Do you, you want to start out, start start dissecting sure all right let's start with the good what do you what do you think uh, is the the like the 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 stuff in it that's like the solid awesome awesomeness or the good stuff that that won you over well right out of the gate um i was thrilled that they totally stole my idea that mm -hmm. uh Han and Leia did not work out mm -hmm. and I really liked that. That made me very happy. They, you know, they it would be nice if they'd cut me, you know, a, a little check, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll you know, I'll take bragging rights, you know, at this point that works. And if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, go all the way back to the third episode of Two True Freaks all the way back in uh, late 2008 where uh I said that that's one of the things if they ever didn't, you got to remember this was long before there ever was even the, the glimmer of an episode seven on the horizon. And we just speculated, what if they ever did make an episode seven? And that's one of the things I said I wanted to see is that, you know, in the EU at that time, Han and Leia had long been married and, you know, they had twins mm -hmm. and then they had a, another child. So they had three kids and all this, you know, and they, they lived happily ever after. And I said, well, if they ever did make a movie and they didn't necessarily go the EU route, that wouldn't it be interesting if, uh, you know, Han Solo's off screwing around doing his own thing. And then suddenly he comes back and they're reunited after all these years. And, uh, and they hadn't worked out after Return of the Jedi. And damned if that's not the direction mm -hmm. that they went. And it so worked. I'm very proud of that. Yep. I think that's I think that's pretty cool, and I I really liked that. And it worked. And I noticed in a lot of the reviews, people were like, "I wouldn't have thought that's how it happened," but you know what? That makes perfect sense. And I'm like, "Yeah, you're goddamn right. It does." I would have liked a few posts out there from our listeners going, "Damn, two true freaks called that shit seven years ago." I'm just and I hoping if co one but that's okay i guess i'm just hoping if there's any lucasfilm people out there listening that you know <clears throat> story consultant jobs yeah, with the cushy story consultant jobs might be i'd advisable. be happy when it hits blu-ray to just you know throw our throw our names in there somewhere, <laughs> you know somewhere in the in the credits you know that fly by and you know those things that nobody ever reads or whatever just throw my name in there just so i can brag about that right. shit put our put our time. names on some rebel pilot's 
name tag on <laughs> right. get blown up or something i'll be happy um you know what i i didn't have this in my notes but you just reminded me of something that i wanted to throw out there i don't know what his name is or if he even has a name but i really liked seeing matt parkman from heroes and he's a bigger guy and all that so i kind of like to fantasize that maybe he's like porkin's son or something the guy looked like bill robinson <laughs> yeah yeah I, I don't oh that was mean i don't <laughs> i don't know what his character's name was but of course i know him as matt parkman from heroes yeah no he has he has the a actors. name he, he has a name i can't remember is what it, it porkins is. no it's he's not a porkins oh uh, i was just, really hoping that he was porkins's son or something he I might be but the, well no he would still be have porkins's name i don't know no he's not porkins's son but yeah i've been calling him porkins too that i mean when we were i've heard, yeah, I've heard other I people whacked scott gardner and i'm like look it's bill robinson porkins too electric oh uh, that's, that's so mean remember <laughs> i i i instantly went as soon as i was as soon as like you know there's a bootleg available because there's pictures on the internet so i just went on the internet and i just basically did an image search for son of porkins there somebody had clipped it and immediately um Photoshop some Funyuns and Diet Mountain Dew into it. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that. That was funny. I mean, the the opening crawl was the first was the good thing that like got me hooked in. I was um, really in, and I have I'm up and down on the writing of of his role, but um, Harrison Ford brought his A game. And upon first and and the first viewing of it, so, I was really? like, he was good, but like upon fur uh, uh, upon further and further viewings of it, he did, he was real good. Like, I, I like watching, um, on further viewings, the scene, um, when when Kylo Ren takes um, Ray and is loading her, you know, carrying her aboard the ship, and Han Solo lays eyes on him. And just look and just stares at him. I didn't notice it the first few times, but you can see his lips go together and he wants to yell out Ben. He wants to yell out his name. And he is pissed. Oh, he's pissed. And the more I watch his his performance, the more I'm thinking he know he's the guy who knows what he knows something that nobody else knows in in this uh, if he, it, it might be he knows who ray is it might be he knows where luke is it might be all the above it might be something we don't know he knows something and i think he also knows that he's a goner and that he's thinking maybe that might be the best thing since he's the only i i just picked up a lot from his his reactions with Ray and stuff. I just think Harrison Ford brought his A game. He did. He felt like Han Solo. He did not feel like a frail old man at at all. I, it, whether they caked the makeup on him and shot him up full of adrenaline or whatever they did, whatever he did to you know film them for ten seconds at a time, it felt it felt like Han Solo. It felt like he just slipped right into the role. Um, the big, uh, well, we'll get into the bad and to the bad aspects of it, but I thought Harrison Ford did 
I, I think the acting in general was one of the things that really brought the movie up. And it wasn't only just that the actors felt more natural, whether it was because J.J. Abrams is a good actor's director. He works well with actors, um, whether they were working with real sets and whether the editing of it was in his fat. So, like, there was, you know, there was as much space in between the dialogue. It rolled along like a like a movie, and you could tell that they brought Kasdan in to do certain dialogue. You could tell there was Kasdan dialogue, there was J.J. Abrams dialogue, um, but it it moved along, and everybody had was their was in character. You know, it didn't it didn't feel lumpy in any places. I think that really after after the level of acting and green screening in the prequels, it was just a, a shock <laughs> to be, to, to have like, to be laughing at, 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 at jokes on the screen, like naturally catching you off guard and making you go, ah, ha, ha, ha. And, and instead of being just like, Oh, that was kind of funny. Like the humor in, in the prequels. So that, that, that was a big strength for me. I don't know. What about, what about you? Are there any other, what other, uh, things can you think of um i immediately liked poe dameron i really liked that character i thought he was really uh charismatic he was a lot of fun he was very much the the new han solo in a lot of ways doesn't he was actually he was he was like a a combination of like han and and wedge and i really liked that the, the thing is, I, I wish he would step more into the limelight because essentially it, it seems like there's there's kind of a, a of a of a trying or, you know, like a damn it. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, you yeah, know, like, triumvirate the, with him. He. Poet, yeah, yeah, poet yeah. Ray. Ray yeah, poet, you know, like, uh, like with Star Trek, you it, know, it, it's Kirk, Spock, McCoy. That's yes. very much kind of the dynamic here. But my thing is, I very, very much want to see um, Finn and Poe flip flop, and I want to see because my, you know, in my bad column was not enough Poe. You know, I yeah. like this guy. Yeah, and he's I, in it at the beginning, he comes in and saves the day at the end, and then he's missing in like the entire middle of the film. I'm gonna skip ahead to to my number one ugly. I hate Finn hate that he sucks can we just get rid of him i mean is if i'm not mistaken isn't he like in a coma or something at the end of this one if he doesn't come out of it i'm cool with that i really don't like that character i can see where it's going with him with him is you're gonna have in it whether it's it's something we see maybe in the comics or in books but we'll see on the in between the two movies I, I think we're going to see Poe and Finn being like Poe and Finn and BB-8 being a adventure team, you know, and more probably in the movie realm, we'll see Ray and R2 and Chewie and, and Luke, you know, and they'll eventually get back together. Although it might not be the, the, the foreshadowing of Ray and Finn getting back together is not so good for either Finn or Ray if you take the if you take the and and I have not seen I've been saving this I have not seen people have been like you know they say this doesn't reference the prequels but here's 
prequel references. Here's a prequel reference that nobody's picked, seemed to pick up on when when uh, Finn is laying there in his in his coma. I'm assuming get probably getting ready to get plunked into a Bacta bath. That uh, she says, uh, you know, we'll 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 see each other again. I I feel that, or I I I I seem to know that, or something like that. But she says it exactly the way Anakin's mom says it. And they do see each other again, but it's at the last minute before one of them dies. So that if that's for if they're if that's a moment of foreshadowing or but you don't know because a lot of the references sort of work opposite of where they might have worked, you know, in the their original state. So it's hard to say. I I liked Finn. I I I thought he I I didn't think he really added much to the story but as the as the character that a 9-year-old will cling to he he formed that role. He was like the emotional person who's like what the hell is going on here? Everybody else sort of had their shit together more. He was a guy who's just like on some level there's a little get me out of here, you know. <laughs> I'm in I'm in way over my head. I just felt like one mistake that was made was that there was a miscasting. I felt like if you flip-flop the two actors and make make the actor who played Finn Poe and the oh. actor that played Poe Finn, I think that would have totally worked. Yeah. But I, I I just I frankly I just think they're they're pushing the wrong guy. I think they're, you know, with all the marketing and and the story itself and the film itself, I think that they're 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 pushing the wrong guy because the guy I found to be more interesting and uh, more charismatic and frankly, just a better actor was Poe Dameron, you know, a better character. And the guy that played Finn, he's a block of wood. I didn't find him charismatic and just about everything he did just really started to grate on my nerves. And, a lot of it was because he was being pushed on us for a number of reasons. And I just, I didn't really, I didn't really understand at the end of the day, what, what purpose does this character, I, I didn't feel a connection to him, which I'm big on that. When, when I'm going into a movie well, like because... this, I need to feel, I need to feel invested and connected and this was the one character I walked out of the film going, don't give a shit about this person. And so it makes him very easy to, you know, when he winds up in a coma at the end of the movie, I'm pretty much like, okay, and he doesn't have to come out of it as far See, as that, I'm concerned. So, so be, being in the in the nine year old mode, that's how I, I I must that's how I must have connected because I was just like the 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 scene when he looked at BB-8 and he's just like droid, please, you know, he's like begging the droid. It's that's not how an adult, although he's you know a you know, whatever. I mean, there's an explanation for everything. You can, you can explain, oh, he's a stormtrooper and that's all he knows and stuff. So he's very naive about the the rest of the universe or whatever. But, but that was because that, 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 that the emotion that he was showing there was like the emotion of a little kid. And as a little kid, that's sort of, I think they could connect to that as a, as a character who, adds to the story they tried to give him his character an arc but it, it, in 
far as the function of the story, it didn't, it, he didn't really add a lot, you know, it was interesting, you know, on some level to, to get a stormtrooper character for the first time and see That's things like stormtroopers bleed and, and all that. And okay, this guy well, had some sort of like, you know, um, well, it's not post-traumatic stress syndrome, but he had some sort of shell shock where, you know, in his first battle, he freaked out and was like freaked out. And I understood what they were saying with all of it, but it was awkward, you know. Well, they were going to do all that and they and they wanted to make us interested or invested or whatever. Why didn't they get um, and I can't believe I'm blanking on his name, but why didn't they get the kid that was that was Boba Fett in the prequels? Because he's probably old enough now to have pulled off this role. And that would have at least been a little bit more believable to me. But all of a sudden you've got this guy and it's like, where the hell does he come from? And in the logic of the, the universe, it doesn't make sense. Why would they? And I can see like, well, I have another genetic weird... drift or whatever in the clones. But all of a sudden, they, you know, they, they now they've changed races. What the hell was that all about? Well, no, no, but, they, well, they explained that it said, I almost regret that I said that because I don't want to turn this into a it, it's not about race. I, that's at the end of the well, day. That's not my complaint. My complaint is I think he's a shitty actor. Well, he. Oh, really? I, I, I mean, oh, you should see attack the block. He's great in attack the block. But here's one of the things. Here's one of the weird things I think about him is he's got a British accent, but he's got like a little, it's like a, it's a British accent, but it's not like a posh British accent. It's like from a, from a certain area type of thing. It's, it's a very nice musical accent and you've got Captain Phasma. She's got a British accent. So you could, I mean, in star Wars, a good amount of people can have accents, why did they why were they like okay you're going to speak american you know so you're going to change the way you speak like part of the appeal like when i watched attack the block was was his accent was very it was fun to listen to you know and he has a very expressive face there there i mean there's a lot of british act, actors going the american accent route but i just wondered why you know I mean, it, it's not out of place in Star Wars for him to have his natural. So they had to add a layer of artifice to his his role. You know, instantly you're talking American or whatever. And, you know, nowadays it's just the commercial thing of movies. And I mean, they had the two um, the. Um, oh, what what the hell were they they called the the. The two gangs that confront Solo, there was the Asian gang, and those two guys were from the the um, a martial arts movie that and are very popular in China as actors, and they're in there, Kanji Club. That was the name of it. They were in Kanji Club, and they're like, you know, and a lot of people who like martial arts movies love these guys. They don't have nothing to do in this. They just show up in this movie, run around and get eaten. And uh, but they're there. So in China, they're you know, they're right up there on the credits, you know, on the posters, because that's so, you know, it's it's a bit of let's appeal to the the China market. So that's a reality, especially of Disney these days. So that that was the most modern Disney aspect of of Star Wars this time. But at, at the same time. I bought all the characters as as uh, 
I'm I, I like Ray a lot more than a lot of a lot of people don't like Ray because they think she was too powerful. On further viewings, I have some theories on on that, but I just thought I think the actress was very charismatic. Is is ever they everybody meant it, and so that that gets through a lot of plot trouble, especially on you know just a, a superficial viewing of it, and uh, having. You know, I mean, the only character that I thought acting-wise was kind of rough was Carrie Fisher. And it was like, Carrie Fisher was the only... And, you, you know... All right, let's get in... Let's let's get into the bad. Well, wait, we... <laughs> or do you have more good? We barely, we barely scratched the surface of good. Oh, yeah, good. I kind of jumped oh, good. the gun, was... but it was... It was hard to to talk about. I was hoping. I, I was thinking I might have been giving you an out. Okay, good. No, I could come up with more good too. <laughs> no, I mean, um, one of the things was it, it, it did something that I desperately needed it to do in order to in order for me to care about the movie. One of the things I realized right away it was going to have to do, otherwise I just wasn't going to care was it was going to have to connect to the original characters. And what I mean by that is that there was going to have to be somebody in the next generation, so, so to speak, that was connected to the original players. And we know at least one of them does. Mm -hmm. I, I strongly suspect that, you know, there's more than just the one, but one of them we know for sure, which is uh, Kylo. And again, we've already said spoilers on this, but again, I'm just going to reiterate that before I go any further. So we know that, that Kylo connects. Um, and I won't say I, I particularly like the character. I, I think he's a little weak as the villain but as a character i kind of mm. like him so it's it's you know it's it's, it's a strange I know exactly what you mean yeah no, I, think I, he's, I think he's kind of a shitty villain but here here's where the movie i think we saw the making of the villain i think we saw his origin story more than possibly yeah anything else possibly. but i tell you where the where the movie really got me and I mean, I was, don't get me wrong, I was digging it. This wasn't like the moment where I went, okay, now I like this. It was more of the moment where I was like, um, where I kind of felt justified in like, because it was, it was mm -hmm. this weird thing where I was digging it. And feeling guilty. And feeling guilty about it because, well, I'll get more into that later because that's actually one of my, one of my other things. Um, but I'll tell you where the movie really got me on a, on a very... Because it, it, not only did it need to have connections with the original characters, but in in any movie, and I can't imagine I'm alone in this, but in any movie that I watch, I, I have to get invested in it, you know? And it, and it really helps if you can get me emotionally invested yes. in either the story or the characters or both. And I was invested as far as i was liking what i was seeing it was fun it was a lot of eye candy great special effects and all that sort of thing but late in the movie it finally managed to make a new emotional connection and it was a really deep one and it was the scene um of kylo out on the gantry and han 
you know, goes out to him as his dad. Losing a child is, is uh, you know, the toughest thing a, a parent can ever go through. And there's different ways to lose children. You know, you can lose them to, you know, literally lose them to where they're, you know, they're dead and they're gone forever. But you can also lose a child as far as just losing the love of that child. And that moment between the two of them really connected with me on a, on a very deep and personal level. And I liked that scene. And it helped knowing, I mean, I never, and I'm not. You know, that scene gets please, a lot of criticism, but I, I know it does. Really, for me, it completely worked. And I here's agree. Why, and please don't mistake this as me bragging or something. I, I swear to God, I don't mean this to sound braggerish, but I never for a moment doubted that Han Solo was going to die in this mm -hmm. movie. From the moment I heard that, that Harrison Ford signed on to do an episode seven, I was like, well, that's it for Han Solo, because you have to remember, historically, this man has done nothing but slag Star Wars for three decades plus. He is not a Star Wars fan. Don't let anything fool you. He does not love Star Wars. He does not think highly of Star Wars fans. He does not appreciate his place in Star Wars lore or the role of Han Solo. This was a friggin' paycheck to him, and he as much as said so in that Jimmy Fallon interview. So, you know, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not angry, I'm not slagging Harrison Ford, but he's been honest. He's been honest well, that here, well, Star Wars and, and, and Han Solo well, are not his thing. I'll, I'll so, tell you what, that's not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to movies fandom or whatever we're giving interviews it might not be the best thing but sometimes it's better because he's looking at when he does a role he's looking at it as a purely a role he's not thinking of his toys he's not thinking of you know and and after jedi was jedi was a movie where he really didn't have anything to do but just show up there you know right. be there in the character and and live happily ever after with leia and as an actor, he was probably just like, ugh, it gave him nothing to to do, you know, to to chew on. And he was like, you know, as a as an as an actor and my character, I want my character to to contribute something. And his death would be the most, you know, important thing. You know, it would be the make the most sense in a in a dramatic sort of way. And George Lucas was not interested in killing anybody off, you know. So, you know, I, I could totally see uh, the paycheck, too, but I, I could also see him being like, my character needs to really play a role in this in order to justify him being there. And I agree with that. And that's that was with you, too. You were like, I just don't want Han Solo to be just hanging around because why the hell, you know, then who cares? You know, he, he's just a space smuggler. You know, he has to figure into the story. That's where I was going with this, is that if Han had not died the way he did in the scene that he did and in the context that he did in this movie, I don't think we would be having the same discussion we're having right now. Because here's the thing, and I've said this before, and I will continue to say it, Star Wars is the adventures of Luke Skywalker. So one of the things that was really not working for me with this movie 
was that this is a Han Solo picture and devoid of Luke Skywalker. And that was really starting to get on my, when I realized about halfway through the movie that I don't think Luke's going to show up. In I this, didn't realize that until the end. Really starting to piss me off because Han's not the friggin' central character. But then suddenly in that scene on the gantry, you realize he is a very important character in this movie. And that scene is that is kind of the scene that pushes me over from, eh, you know, it was all right to, OK, I actively do like this movie because that that scene worked for me. It added a new level to Star Wars to me where I thought, man, a lot of the you know, a lot of stuff having to do with characters going bad in Star Wars have to do with a bad relationship with their parents. Right. Well, it, it parenting wasn't even... gone wrong or, or, bad, or, you know, some some sort of issue in parenting. <laughs> right. But I mean, for that particular moment, it wasn't even about good and bad or Jedi and Sith. It was that was, you know, that was a family moment that really yeah. it felt very real to me, you know. And I don't know if you'll remember this or not. Hopefully the listeners will. I couldn't begin to tell you what episode it was. Clearly a Star Wars episode. But remember we were talking, this was probably a couple of years ago. And I think I kind of surprised you when I told you that I suddenly found myself for, for really the first time getting into the EU. And the thing that hooked me when I was starting to kind of discover that, Hey, I think I actually want to continue to, to delve into this EU thing was I found a story and I can't remember what it was. I think it was at the beginning. It was like the first book, first or second book, maybe of the, the legacy of the force novels. And it was the point in one of the stories where Han was talking to Leia and confessing to her that he was actually pretty pretty upset with Luke because he felt like Luke kept placing their, their children in danger. They'd already lost a child. They'd lost one child. Mm -hmm. And you could tell that despite his love for Luke and, you know, Luke's his friend and his brother-in-law and all that, that at the same rate, he's messing with family there. Yeah. There was some resentment there that ultimately Han did kind of blame Luke for the death of one of his children. And now Luke was placing the other two children in danger again. And I forget the exact quote, but it was something like he's doing it again. He's placing our children in danger. And that to me was the hook because it's not that some of the, the concepts and ideas weren't interesting and then there were, of course, there was, you know, the execution, which often just wasn't quite there with the EU, I'm sad to say. But in this particular instance, that was the hook for me, is that now you've made it. Um, you've made an emotional connection, yeah. you've made it personal to where now I'm interested because Han Solo, you know, has a potential conflict with Luke Skywalker and and I liked that. And I think that's... therein lies J.J. Abrams' skill that he brought to the fore of, of this is whatever the material that was there, right, story-wise or whatever, 
he whipped it up into something that got you emotionally involved with it. For that, for that one moment, he did. You know, unfortunately, not enough of the movie, not enough of this movie did that. I wish there'd been more of that. If there'd been more of that, I'd have a much higher opinion of the movie. I got suckered. I got suckered totally into every emotional beat of it. I got played like a fiddle. And but what other emotional beats are there? Just any. Um, I was clapping and cheering when you saw the millennium when when they turned to the millennium falcon you know but see, just, that's not that's that's a an emotional reaction oh, uh, um, to the, the, scenes with, the scenes with han and leia uh, um the the scene where han hugged leia any any scene involving yeah, the like scene that. where chewy where han even where where you know han and leia first lay eyes on each other c-3po ruins the moment and then they're just stuck awkwardly looking at each other. And then Chewie just walks over and she's just like, ah, Chewie, somebody I can just be like, hey, how's it, you know? And she just gives Chewie a big hug, tears down my face. You know, and it, I was emotionally involved in the whole Kylo, you know, Ky uh, people hate Kylo Ren. He's another positive in the movie for me. Yeah, I hate him too. He's a little prick. He's a little emo, whiny you know, eh, I want to be Darth Vader. Supposed to be. Yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate that's the kind of person that becomes a Sith, and he's a little, he's a little snot that Snoke's trained up. You know, uh, Luke trained up enough, and then Snoke worked up enough to make him be a badass enough tool in relation to what else is going on out there. But then you get Ray showing up, who's obviously more powerful than him. And all of a sudden he ain't so he ain't so hot. His plans aren't working out as well. And he starts throwing hissy fits and he's just a little snot. And then Ray beats the shit out of him. Well, here's what I want to know, because I'll be frank. I don't give J.J. Abrams enough credit to to have really designed this. But you, I want to know what you think. Is it by design or is it dumb luck? I'm thinking that there's a possibility that somebody... Disney or whoever, somebody realized we're never going to compete with Darth Vader. Right. Darth Vader was what he was, and, and we can't top that. We can't match that. So here's what we'll do instead. We'll get wannabe Darth Vader, who actually is just a punk-ass bitch. Yes. And that's what I think. Do you think he, I, I'm thinking he could but, be another Darth Maul or a Dooku down the line? You know, he might he might or Snoke might be training him up to use his his body or something, you know? Right. He's 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 not a strong person. He's he's go, he could be easily manipulated. But, you know, at the end, Snoke's calling for his he's like, we'll complete his training now. And maybe Snoke was like, this guy needs to get his ass kicked. You know, this guy wants to be Darth Vader. Darth Vader, you know, was a real Jedi, then got his legs and arms cut off and burnt to a crisp. You know, this guy, this guy's just got a bad relationship with his daddy, you know, and, right. and wants to be and wants to be a badass. He wants to scare people with his mask and be a badass. But he's a punk. He is a punk. And and when Ray shows up, she just punks him and people are like doing the whole like oh she's a mary sue and she's very powerful 
she is a little like she is picking up shit fast but you know i'm thinking maybe it could turn into a sort of gene gray sort of thing where it's like maybe she's a little too powerful and starts getting out of control but i started noticing like she doesn't like her force powers come as the movie goes along and it seems like there's things that trigger them like first she's i'm i'm formulating a conspiracy theory that they start out with the jedis on a a a sandy desert planet because there's less life there and it keeps their force powers a little on the down low and maybe keeps them from being detected because they're usually you know someplace nobody wants to go and the people don't pick up on the force because when she show you know the force runs through light when she they go to whatever planet Maz Kanata's on and she's standing by the lake it's almost like she's powering up and you know in the next scene she's eating like colorful strawberry looking plants and stuff and then um she seems to get a, a little jump in powers when she touches the lightsaber and then every contact with Kylo let's, let's talk about Luke's lightsaber okay uh-huh. I don't know what to think about it. It was it was it was one of those scenes where I was watching it. It was very prequel like where it's like this is weird. <laughs> this is a weird uh weird addition to the Star Wars visual story thing. Um the one the one moment in the theater, the one moment I did slip and the nitpick, I couldn't help it was when Lady Yoda goes, yeah, yeah, it's Luke's lightsaber. I don't really have time to tell you where I found that's it. A, and that's how a story for it. another time. And place. I actually blurted out because my wife, you know, you know, you get the look sometimes, yeah. right? I actually got the look in the theater because I go, no, no, hang on. You really need to be explaining that shit. Like right now, like the people behind me started laughing. But no, that was a moment that really pissed me off. Don't present me with Luke's lightsaber that should not exist anymore. And then tell me, oh, yeah, oh, yeah well, you know, that's I don't really have time to tell you where it come from. No, no, no. Take the time because that's kind of a big friggin deal to me. Luke's lightsaber, Luke's lightsaber, you know, it was hacked. You know, his his hand was hacked off holding the lightsaber falls down the shaft in cloud city now okay i know we never saw this but i always believed from a kid in 1980 watching the movie for the first time till this very day i have always believed that when luke falls out of the bottom of cloud city and hits the weather vane that his his you know disembodied hand and, and lightsaber falls out and plummets to wherever the hell it goes like becomes part of the gas giant of Bespin or whatever. It's like a coin star machine. It's got a special, like, as stuff falls down, it's got, like, grates that that sort it out into size, and some Ugnaught was like a lightsaber, and then it got into the black market. Or that You know there's going to be a comic book or a a book about, you know, the... the, Yeah, but that that needed to be explained here. Not in some comic, not in some anthology tales of this you know, is another jj abrams thing he likes to throw shit out there he don't like to figure out you know he likes to ask a lot of questions 
he has no idea what the answers are and he and right, when it comes yeah. time to spit out an answer that's why when when I was saying about this episode I think JJ Abrams should this should be it for Star Wars with JJ Abrams Oh, you, you did it. You succeeded in what you had to do. Now walk off into the sunset. No more. Here, let some other let let other let, let other writers figure out how to answer. And you know, I mean, they're already going on episode eight, so they they have a script and they they have some. And I'm th- there's a lot of things that doesn't shore up in this that could be could be fixed or or explained further on that you know it, we're kicking it down the road to see whether this is a really bad thing or if it's good or if it's it's not it's going to need basically there's a lot of splaining that needs to be oh, done yeah. and, well here on that subject though I want to ask you a very serious question now I know that I have my beefs with JJ Abrams and I don't like to give the man any I have the beefs worse than you credit do. you whether it's do or not I saw but, into darkness <laughs> right I feel the hate more than you do probably but here's the thing though okay all the all of that admitted you know my feelings and and all that admitted I'm still wondering is the guy getting undue credit for this now i know the movie came out and it's done a billion and a half it's a concoction it's a confection and it's made by committee exactly and he had a lot to do with it he had a lot to do with it one of my biggest i don't know just one of my biggest hang-ups with it is that you know I, i i've been accused of calling it dumb which i i i have i'll be honest i have said that i have said it's not the most entire it's not that it's dumb it's just Here's the thing. Oh, there, no, you don't have to stumble it over it. It has it's, no it's originality. It, it's, it is kind of by the numbers. But here's the thing. I'm of two minds about that because on the one hand, I'll criticize it that it's not at all original. It's it's a complete reworking of the original trilogy. Yeah. And they they played it very safe. But here's the thing. Biz, for me, strictly business. Yes perspective yes <laughs> they kind of had to who well because if you're jj abrams you got to deliver to the fans the casual like people who just go to the movies right. disney um right. lucasfilm you know there's just all yourself <laughs> i mean i mean anybody who's gonna and he's a i mean he's just there's there you cannot deny that he's a, not that he's a star wars fan he's it's just obvious that that like he's at whether uh, you know he's up for it or not because i both think we're both better up for it but then again that's how most people feel he was standing there going oh my god and and i felt and i actually felt humanity for the guy when i saw a clip of him going in and watching john williams recording the soundtrack music and then john williams looks at him and goes so what do you think is that all right and he's just like yeah it's great it's john you know and you could see he honestly was realizing oh my god i'm in a there's an orchestra and john williams is conducting star wars music for my star wars movie so on that human level i can connect with him whether he's up for it or not he genuinely wanted to do right by everybody 
and that's why and to get that confection so it's going to work in the theater so you and i are so you like especially like at the hardest point where you and i are going to walk out and be like all right dude we don't want to kill you that's that's a minor miracle in itself you know where it goes from here that's the thing is i want more i'm curious to where it's going to they can they could there's really interesting things they could do if they if they feel like doing it or they could go in all different directions and i for one i i know everybody's you know the rehash rehash remake of this and that i don't mind that that much to tell you the god's honest truth well, because i like it, it there now there were things in it that like sometimes really annoyed me like I just didn't like there was a scene of BB-8 going over a dune and then they just stick up one of the creatures from the cantina, you know, and have him turn his head both ways before they cut. And it's like, all right, yeah, that's right. I have seen that alien before. There he is, you know. I don't care. See, the, the, the remake thing, it, it wouldn't bother me near as much if this wasn't the third go around because I think people are forgetting that in so many ways, the Phantom Menace was a remake of a new hope as well. They have that whole ring theory and the ring theory guy was like, episode seven is going to have to resonate episode four really strongly if it falls into this pattern. And the thing about it is, yeah, it did resonate incredible. I mean, sometimes shot for shot, or sometimes right. lines that there was a, you know, I'm here to rescue you. Like, what? You know, and then takes off his health. You know, I mean, beat beat for beat, even with the with the music, some of the music going on it. Yeah. But in in ways, in certain it, the thing about it was it started becoming not just like it in. And maybe this is where like watching the terrible clunkiness of Into Darkness trying to do that of where it's like. Hey, here's something like something else, you know, this one, there's a, there's more of a resonance to me because it's already established that Lucas was Lucas. I mean, they, they already have put out the montage of all the scenes from the original trilogy that Lucas aped in the prequels, you know, or, and, and shot the same way for this. It's the variations on the theme, the variations, the things that were happening are it the same but then there's some fundamentally different things happening going in a different direction that can't play out the same way a lot of it because a lot of what played out was the original trilogy so that stuff's already played out now so they have to take it in a different direction you know i was watching i was watching a buster keaton clip and all of a sudden i saw a shot in and i'm like oh my god that's right out that's jar jar running with all those explosive balls uh, from episode one, that's where George Lucas was paying tribute to it. And that's when I figured now we've reached the stage for better or worse, where George Lucas was paying tribute to his heroes, which were Flash Gordon and army, you know, war films and Westerns and serials. And now we're reaching the level where you have the generation of filmmakers who are making movies based on their inspiration, which was Star Wars. So it's right. Star Wars meta, you know, consuming itself. 
And I think the good thing is, is Disney is there to sort of, will sort of hopefully rein it in from consuming itself too much. You know, I'm very curious to see where it goes. But um, at the same time, I also have a lot more hope for the ancillary movies, you know, the, the, the side movies. That's, that's where I'm sort of excited, but I, I'd be lying if I'm, if I could, if I said that I wasn't curious as to, you know, what's going to happen with Kylo Ren, what's up with Ray? Is she really, you know, I'll be disappointed if she's Luke's kid cause that's too easy, but it sort of makes sense or, you know, I hope You'll it's be disappointed. Too- really? Well, just because it won't be too much of a surprise. (laughs) I'll be be disappointed if she's not at this point, because I already was disappointed that she was not. I'd be uh, just disappointed. sister. So if she's not his cousin, then I'll be honest with you. That could be a serious deal breaker to me. She looks like Luke. Yeah, because, I mean, she is. Well. Uh, she has become, I don't know if she was intended or not, but she has become kind of the face of this movie. So she, to me, is a very critical character in the aspect of she better damn well be connected to well, somebody. They've also been saying not, this, the, this trilogy was going to be the story. This was going to be primarily the story of the Skywalkers. Right. And uh, and another thing, I, I mean, I, I say disappointed in just that it's too easy. Then if, if she turns out to be Luke's daughter, then I've already figured that out, you know, from this movie, you know, well, let, wait, wait, wait. Let's, Although let's I guess it, may, it doesn't have let's to be just that right there that, you know, you're going to be disappointed about it being too easy because that's something that you want to be surprised. Out. You're ignoring the fact that this movie, you could have sat there with a checklist and gone, okay, let's see what were all the things that we said, you know, seven years ago, we never want to see in a star Wars movie. Okay. Check right off the bat, the empire right off the bat. Yeah. And that's the true miracle of me walking out of this at the end and going, you know what? I actually like that because they damn near checked the entire list of things that I said I specifically did not want to see, yet we saw them. We saw craggy, ancient, really ugly-looking Luke Skywalker. We saw super rough-looking Princess Leia. We saw really... I'm amazed by your attitude towards Han Solo because the only Han Solo scene that works for me in the entire movie was the gantry scene. Well, not so much that he dies, but just when he calls to Kylo, when he calls to him and then he goes out and through the entire thing up to the up to the stabbing, that scene works for me. But that's the only one because everything else in there. And again, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a, I'm not trying to be an ageist asshole, but. Han Solo in this doesn't work the same way Indy didn't work in Indy 4 because he's just too friggin' old. I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's, I know there's nothing he can do. It's not his fault. I understand that there's nothing he can do. He can't unage, but I never wanted to see that. I never needed to see that. And, and that was hard to watch. There, there's a scene, and you really have to. You either have to slow it down or you have to look at stills. But there, I remember seeing a still picture of this uh, 
before the movie came out of the fight outside the yeah the where he's just sort of standing at. there with his gun and he looks like my granddad with a pistol and it's frightening because it's like you're gonna kill somebody you know i mean i've been watching all i've been watching all these westerns lately too with like old people shooting each other so yeah and this is this is an old guy Mm -hmm. shooting a uh, that's what it is it's not han solo striking a dramatic pose from 1977 it's grandpa screwing around with a gun and he's gonna accidentally shoot somebody you know and it's not a pleasant image. I'm really, sorry. I, I, I was I was eating all like I just loved all the little beats where he kept borrowing Chewie's crossbow. And he's just like, I like this, you know, you got it in 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 all those years of friend. That was, I'm, you know, I, 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 I had completely forgotten about that until you reminded me. Yeah, well, that the, was a plot that element. Was that was that, that was a plot. All the years they've known each other, he's never once borrowed Chewie's crossbow. Well, that, that was the joke of it, but it was really there as a plot element to show you that Chewie's crossbow kicked ass and made people like like carried more of a punch. So that when Kylo Ren got blasted to the side, that you knew that that was no joke. That he got, you know, hit with this force of like five normal blaster beams. You know. Whatever. That was. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of silly. I, but I, I like the only part of Han Solo that didn't work for me was his initial showing up when the two when he got stuck in between when he was stuck in between the two guys and they're like Solo, you owe us fifty thousand. It reminded me of a a dark horse Han Solo comic, you know, right. where it was good. But I I was watching that part and I'm like J.J. Abrams wrote this part, and then when the when the Wrath Tars get loose, <laughs> they did not look like Star Wars monsters. They looked like something out like of a a, a, a modern movie, and they were basically shaped like that so you could have your Indiana Jones reference. You know the scene of him running ahead of a rolling thing. Do you remember? Did you ever play Doom? Yes. Do you remember those big things that you yes. on later levels you'd find them around corners and they always kind of reminded me of like an evil version of like the supreme intelligence from Marvel yes. comics. That's big, what I like Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a big. It was like a cross between Cthulhu and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes that, or something. That that scene didn't. That was that scene in particular was like to me the J.J. Abrams scene in the movie that did not feel Star Warsy. You've seen you've seen the movie more than than a few times, so yes. maybe you can answer like this. This times, is something nine times. This is something I I I missed in the initial viewing. So she stumbles across the Falcon, takes it for a trip, winds up in outer space, and like two seconds later, Han yes. and Chewie show up, going. So here's the Millennium Falcon. My, my what the hell was going on? That there? was my immediate first like, grr, come on in the, in the movie and on the second viewing there's a throwaway line where he's like we got to get you aboard a clean ship and she's just like what do you mean and he's just like look we have tracers on the he's like if we could find you that quickly as soon as the you know the falcon was in in space you know the the first order is going to be right on the falcon so we have to get you on a clean ship so he he basically said they had some sort of tracer 
that 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 didn't work when it was on the planet that somehow yeah well that's not explained that's that's the thing there's you uh, upon the second viewing i found lines throwaway lines that would hedge up stuff but still it was a little quick you know and and then i was like well maybe some time passed in the movie you know and we didn't pick up i didn't pick up on that but on f further viewings no, they're not in space very long at all. They don't go into hyperspace or whatever. They're basically just cruising away from Jakku and he picks her up. That's why I think there's more to this. There's more like we're going to find out that Han and Luke were like, play, you know, I, I, I think basically a lot of this story was the setup of Luke was like, you know, I have to get Ray to me at the right time, you know, and the, there's certain events that'll happen. You know, the force will set it into a, a event. And another strong reason that why she would be Luke's daughter is in as far as like it rhymes and and scenes that echo each other. There's the if if she ends up being Luke's daughter or related to Luke in some way there would be a, a little mirror, two mirrored scenes in the movie of, of a child handing their lightsaber over to a parent. One ending really badly and one we don't know how it ended. There's got to be, they had to have been thinking of that, that they have this scene with, with the, you know, at the end with somebody handing over a lightsaber and that scene on the bridge was, I mean, when I was watching it, I got so suckered in by that scene, the Han Solo scene on the bridge that I was like, you know, I was thinking maybe they're going to make Kylo Ren tur like want to turn towards the good side. So now they'll have like it. And, and I wasn't liking that idea because it, it seemed very fanboyish or fan for the fan girls who have a crush on Kylo Ren. Now you can have a good bad guy or a bad, you know, he's a good guy. But he's trying not to be bad or whatever it would make. It, and I was just like, are you serious? That's a thing. Uh, well, you know, like the like fucking Twilight or something like that. You know, there's a vampire in it, but he's not an evil vampire. He's a good vampire. He doesn't want to kill the girl, you know, or what. It, you know, it's it turns into a, a romantic thing. Not somebody, and I th I, I think yeah, they went it the, all now. I think they went the proper route, and they made they 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 set that up, and then they made and then when he kills Han Solo, that takes away that aspect you hate him after that you know now you fucking hate now you don't just hate this guy because he's a snotty little emo like max landis sort of sort of character on the screen now you hate him because he's fucking now it's personal you know now you're pissed at him and i like that i like that they didn't try to make him a little more uh, likable so that they could sell more figures to, or, you know, or have girls writing f more fan fiction on him or something like that, you know, cause <laughs> you could do that, you know? And, uh, but I was sitting there thinking when he was handing over the lightsaber, I'm like, Oh, this is quite a twist. But as soon as the sun started going out, then I was like, Oh shit, this, and you know, but that's part of it feeling like a star Wars movie. It was very dramatic and a little ridiculous, but it made perfect sense in the emotional thrust of that scene. 
and and like I said, I I need I need my Star Trek movies to make sense in a continuity, scientific sense. I don't need my Star Wars movies to do that. But then again, there are lines that are drawn. So, do you mind if I talk about some of those lines that got crossed? Well, I, I had two more quick oh, okay. uh, good mentions that I wanted to throw out there. Um, I'm really surprised that I'm going to say this because I was so sick of this character well before the movie came out because of all the marketing and the oversaturation. Did you like BBA? Did you end up liking it, it, BBA? Well, here's the here's the thing. I I didn't, or I didn't think that I did, but then about a week ago. Uh, I went over to Disney's Hollywood Studios with a friend of mine. And right now, while the movie is out in the theaters, they are guaranteeing you. They have it set in such a way that you are guaranteed to see the new scene on Star Tours. And the new scene is Jakku. Oh, so it's a whole chase through the through the uh, Star Destroyer graveyard and the Star Destroyer and all that, which was really, really cool. But then after that is over, the part that I didn't know, and I sure hope I'm not spoiling this for somebody. So if you don't want to know, fast forward about three minutes, um, because this may be a major spoiler. But after the Jakku sequence, now now you've ridden the new Star Tours, right? Yeah. Okay. so remember, like. So it starts out and you get the opening that's either Darth Vader or Han Solo. And then you get the first planet. And then after the first planet, there's a hologram that comes out. And then you get the second planet and then that's the end of it. Well, I didn't know that not only is there a new planet, Jakku, but there's also a new hologram sequence. And the hologram sequence is BB-8. And when that came up, I, I can't remember exactly what I did. I don't know. I, I, I laughed or cheered or clapped or something. And then after it was over, I was like, I guess I like BB-8 because I was really excited that he showed they, up. And they did so, not overdo him in the movie. They did him just right, yeah, I see, think. He works. I, I, I agree with you. I think in the movie, he works. It's It's the marketing side of him that was making me hate him because he was everywhere. But in the actual movie, I'll agree with you. I think in the movie he works because in the movie, I found I found him incredibly Wall-E like, and I really like Wall-E a lot. And so he worked on that level. Although I still lament that R two gets shuffled off R2, into the background. R two and three PO get, and even their scenes have that feel of like R two D two. You're smoking a cigarette. You know they have right, that. Yeah. That that. That, although you know what it tears me up every time and i hate the lie i think it's a dumb line where he goes oh r2d2 my dear friend i've missed you so it makes me tear up every time and it's so stupid and 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 like kind of like cheesy c3po line i i re- really wish that the that it was flip-flopped i i wish r2 had been you know perfectly all right and i wish it was 3po that was like <laughs> right yeah everybody does the three PO parts really didn't work, really and, and I know what they were trying they to were go just jammed for. In. They yeah, were they were. In. They were. They were really shoehorned in badly. They they felt like I, I got to be honest. They were almost as bad as oh, this is such a drag, and yes. you know all that crap yes. from from clone, you know, Attack of the Clones, because the part where he gets between Han and Leia at their reunion. 
I know what they were going for, but it doesn't work. Audible and then the whole thing with movie theater, you, know, you may not recognize me with the red arm. And I'm like, Oh, really? It's, I it, mean, it, it was, was, it was too bad. much. It was too it, much. And yeah, uh, BBA like played out in the reactions from the crowd on the opening night reminded me of the reactions of crowds to when they first saw R2-D2. Yeah. They were reacting to not only to the things that like BB-8 was. What was funny is when he when he did the thumbs up with the with the flame, I took that as him flipping him off in the movie. <laughs> I thought he was. I thought he was still like, ah, I still don't trust you. And he was like, Thank you, Droid. And he was just like, Ah, fuck you. Well, and here's the thing with that is that I liked it, but at the same time, this was another uh, thing where I actually spoke out loud during the the you know when I was watching it at the theater. You know, he, he does the thumbs up and I laughed and I liked it. But immediately I said, they ripped that off from Tomorrowland. And then I realized, well, it's another Disney movie. So I guess that's yeah, OK. Yeah, yeah. But they did. I don't know if you've seen Tomorrowland, yes, but I right have. at the beginning of the movie, the big robot fixes Frank's that's right. backpack. And then he gives him the thumbs gives up. Him the thumbs up. You're right. Well, so, yeah, Tomorrowland did it first. Paying tribute. Uh, <laughs> um. The other big thing, and this is a huge one for me. So you know how hard I work to try to get my misses to enjoy the things that I like. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, every, every everybody wants you know their significant other to to enjoy the the things that they love together. And sometimes I really have to work hard at that. You know. So I've worked for over 20 years to get my wife to sometimes just to simply tolerate being in the same room with me while I'm watching, you know, my stuff. And but there's a couple of things where I've actually managed, you know, little victories like The Walking Walking Dead. Dead. She's a bigger Walking Dead fan than I am now, you know, when, when it comes to the TV show. I mean, she really is into that. Um, we both watched Daredevil and she pretty much enjoyed it. She actually recommended to me the other night that we continue to watch Jessica Jones. So there's a major victory. She's actually invested in Jessica Jones, but I'll tell you walking out of this movie, that woman wants desperately wants a Ray t-shirt and we can't find one, believe it or not. No, that's a, that's a common complaint is, is, is like the toy makers don't like to make toy. They do. I was reading an article about about from like the people that you know where they're talking about why they don't market. They try to keep. They make better sales when they keep the girls' toys here, the boys' toys here. So they don't know what to do with the toy makers. Don't know what to. They did not anticipate. Right. They should have. I think they really should have. But it, uh, especially. As far as like Disney's gone with female characters lately, I mean, D- Disney's female characters are amongst their most profitable now, if not yeah. their more, more most profitable characters. So they should have saw, seen it coming. And but you know what I like about that? It's like Star Wars. They didn't anticipate Ray, so I'm sure there are toy companies right now. Oh, they're scrambling, scrambling yeah. to put out yeah. race stuff, and the, and when they do, all those people are gonna. But see, scarf I, up. I just want to take a moment to reemphasize and bask in that for a moment that this woman, that you know, 
we've been together over 20 years now, over 21 years now, that has so often looked at me and said, you're not wearing that out of the house, are you? Now suddenly wants a You guys can be matching in style and shirts. Proud What's that? You guys could be walking around somewhere in matching Star Wars shirts with both of you feeling proud. <laughs> you ha- you have no idea what a what how big a thing that is. No, that's I, pretty cool. And, and, that's and, pretty and, cool. And you know what? That sort of brings it, I think, to the perfect capper of of the of the good for this movie because. Yep, that's that, my last because, note. On the good because your your wife is more of the normal is, is more of a normal person <laughs> for one. <laughs> She'll appreciate you saying but that. No, more of the the normal viewing audience that goes to a movie, uh, uh, and and yes. that that goes to Star Wars, not like mm, Star Wars, Star Wars, but like oh, this is going to be you know want to go to a fun action movie, a big budget you know Hollywood tentpole movie. You know, I mean, people like movies like that; they're entertainment, so they go to them. But this, but the thing about this that I think puts it in the stratosphere is, A, you could have just thrown together a Star Wars movie and it would have made money and it would have made good money. And, and there's been a string of these tentpole, you know, Marvel and, and all this that have been coming out and are huge and stuff. But there's something extra to Star Wars. And it, and... The thing is, to guys like you and me that are fans, you're never going to get it right for you know perfectly right for everybody. I had the I had a the, as perfect an experience as I could have in the movie theater seeing it, but it's not a perfect movie, and and like, it's still not going to knock Mad Max Fury Road off number one for 2015 for me. But I did have a similar experience to watching Star Wars as a kid, so. I'm 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 like oh relieved I'm happy but for Joe Average who like would go to like say the newest Transformers movie and be like yeah that was pretty good and you know chomp their popcorn through it they got a little you know Star Wars has that extra to it it has that extra bit of care into it that extra bit of like you know we have to even if it's not realistic, they invest you, you're in re, truly invested in the characters. And it's also because there's, you know, six movies behind it and numerous books. But if for normal viewers, it's it's a summer blockbuster, but there's something extra about it. The people I know that like take their kids to it and stuff, they they, they like go, I loved it. But they, you know, they say it in that way of like. You know, I was going there and going to have fun, but I really actually I really enjoyed myself up from it. And and, it, and that's what's going to give it the staying power. You know, unfortunately, the guys like us are not the not what's if they please us, that's not what's going to guarantee it's it's forever survival. It's the right. It's the moms and dads and and little kids and that that go to see it. I mean, we're going no matter what. We're going to make it no matter what to the movie theater and check it out. It's just the price of a movie, so it, it's a new Star Wars movie. But they really have to keep those just general movie viewers in there and if they give them an extra special experience, they're they're 
they're not they're not going to be dragged to episode eight by their kids. They're going to grab their they're going to have the tickets in advance and make a day of it. Yeah, that's sort of that. I think that's the ultimate good of the movie. I think that's what it did. It made me it made me eager to see episode eight. It pulled off that magic trick Mm -hmm. with appealing to, you know, people again, like my wife, who saw Star Wars, but beyond, you know, Luke, Han, and Leia probably couldn't tell you the names of anybody or exactly what happened in the movie or really recalls plot details with any clarity. It did the magic trick of pulling those people in and, and, and making them have a good time, but also appeased the the, I would say the majority of the fans in a way that, you know, if you'll remember when we looked at uh, Marvel Star Wars, you know, the new Star Wars number one, that I just felt that it didn't, that it right. appealed to those people, but then left the true fans behind because it just didn't tell a good story, you know? So, yeah, it, you know, it does have that for it in the positive column, I guess. Well, you want me to start out with some bad? <laughs> sure. I think... And, and, and um, my ugly will branch from this bad. I don't think I don't think J.J. Abrams' strong point is action sequences. When it's certain kinds of action sequences work when there's personalities involved with them. But I was not invested in the like the X-wing Tie Fighter battle at the end. I watched it and I was like, it's pretty. I literally, when 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 the um, Star Killer base blew up, I was just like, "Oh, it's blowing up! <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, it would blow." It blow. I, I thought their goal was to disable it, and I was just like, "Oh, it's blowing up now," and I wasn't really getting sucked along into the the, and maybe it was because the only person that I I knew was Poe in in a spaceship, but there hadn't been enough of him in the movie to make me, you know, I wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't invested in it. Like the, the, the final battle at the death that's star. A good point. Yeah. I hadn't I, thought of that, but I, if Ray had been manning one of those X wings, I would have been on that. Yeah. yeah. I would have been paying yeah. attention to the, every move of it. But as it was, it was just sort of like this pretty sequence playing out in front of me, but I did not feel the, like you're in the ship and fly, you know, flying in that invest. I felt investment in, I think he's way better at investing you in characters and in the motion of the moment. And when it came down to like set pieces, there were some set pieces that were really cool. I liked that he knew how to do the details, like the little instant souffle where they dumped the powder in the water. That was a very Star Warsy moment, just sort of a thing that you're just left to see and it happens and it's just a little detail and, and he didn't overdo the things in the background, but there were things in the background and stuff like that. But when it cut like, uh, but the chase through Jakku with the Falcon, it was cool, but it did not like, I wasn't like, woo, you know, with it. I was more getting involved with character moments and dialogue and flow of things. And, and like blaster battles had more shape to them to me and felt more like something was happening. Whereas the ships flying, the only time I got excited about ships flying was when they were like, wait, what's that over there? You know, when they were captured and all of a sudden the troops are like incoming and then you see the 
X-Wing coming because it was a dramatic moment, you know, the cavalry's here. But as far as the actual battles go, I think he's got kind of a, um, he doesn't have a good eye for it. You know, he has a good eye for making it all happen up there, but he doesn't have that George Lucas touch. That's was George Lucas's real big skill is like car chase, you know, the equivalent of a car, a great car chase with something. And that leads into the second bad, which I think is a worse bad is one thing that I want in Star Wars movies is that novelty, that step up. Trentus Magnus started in on this point where he was like, you had Jakku, you had the rebel planet, you, you know, basically you had a planet that was sort of like Endor, the one that was sort of like a Muna Yavin, one that was like tattooing and one that was pretty much Hoth. And, uh, you know, nothing new as, as far as that goes. And there's always some new planet. And these were new planets, but they were like stuff that we've seen before. I think that translates all the way through it. I mean, in every Star Wars, everything was new. In Empire, I mean, the bit you had the, your two, the Cloud City and you had the, the, the Walkers were like, whoa, you know, totally, totally two new visual things. Um, in Jedi, it was primarily the um, speeder bike sequence, something you've never seen before with a new technology or a new to you technology, something, something different. And there's usually, and in Star Wars, Industrial Lights and Magic was stepping up their game for each one and trying to top each one and um and in the prequels it was the development of digital technology uh, of doing of of doing stuff so it, he was bringing it up a notch not so much in this one they just use the available they use the the old technology i like that they use physical practical effects and mixed with digital and it worked really well but they didn't do anything cutting edge, you know. They didn't do anything like, oh, nobody's ever attempted this before. And there were things that you've never seen before, but they were little details, you know. Like the guy walking around in Jakku that's got the big pneumatic arms that, that can drag things behind him and stuff. And some new creatures and stuff like that. But, not, you know, not that big set piece where it's like, whoa, I've never thought of this. Everything was just variations on, you know, the old technology that we've seen. And I thought that was a huge setback for me. That's that's one thing. And I'm hoping they take care of that. And the, I, I'm hoping that's something that we see taken care of in the next couple movies. One thing I'm really surprised that you didn't bring up, because I remember you very specifically mentioning this uh, in the show that we did uh, right before the movie came out, you know, the kind of prelude to the movie episode that we did. You had talked about, um, I, I'm not sure how you worded it, I can't quite remember, but essentially fan wankery, you know, like in your face. Hey, hey, you like this shit, right? Here it is, right in your face, you know? that you, you said you didn't want to see that, and you actually called one out by name that damned if it didn't happen in the movie. So I'm Which really one? surprised you didn't mention this. So I caught two of them. 
Um, one of them is when somebody, and I think it's Finn, but I can't remember, somebody is down in the bowels of the Millennium Falcon and they casually pull out and I think they actually toss aside yes. Luke's remote, which just I was just like, why the hell would that even be? And the other one is when, when I, again, I think it's Finn, when he bumps the chessboard. You actually called that and he did said, it, and I he don't did want it, to see that. And he did it in the way that I did not want him to do it. I'd be happy if they were playing a game of chess. You know, it was showed it later and they were playing a game of chess. But what happened is he bumps it and it's on. And the thing is, if it was on half the time, a quarter of the time that it was on, I might have let it slide, but it was on just it, I don't know. It's just a subtle thing, but it was on for too long of a beat. It was yes, it was exactly it was too on the nose. And they even cut to a scene of Chewie doing the same thing with his head that he does, you know, when they say let the Wookiee win. And, right. Oh, and it's but I also like how Chewie sort of looks over curiously like Hmm, maybe a game. Maybe we could have a game of chess here. That Chew, Chew, I love Chewie in this. Chewie, I wish he was a little rattier looking, but at the same time, I just I love Chewie. <laughs> but um, yes, no, that, that that moment was definitely definitely. I I I was not. I would not have done that. My first thought when that popped on beyond thinking of you right away and going, didn't Chris say he specifically didn't want to see this? But my, my first thought was Jesus, do they not have any different video games? Right. You know, it's been 38 years and the, and the, you know, it's like they still have pong and that's it. But then I, the it's other like, hey, thought I had classic, <laughs> the way I can, I can, I can um, not nitpick it. Um, no prize it though is that, well, it, it's chess, you know? So chess still has the same pieces for however the hell long chess has been around for. So I guess that's your no prize, you know? But that, that was, honestly, that was my first thought is, really, they don't have any other games in this thing. But that might, just... it just might be one of Chewie's things as he likes to play chess. idea that Chewie <laughs> likes to play chess that you know everybody right. thinks of him as a big dumb animal but you know he's probably a really good chess player so here's one and and it's in my bad column only because i don't know where else to put it it's not a bad it's more of a question it's more of a does this even make any sense so that scene i told you that i love so much you know uh kylo's walking across the thing and, and han sees him and, and goes out and calls to him yes and what does he call him ben okay so let's think about that for a minute we're all presuming that he's named ben after ben kenobi correct right does that make sense for leia and han's child to be called ben because I think sort of does and sort of doesn't. My no prize of it is that that was an acknowledgement of like, you know, that like Han was like, it was almost like an acknowledgement of like when Han has his speech of talking about how the force, that was their acknowledgement that um, uh, in, in the powers of the force and the Jedi and stuff and like, you know, that crazy old man 
wasn't so crazy, but it was also, you know, a uh, tribute to his name as sort of his civilian name, you know? So it gives him a more down to earth than Obi-Wan, you know, it's not as, he, he gives him his non-Jedi name. But see, I, I almost look at it more as a, like a bone being thrown, like an acknowledgement mm-hmm. of the the now scrapped EU. Because See, I didn't know EU, what his son's name that went bad in the EU was, but I knew he had a son that went bad. And when he went Ben, I immediately thought, oh, I wonder if that kid's name was Ben. In no, EU. no. See, Luke, Luke, and his wife had a, had Luke had one child in the EU, and his name was Ben. So you now you've moved the the Ben child from being Luke's to being Han and Leia's. And that's where it's lost on me because I can easily see. I don't think it'll Luke be the first of the child. bones. I don't think this will be the first of the bones. Uh, uh, well, wasn't Starkiller base kind of a bone from. It was, but again, does it make any sense? Because you, you have to look at the situation. I, I never f- got the feeling that Han had any particular love or or respect or anything for Ben Kenobi. You know, maybe other than the fact that once Ben was was dead and gone, I think Han felt bad about it, but I think he more felt bad about it for Luke more than he felt bad about it like, gee, that's a shame it happened. It's more like, gee, now my my new you know, my new buddy is upset because he, you know, he lost this old guy that obviously meant something to him. But I don't think I could be dead wrong, but I don't think Ben Kenobi ever meant shit to Han Solo. I just never got that impression. And I think it's even less so with Princess Leia, because now obviously there's a story we never got, but obviously Princess Leia knew who Ben Kenobi was because when Luke comes in to rescue her and says, I'm here with Ben Kenobi, and she goes, Ben Kenobi, where is he? So obviously she knew who he was, but don't forget Ben Kenobi and Princess Leia never share a moment in any Star Wars movie. Right. So we don't know. So I, you know, there, there, well, he also might have been legendary that it, there, what's that? He also might've been legendary, you know, sort of like Luke Skywalker right. is in this movie that everybody so, knows who Ben Kenobi was. Right. But is, is that enough? You know, if, if she knew Ben by reputation because of stories that her adopted father had told her or something, is that enough of a basis for them then naming their, their only child, presumably, or at least their male child, Ben, wouldn't it be? Uh, maybe, maybe Ben was, was Han's favorite grandfather. <laughs> Well, see, that, that's what I'm thinking is that, you know, maybe they'll end up being another explanation. But I, I think you're all supposed to think, oh, Ben Kenobi, how nice. But I don't think it makes sense. You know, I, I think we're all supposed to think that the kid is named after Ben Kenobi as some sort of, you know, homage or sign of respect or whatever. But with this now being shifted from being 
Luke's child named Ben to Han's child, you know, Leia and Han's being named Ben. I, I just don't think logically it follows because it's a little weird. Who yeah. the hell is Ben Kenobi to Princess Leia and Han Solo? I just don't think he was ever as important to either one of them as he obviously was to Luke. I would, I was, I would have expected more something like Bale, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, Bale or whatever, Lumpy. I don't know, you know, something, but something <laughs> that's connected to Leia or or Han, you know, Anakin for that matter. Anakin, which... Anakin would have been a really charged name for him to have. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, in the in the EU, that was the name of their of their third child, oh. was Anakin, which I never quite bought, because even at the end of the day, even if Leia came to accept the fact that, you know, she was a a child of Anakin Skywalker, I would think that the whole torture droid thing and all that would be something that she couldn't quite ever get over. The whole you know? murder of her whole planet and family. Yeah, yeah, you know? Everybody he made a, He may not have pushed the buttons, but he was definitely working for that side at the time that it happened. Yes. Oh, he was a mass murderer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was... I mean, that's the thing about it. Darth Vader did good, but he only... You know, it was only in those last 10 minutes <laughs> before he croaked. And so I don't know if tossing the Emperor down the down the chute, you know, paid for all the shit that he's done in the meantime, including a planet full of dead people and every little jet, dead Jedi Padawan. <laughs> Bad charming, man. Everything else I have left falls pretty much on the ugly list. I don't know. Do you have anything else for the bad list? No, my I was I was getting ready to move into the ugly. All right. My, the ugly for me, pretty much consists of Star Killer Base. <laughs> um. So now we're doing out of four Star Wars movies, three of them have had a giant Death Star in it. Uh, you I know. Throw I know they addressed it in a cheeky way, and that's another thing I didn't like, where it's just like, oh, this one's much bigger, and then Han Solo's like, so it's bigger, there's always a way to, you know, I I could have swung with the idea of Starkiller Base, but they did not, they, they sketched that shit out too much. The whole, like, all right, how are we going to destroy it all right this is what we're gonna do this is our plan they just throw it together you know with uh, on the spot you know using john boyega's like statement you know that stating that he knew that like you know what 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 they could do to to blow it up but that you know basically they just like okay we can do this and you can no prize all all along like why would they make it so vulnerable well you know they had shields around it that they figured nobody was going to get past and so they found a way past the shields and then their vulnerability but either way it's just too on the nose it's too it's too too much of a repet repetition there was a trench and the whole like the whole thing where it sucks down a star and uses that energy. Okay, okay, I'm rolling with that. That's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> when when they suck the star away, they should not have been able to have a lightsaber fight on it because they would have been in, like, absolute zero. There would have been no heat to 
heat that planet, it would have just been as cold as space. But whatever, whatever. It's a Star Wars movie. It's not a Star Trek movie. But when they destroyed the Senate, that whole thing with the destroyed the Senate, and you know they come out of the 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 cantina and look up and a you're hearing sounds in space like and they're watching watching this thing which we've been sort of explained as some sort of like hyperdrive be it goes through like hyperspace and then comes out and dumps the sun on you know whatever its target is but meanwhile instead of seeing that they're just seeing it they're watching it from the planet's surface and then watching five planets blow up and they're like, oh, it's the Senate, you know? The, Was one of them Coruscant, by the way? I, I don't think they explained that enough. I'm hoping when I read the novelization, it looked, it sure looked like Coruscant. That would be where you would probably have the Senate. That would go in the uh, good column for me, by the way, um, if, it, if it turns out that it was. But the fact that like it split off into these five planets that were all right next to each other and that you could look up from the planet where all our characters were and see them sort of burning, and that's not how it would play out. And that was my biggest Starkiller base and the way that you felt it didn't feel like there was any space between one place or another. They were all just sort of mashed together and that that I could deal with as far as story compression goes. But when you have it was very much like the first Star Trek 2009, the first new Trek, where when Vulcan got blown up, <laughs> Spock was watching. Yeah, it. they could just stand it, stand on the remote. You know, it's like, oh, space is very small, you know. Oh, something happened in space so I can look up and see it. You know, that that was they did not need that. I mean, I see why they had it. So the characters knew it and stuff. It was that was stupid. That's just stupid. And, you know, which makes the, the concept of Starkiller Base stupid. That being said, when you're inside Starkiller Base and, you know, Ray's climbing around on, in it and stuff like that. I like that. I liked the I, I liked the look of the overlook places where you know they're sort of looking out you only get a couple scenes of that you know when it's blowing up at the end but i liked the feel of them looking out into a snowy um you know mountainous distance and stuff i thought that looked neat but the whole idea of it was stupid the whole you know the whole dealing with it was perfunctory you know just like here's 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 how we're gonna blow it up here's what we're gonna do you can, you know, they didn't blow it up easily. They actually, they gave up and they were going to fly away. I didn't pick up on that the first viewing around because I just was not invested in it. It's just like, uh, yeah, I've seen this, you know? And I think to me, that was the biggest drawback of the movie. I think that like, as far as the um, stuff from the past that was acting like a crutch, I think Starkiller Base was the biggest crutch of this this movie i loved the the lightsaber fight you, you know the the conflict on the on the ground between the characters was what got got me into it but anything to do with the base and the battling of the base just registered as a null for me you know as as time goes on that's the stuff that i would like to go that i would like to go away <laughs>
<laughs> they'd have to be insane to bring back another to have another um death star like thing so i'm hoping i'm hoping what this what what this has done is 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 it has put a a blow to the resistance and at the same time struck a blow to the first order so that they're both both a little bit scrappier and uh and you know have an injured paw coming into the next movie both of them have a little injured paw and are a little more desperate did not did not work for me i'm i'm curious to see where your ugly goes first one on my list uh i'm calling a moratorium on all cantina sequences in all movies from now on because i think somebody forgot that right after the first star wars movie every goddamn science fiction movie and television show that came Including out for Star the Trek. next 10 years had a cantina sequence. Even Trek Battlestar did. Galactica. Yeah, Star Trek. Did. I mean, everybody has had a cantina sequence. So this movie feeling some bizarre need to homage the cantina sequence, it's just, by this point, it's did it feel it, weird and hurried like the sequence they did it it's like it, it, i was almost like glad that he didn't linger he just sort of whipped like literally whipped the camera around through it and you didn't get a chance to your eyes didn't get a chance to rest on anything yeah and i don't I, know i was just sort of like uh, and I, I was glad for that because i did not want to see a cantina scene i, I was just frankly annoyed by it I, I don't know if it would have been better if if it would have, was faster slower what i just didn't want to see one because here's the thing you know, they can do it bigger, they can do it brighter, they can do it with more elaborate costumes and better CGI. They can just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. But it's... It's been done. The original still the best one. I don't... You know, even the original one, you know, from the original release, the non-CGI, I still like that better than any version I've seen. Although, you know, you know what? Just, I was What's sure that? someone was going to get their hand cut off. <laughs> I was like, there's going to be a fight, you know? And at least it didn't go there. That's true. That's true. But, but yeah, I, I, I was just glad that they, like, didn't they didn't milk it. It was there. It didn't get milked as much as it, as it could have. You know, once they got through that initial shot... It was mostly character stuff with Maz Kanata, who I liked Maz Kanata. I don't necessarily like the CGI. I don't think the CGI was particularly up to snuff. The same with Snoke. But I like her character. I love the line where she's just like, where's my boyfriend? He's just like, yeah, he's back in the fountain. You, you like, like that I, I, like, I like that Wookiee. I like, I, that remind, I just... That sounds like somebody a thousand year old or, you know, over a thousand year old person would say. And that's the thing is, everybody likes Chewbacca. Chewbacca is the purest character in Star Wars. He's the pure, like, there's nothing bad about Chewbacca. You know, he's he's as loyal as you'll ever get of any character. And she, as an ancient person... You know, probably appreciates Chewbacca the most. 
you know i just love that i i love that line it was just it said a lot it, it said a lot of of how they had history and and stuff like that and that's like she was glad to see han solo she'd really rather hang out with chewy though you know i i like that but at the same time i thought she was just sort of there you know i don't know do you think she's gonna turn up more or i hope not <laughs> no i i didn't care for her she reminded me now not in not in like her her looks or her voice or anything but just in the function that she served she reminded me of um can't remember the character's name. I want to say it was like Mogra or Hagra or something Agra. from Dark Crystal. Agra, yeah. Agra. That's what she reminded me of. And it's I basically just... Yoda. Yeah, exactly. Tits. Lady Yoda. Yeah, that's why I called her that because that's what she was. She was Lady Yoda is all she really was. She didn't have big coconut tits like Agra. <laughs> big swingers. Um, you know, I got I got a lot of my ugly ones out of the way earlier, you know, with with Luke's lightsaber and I really couldn't stand Finn and some of that. You know, really what it comes down to now is what I'm going to kind of classify as the side effects of the movie, if you know what I mean. OK. Um, and here's the two big ones. And I'm going to try not to get on a soapbox or go on a tear about these, but I totally could. Um the two biggest ones I'm seeing, and they're really starting to get on my nerves, is, for one, all of the prequel bashing. I'm so sick of this by this point. Okay, you didn't like the, the prequels. It's okay, making fine. me sick of the internet in general, because it right. follows that, the internet follows that fucking pattern of yep. where, where, boom, the movie comes out. First thing, first thing, it's, it's like, A, and, and, and a, I appreciate the no spoilers thing, but that basically all you hear is, please no spoilers, please no spoilers. Greatest thing in the world, greatest, love it, love it. I'm so excited. That's fun. That's great. But that goes on for a little while, and then you know what's coming. Then yep. immediately it's going to be sucked. Movie sucked. Everybody who liked it, you're stupid. Movie sucked. It's a piece of shit. And then there's all going to be the people who are like, no, you guys are dumb dumb heads for not liking it. And then there's going to be all the people who are, like start going like, oh, you know, these suck so bad. Don't you want George? Now you miss George Lucas. So they're going to be like, hey, at least it wasn't those piece of shit prequels. And, you know, everybody's just like taking it. It's like, why would you want to take this opportunity to just start tearing apart the prequels, which are which are have are, you know, 10 years in the past? You know, OK, we've. We've heard everything bad about the prequels. I'm I'm more interested. I'm glad at, at least there's some more prequel love coming out too. Some people are going like, but it's funny. It's it's like they almost have to have an opposite reaction. They're like, yeah, I didn't like the Force Awakens, and it's making me appreciate the prequels now. And now I'll say some good stuff about the prequels that I've been trashing for ten years or or whatever. It's it's almost like you have to have something. You can't if if one if you like one thing then it has to be at the cost of something else and that, then by liking this then now this has been now this is shit in comparison it's just, i don't get it. it i i get it it's the way you get attention on the internet and just sort of the way it it flows but i hate it it's so annoying 
I just, you know, my, my message to these people is tearing down the prequels doesn't prop up The Force Awakens at all. If anything, it, it diminishes all of us. Well, the thing is, in in some ways, like, the this new movie is almost this, like, opposite mirror image of the prequels where, yes, it gets a lot of things right that the prequels got wrong, but it also gets wrong a lot of things that the prequels got right. It's 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 also imperfect in a lot of the ways that the prequels will be, and it's gonna take years for it all to sort out for everybody to like figure out how and to think about it. the The thing about it is when I like my experience of the movie was so emotional and had such the feels to it that you come out of it and you're walking on air, you know. And I was I was just in that. I, it's hard to describe, but it's almost like a, a a drug or being like when you're like have the flu and you're in that weird sort of half dream state. That like that would be the way that I would get when I was a kid watching the movies, where I would get so focused and sucked into the movies to where you're almost there. I had that experience seeing this movie, but at the same time. It's, it's not enough to, you know, completely make me go. Oh, you, you know, I, 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 I can forgive every crime that it, it, it it's just not gonna happen. I'm a 47 year old adult. I can't, like, pretend that the stuff that I didn't like doesn't matter. But at the same point. I'm very happy that I'm a 47-year-old man, and I'm like, I kind of can't wait till 2017 to see how this how this stuff plays out. What did you think of the very last shot? Is that in is that in in the ugly stage for you, or Luke? You mean? Yeah, the uh, not even not even that they they like wait till the end, and you and you know you're gonna get and and literally as it was getting close to it, as they were going through hyperspace, I was thinking of you going, well, Scott Gardner's getting exactly what he didn't want. The last shot's going to be Luke Skywalker. It's the only way it could go. The movie's over, you know? As it was, as the, as Starkiller base was blowing up, I'm like, oh yeah, where's Luke Skywalker? I guess he's not going to be in this movie. Yeah. And then I'm like, all right, they're going through hyperspace and climbing up a hill we're going to get a dramatic shot of him. And I was like, and, uh, and then what really threw me off is the, the, and when I say the last shot, I don't even mean like, okay, she's handing over her lightsaber to Ray or or to Luke. And I'm saying it's shot from a helicopter (laughs) and it feels like a helicopter shot which is so not something you see in a Star Wars movie. And this movie's been so, like, sort of shot. It's sort of like George Lucas' Star Wars-y mixed with Spielberg-y sort of touches. And all of a sudden you have this helicopter shot. And then, to, and I'm like, oh my God, is a helicopter shot going to go into dum da dum da dum da And it did. It did just as they start spinning around and like it almost looked like a video effect on the waves and they start blurring. And I was like, that is so weird. I still cannot decide how I feel about it.
I don't I, I don't like the idea of having heli a helicopter shot because I was just basically thinking of the camera mounted on the side of a helicopter on it on the on the other hand I did like the momentous the momentousness of it the overdramaticness of it was kind of like made up a little bit for the lack of Luke Skywalker and it was saying oh you're going to get some Luke Skywalker <laughs> just going to have to wait 2 years and I liked craggy, craggly, craggly old Luke Skywalker. I hope he's grumpy and badass. So much splaining to do. You know, what one of uh, Magnus's big complaints, and I know Gene Hendrix's complaints too, was uh, Luke would not run off on his friends, you know. Luke would not take off after, you know, so if something went wrong, he wouldn't take off. I heard that criticism today, and, uh, you know, that's not entirely true. I chalk it up so we not enough information yet. We don't know what the story is right. enough. Well, that in itself, actually, I think should fall into the ugly category, is that, you know, I know that at least one of our Star Wars movies, you know, Empire going into Jedi, really made great use of laying down a mystery for us who was yes. the other you know that that uh yoda, yoda referred to you know so there was that but this movie you know here here's the thing is that walking out of star wars the original star wars did we have questions i mean no i'm mean, huge gaping no whole type of questions to me to my memory it was Star all wrapped Wars up pretty, pretty clean. Complete, yeah, it's a complete package. Yes. You meet the heroes. You know clearly who they are. They're very well defined. They go. They defeat the bad guy. They blow up the station. You know what the question was? There was the only story. one question. What's next? Yeah. That was the only question. It wasn't like, who is Luke Skywalker really? Who was, you know, there was yeah, exactly. there was none of that. It was just like, well, what's so what's next? This movie... You know, it's fine if they want to present us, you know, a question. You know, who is Ray really? But it's question after question after question after question. And after a time, what that really starts to feel like is that they didn't really have the story. Lost. It's like, and, it's like Lost. It's J.J. Abrams. Yeah. He's and you know what? He's very good at posing questions. He's very bad at answering Some Somebody on Star Wars in character posed a really good theory that maybe they don't have the story. And so what they've done is they put this out there knowing damn well that we, the mm -hmm. fans, are going to fill in the gaps. No, totally, 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 totally. They're, they're going to be following all those fan theories and stuff like that. Now, I, I, I read an interview where they said they did not have this prequel this trilogy planned out. They wrote the first story and he does, he didn't that now they have, they don't know what the third one is. They must have, they probably, I'm thinking they probably have a working script now for episode eight. I mean, they're, they're starting production on it and Boyega's already, you know, started saying stuff like, Oh, this one's a lot darker than the first one has a lot more, you know, goes in a lot darker direction. So they have a story and stuff, but 
they did but when when they were writing episode 7 you know they were not writing it with knowing you know okay we have to have you write this because by episode 8 and episode 9 this and this are going to happen there was nothing they're doing it by the seat of their pants which probably was is that i mean that's more realistic of how you do stuff like that i think once once they had the once they were shooting the script for shooting the script for this one i'm sure they were writing the script for the next one and then and probably right now people are figuring out what's going to go on in episode 9 but none of it was planned it's going to be the inventiveness of writers and hopefully now that jj abrams is gone there'll be somebody who'll who'll shore up my only my big complaint with having so many questions is you know do you plan to answer all those questions or are you going to just blow a lot of this shit off to just go to the more important story stuff because i'd like to see some stuff explained i'd like to know in depth why luke would would run off there there has to be an explanation to that i now that doesn't bother me that much because i can see a lot of explanations for that i could see luke being like yeah it might seem it might seem on the surface a bad idea for me to run off or cowardice but maybe at that point he had to be maybe he had to learn some stuff on his own by being a hermit and maybe he had to sit and let the force do something, you know, I mean, if they start, if they follow the, the, all the potential, you know, there's a lot of Darth Plagueis conspiracy theories that all of a sudden it hit me like an idiot. And of course on Wikipedia, people, you know, I'm, I'm calling bullshit on that right now. They have worked so hard with this, with this movie and with the whole marketing campaign and everything, they have distanced themselves so far from not only George Lucas, but from the prequels that I'm not buying. Yeah, but I'm saying if they if they see something that they want that they can use and that they want to use, just like the EU, I think they'll. Disney owns all that stuff. Oh, and sure. Like when I watched I, that they, scene, they yeah. already deeply mined the EU for right. this movie. I right. know that you're not very versed on the EU. I'm not either. I'm, I'm by no means my professing to be an expert, but I'm telling you right now, that's one of the big things that bugged me as far as the lack of originality because they they throw away the EU and all the continuity and everything that they had only to turn around and basically present you with the exact same goddamn story that they just right, threw but away. It's like, it's like the walking dead TV show where they grab little things that right, might be right. details, but you don't know where the, you, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily going to go where they went in the EU. And that's, that was right. the problem of like having to deal with the EU. If you used it as real continuity, then all of a sudden you had all these people, that knew spoilers sort of, or would know more like getting invested in the EU to me feels like getting invested, like in DC comics these days, you're going to get invested and then they're going to, they're going to scrap it or they're going to redo it or, or whatever. And then you're, you know, so I, you know, I'm, I'm shy of getting invested. It's just the same with the new stuff they're writing now. Who knows what'll turn out with that someday. And, uh, you know, and, and this gives them the opportunity to go like, oh, well, we like this stuff. So we like this element. This would be intriguing if we did this with it. Yeah, that, yeah I, I, I do not I do not believe for a minute that they are going to use anything from the prequels. Yeah. I, th- I think at the moment the the 
operating procedure is that prequels bad and do not touch. Did you I, did you see it, the meme where they where they had the picture of of Snoke next to Darth Vader and they're like, ah, look, they they got the same slice across their head and it's just like, dummy, if they clone Darth Vader, he's not going to get clone his injuries. <laughs> You know, right. I love the internet. They're just so stupid. It's just like, no, he would look like Anakin, dum dum, you know, unless somebody took him and like sliced him up just like Darth Vader. But it's yeah, whatever. I took that more to mean like Darth Vader, like it's literally the Darth Vader, like he didn't die. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure he did though. So yeah, this guy doesn't really make me feel like he's Darth Vader at all. <laughs> Anakin or has? Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, the last real thing for me is something that has been bothering me for a long time about the whole thing, not just this movie, but just the whole, the whole Star Wars is that, uh, somehow, and I'm not sure how this happened. Um, just the fact that, that Lucas isn't involved anymore. And I'm really irritated with a significant portion Mm -hmm. of, Star Wars fandom right now because at first everybody applauded this. Everybody was acting like this was the greatest news ever that, you know, George Lucas, whether he walked away or whether he was. We've said a few things like that too. We've said like maybe it's time, you know. I don't, if I did, then, you know, I, I don't remember having said that and I won't say that I didn't. But if I did, that was a really stupid thing to say, because that's my point about all this is that that was really dumb. I, I really don't think I did, though, because I believe I've had the attitude all along that, look, love him, hate him, however you feel about him. We would not be talking about right. Star Wars at all without George Lucas. At the end of the day, he created Star Wars. I understand that there are people that were disappointed with the with the prequels and all of that. I, I get that. But I think it's time for some people to acknowledge the fact that they've said awful things about this guy, things that were just wrong about this guy. You know, and Oh, he's been he's been the internet's Fanboy's whipping a, boy. He's been a whipping boy. He really has. Since, and it's and it's awful. Episode one came out. He's been a whipping boy. And he's put up with it. He's put in the work to make the movies. And, you know, whatever you could say, he didn't work as hard because he was doing green screen or whatever. See, it's I a think hell of a lot of work to do a Star Wars right. movie. He did them. They, they, they made money. They, uh, uh, the, God damn it, they entertained me. You know, whatever. He he did not get his old magic or whatever your opinion of it is. See, that, but that's the thing, the though. That's, guy people's, alone, that's you know? people's opinion of right. whether he did or not is that I respect the guy because he didn't take the lazy way out. You know, you don't have to love the prequels. You don't even have to like them. But God damn it, at least respect the fact that he could have done exactly what was done with this movie. He could have just completely retread the original trilogy, pumped out a movie that everybody would have loved because it was the same shit all over yep. again with a, with a fresh coat of paint and made a bazillion and a half dollars and walked away going, screw you guys. And he didn't do that. 
he gave us three completely original movies that everybody shit all over. And, you know, so there's that aspect of it. And what really kills me is that, you know, now, you know, what I like about Lucas and what has given me a whole new fresh respect for the man is that he is making no bones about the fact that his feelings got hurt. And, you know, yeah, you can look at that and say, oh, what a pussy and all these ugly things I'm seeing people say online. But look, the guy's a human being. Can you imagine what it must be like to be him and have so much of the world's, um, literally the world's populace telling you that you raped their childhood and that you suck and that you didn't, you know, you, you don't have it anymore and how dare you and all these awful, awful things that... That's why he's gone, because he just got sick. He couldn't take it anymore, and he left. So there's there's that aspect of it that you know that that he was basically, you know, just he he just didn't want any more to do with it. So there's that aspect of it, and I think there are people out there that need to be ashamed of the way that they that they treated the poor guy. But then you turn it around now, and now some of these same people that did that are going, you know, are seeing these things that are out there, you know, the, the interviews with him and how he feels about things. And now they're going, gee, you know, maybe we, maybe we should bring him back and throw him a bone. And, you know, to those people, I would just like to say, fuck you, you know, how hypocritical it's, are you? Anyway? That's the kind you know, of thing that makes people go insane. That's what I said uh, when, when they put, put up, now, granted, that was some idiot's, you know, change.org petition. He got 600 people to sign it or whatever. And, and you know, maybe it's not the exact same people, you know, you, you, I mean, unless you know them personally. But no, it I'm just, not talking it just, about it, any, In general, it typifies, it typifies right. the, the attitude of it to where uh, the, the you can't win attitude of it but the thing is is there's such a, a vehemence and even when it's positive or negative towards george lucas it's just this kind of thing that tears people you gotta tear me apart i mean say what you will about the prequels i'm watching clone wars again uh to doing a show with hope mullinex and you know watching it i'm realizing and then i saw the wachowski's new movie whatever it was kind of a flop but then I was seeing the visual style of it, and it was pure. There was a scene on it that was looked like Naboo. And I was just like, oh, yeah, George Lucas, you know, he designed a sort of visual look with the original trilogy. And he designed a completely different visual look for the trilogy. And now I'm starting to think of, you know... That that was that that's kind of an amazing thing, you know. He brought something brought something new to it and brought a new approach, and he did it probably out of the desire for himself as an artist to do something new to not to not remake Star Wars in the way that the Force Awakens was. And I'm not even arguing that that the way they did the Force Awakens is a bad thing. But I think it would have been a bad it would have been more in a bad category if George Lucas had done it. But the whole like renewed passion for and against him. I mean, ah, 
he and 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 right now he's walked away from it you know all he's done is he's had a couple interviews and whatever i don't know what the whole white slavers thing was with disney but you could tell he's bitter you know he's bitter about it and when people ask him about it it's just like why would i what if i was george lucas i'd be like why would you want my opinion on star wars people are just going to tear me up about it anyway so now i have to talk about it right you know and now he has to worry about it where when he shouldn't have anything he has nothing to do with it they didn't even use his story ideas so he has no nothing nothing to do with it and you know maybe at first it was everybody rubbing maybe it felt like everybody rubbing his face in it by going oh finally a good star wars movie or whatever but and then but then it's followed right up on like we want George Lucas back, and if I were him, I'd be like, I want to buy land in the in fucking Addis Ababa, and just move out there, and never see any of you motherfuckers again. I'll take my wife with me and our dog <laughs> and our cat, and we'll go out there, and you can all just screw you guys. I'm going home. Yeah, and I wouldn't blame him if you know. No. But here's the here's the thing though is that that was when that happened. Initially, when when he got his paycheck and then it became pretty apparent that he was persona non grata and that they were not going to use his ideas and that that was it. He was pretty much cut out of the thing and everybody else applauded. No, oh, thank God. You know, he's so awful to prequels and Jar Jar and blah, 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 and all the bullshit. That was one of the very first things that set off flags for me like, oh, shit, you know. Because he created the thing, you know, and now if he's that's not all just be- like separate from the that's all just the bu- the bullshit that comes on the Internet and circles around everything that happens nowadays, you know, but no, he's not part of it, though, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but, but that, I mean, that, that, that bullshit will try to, actually to suck be- him in. It will try it will involve him. It will bring him up and try, you know, talk about him. And, you know, he he may want to I mean. It just keeps pulling me back in, you know, and right. and he's probably going about his life. And then, like, well, I'll do an interview with Rolling Stone or whoever it was that he did. And, you know, and then all of a sudden any and, and and, you know, his mentions of, you know, you see the articles about like I sold Star Wars to white slavers. And then you read the article. And of course, it's not a tenth as inflammatory as the headline makes it seem. Right. Yeah, I don't. It's basically if you really wanted to distill it down, it's like George Lucas mentioned Star Wars in an interview, you know, but that's not going to get your attention. And it, it just sucks that he can't. He just can't. He has to he has to, like, hide in a hole in the ground if he ever wants to be free of it. But that's also, the price that comes from creating something that's like so massively bigger than you, you know, right. Star Wars is so massively bigger than than anybody who's ever been involved in it. You know, it's it's its own force of nature. But, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, I, I you know, I, I'm I'm sad despite you know the movie's popularity and its success and everything else i am sad that now we're getting stuff without direct you know contributions by 
George Lucas. I thought we'd get post-Lucas Star Wars, but it would be more like post-Roddenberry Star Trek, you know? It would be more like George Lucas passed away, you know? And now we enter the phase of post-George Lucas Star Wars. I don't know. My brain's been getting used to the idea ever since Disney bought it, but it's weird. It really will not be very long before the majority of all Star Wars that exists will be post-George Lucas. You know what I mean? There'll be three more movies, and then there's all the other ones. And I don't know. I was, I was trying to... I, I guess I'm not doing a very good job. I was trying to verbalize really what, what my feelings are. And I, I guess for me, it comes down to... Personally... I think it's I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame almost bordering on a crime, you know? Because I can tell the difference. And I you know, I, I don't please don't take this as a criticism, Chris. I don't mean it this way, but I frankly I'm shocked by by your you know, you've said several times in this discussion how you know, this movie felt like Star Wars and it was Star Wars because it just didn't to me. Something was lacking. And I think that might be the thing is that I can tell the difference between Lucas's Star Wars and when somebody else is making up Star Wars. There is a difference there because his is very much his. You know, it has a certain Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon-y feel to it that this one just just didn't there was some vital ingredient that was missing and i'm wondering if that thing that was missing was george lucas and and maybe it's just me because i knew he wasn't part of it so maybe i'm i'm interjecting that but i just i don't know there's something that makes me sad because george lucas not. is going to george lucas is going to draw from things that these guys aren't going to draw from as much. Right. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? They're they're drawing from him. That JJ Abrams is drawing from him, so it's self it's it's referential and and I could tell it, <clears throat> it wasn't a intellectually I probably should have been right about where you are. I should have been like I liked it. Like like I felt about um Star Trek 2009, I was like, yeah, you know, I was ready to hate that, and that was a good, fun movie, and it did what, you know, it, it pulled me along. But, you know, I mean, I can intellectualize whatever I want, but I was like, I, I, was, I was playing along with the, the kid, and I got right into it to where I forgot that I was a grown man, was crawling around on the floor from beginning to end, and then afterwards I was just sort of like, Ah. <laughs> yeah, whatever, you know. But I mean, I can't deny that. I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say I wasn't in the the I didn't leave the theater completely satisfied even despite despite the 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 things that I didn't like and was just like I was ecstatic that like all right, Star Wars is back and I'm not opposed to it at all you know i mean it's a low bar but at the same time i was i was feeling the feels i was i was a lump of jelly that's worn off (laughs) but at the same time it's still i acknowledge that and i acknowledge that the the power of that 
and that it that it it it, it turned me into Joe Average filmmaker or film viewer instead of super you know film school super star wars fan and that's that was quite a feat um that being said i think that should be jj abrams only only shot at it i think that's like his skill set allowed it to happen and uh, allowed it to be an acceptable movie for all ages and from this point on, the the impetus is really on Disney. Kathleen Kennedy is, you know, executive producer to really deliver the goods. Now they 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 cannot get away with with replic trying to replicate J.J. Um, Abrams' formula for Episode Seven. You, you know what I mean? He and I think whether it was a conscious decision or not by sort of mushing all the emotions and, and stuff from the original trilogy. Cause I, 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 I get mad when people are just like, it's just a remake of star Wars. It's like, no, there's plenty of empire and Jedi in there too. <laughs> it just has more shot for, you know, there's more like story wise. It does follow star wars more but emotional wise and 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 what's happening in there there's a lot of empire and jedi in there the the you know the final battle at the end is more jedi than it is you know a new hope so hopefully they burned through that then now so hopefully they can't go the the, the next movie can't be a remake of of Return of the Jedi or of, of Empire Strikes Back, although maybe it will end with a cliffhanger. You know, maybe they'll decide to end it with a cliffhanger, but it really can't be Empire because they already did that in the last movie and they already did it with Empire. So the, the, the onus is really upon them to become more original. And these, the, these new directors, I'm not too hot on the Jurassic Park guy. He did a decent job but it was also a sort of nostalgia remake reboot sort of feel with the jurassic park movie so i'm hoping he's not bringing that to i think he's the one for nine i haven't seen any of the movies by the guy who's doing episode eight but it sounds like they're kind of odd movies i don't know i don't know how much of like i said i don't know how much credit or non-credit you want to give to J.J. Abrams because it's such a made-by-committee movie, you know, by necessity right. now that, it, you know, we, we, we don't... Dave Atterbury was saying, I can't wait for the making of book, and I'd like to see, like, was Kathleen Kennedy reining in J.J. Abrams at some point, or was she pushing him, or was she leaving him alone... And, you know, how much of it were they saying, you got to do this and this and this. So we so, and we're going to make the next director, you know, are, are they are is this Kathleen Kennedy telling the directors, all right, we need wipes. <laughs> you know, we need the Star Wars wipes. Was that something J.J. Abrams did because he loves the wipes? Are we going to see the wipes in episode eight, you know, with that director? I'd like to. I think it's a thing that that, 
you know, is very Star Warsy. Right. Um, but we don't know, you know. I don't know how they're 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 figuring it. Are they gonna try to make them all look consistently the same? Are they gonna be all like is some guy gonna be like, ah, I don't really want to do practical effects on on this one? We'll we'll find out in the next one. The next one, you know, having two in a row will give you a a big idea of how they plan to like continue with it. At this point, I hope they're all good, but we're now we've broken that seal. My my thought is, I'm okay with with clunkers happening now because. With the opening it up of doing side movies, we could end up with some really neat stuff that nobody's expecting, you know, ending uh, and ending up with something that's a little different in tone or something, but still works or is a story that nobody would thought would have been very intriguing. Who knows? Rogue One might be Rogue One might be more go over better than any of the other Star Wars movies. You know, it might capture something in the kids who play video games or something. I don't know. I have no idea what it's going to be. I think that's the one where, at least hopefully, we're going to get a feel for what future Star Wars truly is going to be. Because, again, unless they just remake Star Wars all over again... They can't get away with doing that too much, though. That's going to get old... You would hope. ...fast, you know? Uh, Yeah, I mean... The thing is, Disney's not dumb, and they, they, they do plan long-term, and this is, like, long-term, you know? Right. This is this is Marvel long. I, w- I would say I would be planning on putting out Star Wars movies potentially longer than the Marvel movies might live, you right. know, live their usefulness. You know, generational. It's, you know, it, this could be... This this is beyond why I I forgive why I, ex, I shouldn't say forgive but accept the the lack of Lucas is I think Star Wars is one of those things where it come it plugs right into the unconscious it's it's it goes back to telling stories by the fire you know Santa Claus Mickey Mouse Luke Skywalker you know, Agamemnon. I, I, I know where you're. I know where you're going. I'm all right with that. You know, when when the guy's dead and buried and gone, you know, Star Wars lives and Star Wars continues. I'm. That's fine. He's not dead. No. You know, and that's what pisses me off is is this fan celebration, and then you know, turning right around and going, oh, gee, you know, when when they realize that, oh, gee, I guess he had feelings, you know? Yeah. And that, it's just, it, you know, p- piss on those people because you you should never treat anybody like that, you know? And and they were, they were outright cruel to the guy. And I don't, I don't like him not being part of the equation. I'm not saying that, I think every idea the guy ever had was brilliant and they should use all of his ideas and you know what what George says goes and everything's got I I'm not saying that I'm just saying for the guy to now go from he was the one that created it to having zero input whatsoever seems wrong to me you know it, it just 
I don't know. It it makes me extremely. But it's all like it's all like decisions he made. You know, it's not like it was wrestled rested away from him or anything like that. He sort of and and he left him with like some story ideas and said, "Here, use them if you like or not." He probably could have gotten a. He probably could have gotten as part of the whole deal. Said, "Here's the stories for three movies." You know, and then they're all yours or whatever. He could have done something like I'm, that. Yeah, no, I agree with he you. You know, had he the leverage. Sold it. He got his money. You know what? What you say is 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 valid. And I and I've had that same thought myself, because initially when the when the whole thing started breaking, I had you know there was that that voice in the back of my head going, "Well, George, what did you expect, buddy? You know, you you sold it. You're not part of it anymore." But you know, half ass following the thing. What I'm kind of hearing is the in-betweens, the things that aren't being said. And I'm thinking that maybe what's happening is now that he's actually seen the final product, he's realizing that maybe he wasn't sold a complete bill of goods here, that he was under the impression that, you know, they were going to use his ideas and they were going to follow his intent for the story you might have hoped that clearly yeah. that's not what they have done they played it very safe and you know one thing you can say about him is that he he did not play it safe well he was in a I mean, he, he was, was in a in position control. not to play it safe well he i mean he was in a position to choose whether he wanted to play it safe or not because it was his you know i mean right. there's a lot of pressure on it because there's a lot of people that work for him and stuff they're going to get paid anyway, and they'll do okay if they go out of business. They'll get a job somewhere else. But at the same time, like Lucasfilm and those movies were his to do whatever he wanted to. He was making them with his money. And, you know, he, he, if, anybody, if anybody went broke, if nobody went to the movies, it was going to be George Lucas. So, you know, and that maybe worked a lot that might have been a lot of the reason why people wouldn't question him on anything because he was like he was the the money bags of the whole thing he was it was his his top to bottom so hey if he wants to do that i'm not gonna argue with him he's it's coming out of his pocket disney you know disney's disney's bigger than lucas and i think star wars is bigger than disney in a lot of ways I don't know. I, all, I'm, all I'm trying to say is, at the end of the day, for for there to now be Star Wars without George Lucas in it's it, weird. While George Lucas is still alive, it's like I don't know if this this you know this really is the this really isn't the the proper note I want to leave this with, but I'm going to say it anyway. To me, isn't 100% Star Wars, and I guess that was ultimately. Again, with the caveat that I enjoyed the movie and I had fun and it was a, a good ride, at the end of the day, that's why it still isn't completely 100%. It's why it just didn't make me feel the same way because I could tell that that one vital ingredient was missing because George had a different take. He had a different direction that the whole thing was supposed to go. And I can tell the difference. Now, whether I would have liked that direction, whether it would have been as fun, I, I, I don't know. But I think I think if they were really going to be true to Star Wars, then I, I think they almost owed it to 
to Star Wars to go in its master's direction, and that's not what they did. If if George Lucas would have directed it, it would have it would have he he he. I don't know. I want him to stuff, direct. Right, yeah. right. Well, that's where I'm going with this. Is he cuts stuff when he directs? He directs and cuts stuff slow. Watch. I was. I've been watching the prequels again. And he lets his dialogue go on and people like walk on and say dialogue and stuff. Whereas when you watch the Fork, Force Awakens, Fork Awakens, when you watch the Force Awakens, cut, 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 cut. It moves along. And that's what happened with in, in the original Star Wars. That's what happened when they got in the editing room and, and people were like, we got to we got to cut out all these like spaces and then that's when where i think george lucas ultimately shines and should be is as an executive producer with a director there who's keeping the acting flowing and and the dialogue and the story flo- flowing along and moving right. yeah I, okay and he's there and he's there masterminding it and then he you. comes in and and like he'll direct some scenes but he's directing stuff like the speeder bike chase, you know, that's, that's where George Lucas should really be a director is like the, yeah, the, the, see, the again, pod I, I, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. Cause you, you're, you're talking about directing. I'm talking about the direction of the saga, right? If you have because admit, where, if, where this story is going is not where Lucas no, was going if, to take the it, story. It, it, like, I, I think, I think like it, it you, you could have had a really, what you wanted with J.J. Abrams as director and George Lucas as executive producer. Because then you'd have somebody, like George Lucas would still have, I mean, J.J. Abrams would be in his thrall. You know, J.J. Abrams would be the guy who'd be like, George, you know, what do you want to do? But you would also have Disney saying like, ah, look, we got to keep it in this direction and stuff. But yeah, Lucas would be there to, you know, to he would uh, as executive producer, he would have to put some of what it is that but he states it over and over again. Basically, he's an experimental filmmaker, you know, he wants to. And when he got his hands on Star Wars again or when he decided to to take up at Star Wars again, he took it up in a in a in an oddball direction. I mean, as a director, it was almost like, okay, I can see him stepping down. I'd love, I would have loved to have him as executive producer or as just story consultant (laughs) would have, would have gone a long way, you know? Right. But you know, who knows what could happen in the, in the future. I very much, I doubt anybody would probably be able to call him up though and talk him into it. But you know, I, I could see like if a director said, ah, I want to talk to Lucas about this movie, Disney wouldn't be like, no, you can't do it, you know. So right. who, who knows, you know, maybe I mean, and maybe if he gets a little break, he can, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering if someday we could see Spielberg do a Star Wars movie. That right. would almost be uh, they, they said there's definitely going to be another Indiana Jones movie. Which yeah. to me says, uh, are, are they going, you know, if they're going to do another Indiana Jones movie, are they going to do that without Lucas? Because something about in Indiana Jones says Spielberg and Lucas together, you know. Right. Yeah, very much so. And I mean, it w- I mean, it's not like Lucas could, like Disney doesn't like 
have all kinds of directors work for him and people work for him. So, I mean, you could, it could be a Lucas Spielberg, Indiana Jones. I I really somehow doubt it's going to be a Harrison Ford (laughs) one, but I don't know. You know, I mean, everything I've heard says that they will not do it without Harrison Ford. So that's what I've heard anyway. But I tell you, we we need to wrap this one up for this a, is a barnstorm reason. So yeah, <laughs> well, if nothing else, uh, we want to save a little something because I know that our uh, our buddy um, Scott Rifen's been itching to talk Force Awakens with us as well. So we need to leave something uh, yeah. on the table for uh, for when we get together with him. But uh, but no, this has been a good discussion. I, I mean, don't, I I just I don't want to be taken wrong. All I'm saying is that I, I think ultimately when this continues and it's going to, you know, there's going to be multitudes of, of, you know, there, there is no end to star Wars at this point. You know, there's going to be many more movies and the ancillary movies and all this other stuff. I'm just, I'm, I think I'm always going to be haunted by bittersweet. Yeah, it is. You know, the, the, the might have bends because at the end of the day, we're going to get more star Wars and, you know, we're going to get good stuff and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, where would the daddy of star Wars have taken the saga from here? And that, that's going to bug me, you know, and I'm not saying it, you know, it had nothing, no direct bearing on the movie that we got. I'm just saying it's one of those things that, and it bugs me. And I, and not only does it bug me, but I just, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's sad, you know, that, that he's left feeling the way that he feels about it. That, well, that pains me. That's you know, how, he, feel, that's how he feels now. You know, it may, ch- you know, let, yeah, let, let time, change. let time pass and see what happens. If the, if the internet ever lets any scab completely heal though. Right. <laughs> Maybe it just means George Lucas needs to avoid the internet at all costs and, <laughs> Go sit out in his swimming pool for a couple of years and well, spend quality time with his wife, take long walks with his wife on the beach. I just hope from this point forward, I, I hope that fandom is kinder to him than they have been in recent years. I'll you call know? for it's... them to be and I'll hope for them to be. I don't have a lot of faith in it, unfortunately. Although, I don't know. You know, maybe you know, the internet is new. And I have noticed lately that a lot of people are getting fed up with clickbait and, and stupid memes. You know, everybody's get starting to vocalize that they're sick of seeing everybody posting up stupid conflicting memes and stupid kitty memes and, and posting up articles that they go to read and then realize that they've just wasted all their time by someone who's done no research and, you know, is just basically gotten your attention long enough to register that click and they're getting sick of it. So I'm hoping that, you know, it evolves, you know, I hope it doesn't stay in this pattern of just like feeding, feeding and attacking itself constantly. You know, uh, hopefully people will get fatigued of it and push, push the people who just want to want to do that constantly off into their own little corner where they can chew on each other. I will, I, I, I'll personally give $50 to anybody who invents that corner of the internet (laughs) (laughs) playpen for all the assholes on a happy note. I am so glad we've made 
episode 500 and that we have a Star Wars movie to talk about. Yeah. That, you know. That, that is pretty cool. And and it's classic. Here we are staying up too late. We've talked like this. Yeah, By the time this podcast gets all the all the the contributions from all of our podcasters and everything, it's going to be like four or five hours, four and a half, five hours long. I'm going to have to do spe- make special arrangements for our webmaster to upload it, actually, because it's <laughs> going to be it's going to be a corker. Yeah. Before we go, I just want to thank all the listeners. I want to thank everybody all the podcasters who've been here especially like the ones from the very very beginning like hope mullinex was our first podcaster and andy and like luke and hero and sean on the on the horror vault the the late sean who um you, you you've heard his um his contribution to this as somebody who's done a lot of like collaborative art in my life I've been in, I was in a band for 20 years I've done a TV show I've never been involved in anything that's just worked so well as far as putting all these you know 30 some people together in an artistic venture and have it and nobody's getting paid everybody's doing it in their spare time like really like blood sweat and tearing to to get the spare time to 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 work on this ridiculous project that scott and i started i i just can't believe it i can't believe that we all work so well together we get along so well together i've made you know friendships that are going to last the rest of my life through this and it's awesome and you know i'm sorry that we didn't come up with a phone book reading or you know, so, some wild variation for our 200 show that we've sort of, you, you know, 200 and 100 that we came up with our weirdness. But you know what? I'm Danny Glover in it. I'm getting too old for this shit. I'd rather just, you know, talk some Star Wars with my old buddy and be, be more down to earth and, and be more like, thank you, instead of like, hey, listen to me poop in this bathroom. But don't worry, there'll be plenty of that stuff in the future. (laughs) Not exactly that. I'm not going to pull a J.J. Abrams and just do variations of... I'm just not going to... I'm not going to just take a bigger poop in a a bigger pizzeria bathroom. I'll come up with something new. I won't even be like, this time I'm going to do it when I have horrible diarrhea. You got anything to say? Uh, (laughs) No. All right, I gotta go to bed. In the mood for some real southern Vietnamese cooking, then come on down to Bon Me Basket, where we always put the Bon Me in the basket. We should go to Bon Me Basket. That's where they put the Bon Me in the basket. You got it, babe. Oh, honey bunny, I love you so much more than my last husband. You know it. Kids, you want to go to Bon Me Basket? Remember, if you love your family, y'all will take them to Bon Me Basket, just off State Road 23, on the frontage road. 
On the Baskins Razor trademark of Biscuit Baskins Solid Brands Incorporated, all rights are approximately contained space levels above recommended human levels of consumption. Biscuit Baskins Solid Brands Incorporated is not liable for losses nor products resulting in divorce or until separation. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search 2TrueFreaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.